welcome everyone to episode 327 of the fake nerd podcast i forgot that i didn't put it up on the top there so i don't know what's going on hi i wasn't meant to do this intro so i'm kind of winging it um i'm brandon t mcclure with you uh on this exciting journey to go through the the last two indiana jones films um very excited to be here i'm of course joined by my good friends ben magnet i'm here to whip it and whip it good sparks witty yes i am also here sounding different than usual i'm alone and yet there are people in my home <laughs> uh ryan Eliopoulos could not join us today it was mother's day by the way happy mother's day everybody um it, mother's day is a long um was a long day for him so he decided to set this one out rightfully so as he should um so this is uh, so we are ryan less but that also means sparks has a massive echo because there are other people in his house talking um so just a heads up for you for you audio freaks out there um otherwise hi guys how's it going what's going on how are you how was your mother's day Okay. Good. Oh, uh, my one of you is muted. So like, yeah, the one who's one not us, needs to talk. One of us is muted. I don't know why I froze like a deer in headlights. My God, uh, my Mother's Day was great. Um, good. As was see what you do on Mother's Day. I saw my mom earlier this morning. We got to hang out for a little bit. I bought her coffee, and you know those times or those things on social media where you see like the card in front of you pay for your meal and they want to get the train going. That happened to us because the car in front of us paid for five dollars of our coffee orders. So essentially, I got our coffee, mine and my mom's coffee order for five dollars off. And hmm. thankfully, there was no car behind me because I was sure as hell not going to pay for the person behind me. Ben's like, I'm happy to take it, not happy to give it. Uh, at, well, at this <laughs> moment in time, being the one diehard Zelda fan who still does not have Tears of the Kingdom because his bank account said the you are buying Zelda day one. I'll take what I can get. You know what you do, what you could, what you could be doing. Uh, you probably don't have it. Never mind. Um, Sparks, how was your mother's day? All right. If you're about to talk to me about Jai Survivor, I just got it like, and two hours before we started recording. Well, there you go. Sparks, how was your mother's day? Sparks is coughing. He's coughing. Sorry. He's coughing. Yeah. I, I've been sick most of this week. Um, oh, Hey, me too. Pretty much all of it since we recorded actually. Um, my mother's day was fine um yeah i have nothing special to report well then why don't i take this moment to report on the links in our description that if you out. must that worked out i like that Are there any zeldas down there as well <sighs> way to I'm ruin sorry. my transition i'm sorry i had a great I'm transition sorry. I'm sorry. These are right. the tears of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, there's a number of links in the there's a number of links in the description below. As Ben hacks up a lug, um, I uh, um, the cinephiles uh, went crazy this week. Sparks was a uh, was a cinephile fiend, uh, putting up some cinephiles. Did it? Did it go crazy? Did there's I only three. There's three. Yeah. I thought there were only two this week. Oh, there's Sisu? Oh, no, there are three. I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah. So Sisu is up as its own cinephile. Great movie. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 went up just this morning. So that's exciting. Um, if you were did not catch our um, our thing, our episode last week, you're now catch it as a cinephile. And um, 
uh, look today guys we're talking about indiana jones and the last crusade and indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull if you didn't if you you're wondering hey wait I missed when you guys talked about the first two films. No, you didn't, because that's a cinephile. Um, that is a cinephile that is up right now. You can go check it out. Uh, if you have not listened to that before you're here, you know, maybe do so. I mean, look, it's Indiana Jones who hasn't seen Indiana yeah. Jones. Um, so you I can. I haven't seen Indiana. I'm, I'm lying. Of course, I've seen Indiana Jones. Ben is no longer allowed on this podcast. <laughs> bye, um, bye. Have a wonderful time. Bye. Find another co-host. Um, and of course, um, uh, that that so that is a cinephile that you can can check out uh, linked below in the description. Um, I love Indiana Jones, and I'm uh, I'm sad there's only four movies because we're done soon. Well, there's a fifth one coming, so that's exciting. That is exciting. Uh, four movies. I thought that we're only talking about Last Crusade today, right? Well, anyway, so um, <laughs> it's also that's all of the indie movies up to now. Yeah, totally. We do not. We do not speak of 2009. Eight. Eight. We do not speak of 2008. Oh, frack. That's, yeah, I remember. Never mind. Um, right. So um, can't wait to talk about it. Um, uh, my conversation episode that came up last week. That is also in the description below still. Uh, that is with Kyle Andre of the Dragon Ball Super Dope podcast. I had a great conversation with him. I really enjoyed that doing that podcast. Um, it's up now for you all to enjoy. Um, or if you haven't, if you, if, if you have listened to it, then you know who my next guest is. So this week, the third episode of Conversation Season 2 will be with Sean Farrick, which is very exciting if you're a Star Trek fan, because Sean Farrick is a big uh, fan, is a big kind of um, personality in the Star Trek fandom. Um, he uh it does trek culture and who what culture and who culture uh also the clone star podcast i was very excited to get him uh to do the show i uh caught him when he broke his leg so he was willing to to do the podcast with me so i'm sorry you broke your leg but i'm happy you were able to do the show i mean if you think about it that's actually the best time to do a podcast i mean what is he gonna do get up and walk around uh, true um so yeah, so that was that. That's a lot of fun. I can't wait for you guys to listen to that one. Can't wait to listen to it, bud. Um, have you listened to? Has either of you listened to the conversation episodes? I started. You, you already know that I have. Well, no, I, I know. I, I did. You finish episode two? Yeah. Okay. Did you like it? Yeah. Cool. I was I was like ten minutes from the end when we talked last time about it. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Ben. Yeah, I was. For some reason, my podcasting app started me on episode two, not episode one, but I was listening to it for about 10 or so minutes and until I got home. So I just need to start listening to it again. That's exciting. Um, Well, anyway, uh, Ben, it's your turn because there are two links in the description for uh, in relation to you, which is Mm -hmm. one is your Grayson Live episode. You're done with Mega Man. Right? We, yeah, actually, no, not we. I beat Mega Man X4. I was the one playing it. Well, we beat it because Grayson was helping me with those. Speaking of Grayson, he's in the chat. Hi, Grayson. Hello, bud. Mr. I just bought my copy of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Nice. I got my copy today, too. I still need to install it. I think I'm going to ask my white fiance to do that in a bit, but we'll. All right, real quickly, real quickly, real quickly. Uh, I know you were just about to say wife and so you said fiance. It yeah. sounded like you said my white fiance to do it. <laughs> it did sound like that then. <laughs> 
<laughs> you want to know the scarier part? This isn't the first time I accidentally called her my wife when she wasn't my wife yet. That's not the scary part. The scary part is that you called her white. She's not white, Ben. No, no, she's not. She's not. <laughs> Anyways, that, Brandon's, that Brandon's never, ever slipped up like that before, friends. Never. In all never. of the 327 <sighs> episodes of the podcast, you will never find a slip up like that. I am a Criticize saint. away, McClure. Criticize I am a away. Saint. I am a saint. <laughs> yeah, even I love you, Grayson's ben. in the chat's like, yeah, what'd you say? But, well, anyway, as I was going to say, I should probably message my fiance about installing uh, Drive Survivor. So once we're done, I could maybe get some time in before I have to go to bed. But yeah, Grayson Live, he and I were playing Mega Man X4. We beat it. It's done. It's over. Are we going to get together? Of course. Am I taking a break? Of course. But yeah, the, we, I beat Sigma. We beat my we beat my favorite Mega Man X game. The whole saga is up there. Go ahead. Take a watch. Uh, Grayson's playing God of War right now. Highly recommend watching that. Uh, no, he's not only playing God of War. He's also playing Jedi Fallen Order. So if mm-hmm. you need a little bit of a catch up or you want to watch someone else play it through Fallen Order, go follow him or go watch him because he's doing that stuff right now in case you just want a little uh, story update. And uh, your last link is the latest episode of Dan Dark. Yes, it is. So we we finished with Anksuna Moon, and now we're getting to some Frankenstein nonsense. We're starting my arc, baby. Oh, it's going to get spicy down the line. I can't wait for you guys to listen to the next episode, but this episode's still good because we talk feelings, and we also learned a few things about Inmotep, which um, we're starting to get very scared now as a party except for Daniel who plays Imhotet because, you know, he knows what he wants to do, but the rest of us are kind of like, uh, how you doing there, bud? How's the tiger poster? It's not a tiger poster anymore. And that concerns us. It still concerns can I, us. Can I say one of my favorite things from, from the episode was actually, um, last week's episode, mm. not, not this past week, but the week before where I, I guess I've been thinking about this for a long time where, you know, Dan does, has this moment where he, you know, Dan, your D your, your dungeon master. Um, dungeon master. Yes. Um, where he has this moment where in the middle of you guys talking to Onks and the moon, he just goes, don't mind me. Just going to roll the D 20. <laughs> and everyone's like, hey, hang on. We're minding. What? <laughs> and that yeah. was very funny. There is a reason why there is merchandise and like t-shirts, mugs, and a whole bunch of other things that have the phrase, if the DM is smiling, it's already too late. <laughs> you just know some bad shit is about to happen when the DM rolls some dice, they start smiling. Oh, you know shit's about to hit the fan in one way, shape, or form, because it's never a good sign with the DM. And the worst part is, since we record this over, we record D and Dark over Discord, we can't see each other's facial expressions, so we don't know when our DM is smiling or not. So when we hear Dan say, I'm just going to roll a D100, all of us just say, pause. What do you mean you're rolling a D100? Why? Very good. And since he's the dungeon master, he doesn't have to tell us jack squat. Um, But that show is still going on, and I'm really happy for you to have it. It's very funny. Um, If you had not listened to D&D Dark, um, I I think I speak for everyone on this podcast, not just Ben, who's on it, that it is a worthwhile listen and that you should. And as someone who is is on it, I say, do it. Don't do that, Sparks. The audio people can't see that you did that. What do you do? I missed it. <laughs> he just he just went. Hmm. Uh... <laughs> Me. <Man. laughs> He's just messing. I know he likes the show. 
Um, right. So finally, uh, on the links below is the uh, WGA strike um, uh, homepage. Um, I said that I was going to leave that linked below, and I will. Um, maybe not for as long as the strike is going, because who knows how long that'll be, and I might forget. But for as long as I remember, uh, that'll be there. So if you want more information about the strike, about the WGA strike and things like that, please uh, check it out, how you can support the strike, how you can support the writers. Um, we all stand with the WGA. We are for this, this strike. We are, we are, we think this is a worthwhile fight. So, uh, we hope you do too. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Who wants to go first of the week? I'll go do it. So my week this week, as you guys know, went back to work. Not a big fan of it. Um, I had a friend's wedding, my old roommate, uh, Jax, his, he got married this week, but unfortunately I got sick again and it sucked. And I hate getting sick because this because this was the type of sick where it hits me with a fever, chills. I'm just knocked on my ass. I don't want to move anywhere. I'm having those horrible reoccurring sick dreams where it's the same damn thing over and over and over again. That feels like it goes on for hours. But when you wake up, only an hour goes by. Hmm. I went through that for like three days straight and i was super upset about it because it involved me making the decision that i visit him because i haven't seen him in a while and i had this really really cute thing i got for him from jurassic valley that i've been dying to give it to you and i have to wait till you get back from canada to give it to you so damn you sickness sorry sounds like uh you're describing my wednesday oh yeah you got yeah no like literally my wednesday <laughs> <laughs> no because yeah you were saying you got sick too and it's just it just yeah being especially because i got sick right before my big hawaii trip thankfully i was fine during and now i get back and i get hit with another one uh, i mean once again the the big the big silver lining was i didn't have to go to work for another day the bad news was is i went to my friend's wedding and i was essentially suffering i couldn't really enjoy his wedding but it was still a beautiful wedding beautiful venue i'm just bummed i couldn't stay as long as i wanted to besides that media wise um, video game wise, obviously Tears of the Kingdom came out. I haven't gotten it. I did watch um, Sparks' sister-in-law play some of it when I went to go pick up my copy of Fallen of Jedi Survivor today. Looks gorgeous. Can't wait till I get my own copy in my hands. Um, really, I just I've been playing Mega Man Battle Network as a bit of a comfort game just to get through me being sick. But mm -hmm. other than that, um, my house has fallen in love with the Owl House. My roommate started watching it of so about a week and a half ago now my fiance is watching it and i'm watching it with her and they absolutely love it and it just makes me super excited because i remember when i was watching the show by myself i didn't really know whether or not i should try and introduce them i didn't know how they take it because while it is it's a disney channel show it's still it's still a kid show but a very well done and very well made kid show um or just a great show in general don't know why i call it a kid show it's still a fantastic show fantastic piece of television they love it it is fantastic. We just got to the big reveal of who um, uh, Bellos really is. And it was... Uh, so we're really deep in season two. And I am just... The whole time like I hear my fiance and our roommate talking about Owl House, I'm just sitting there going, I know all, but I must not spoil. Because the revelations that come up, especially later on in season two, which I'm going to keep quiet because my fiance just walked right in front of me is in the room. So I got to be very careful what I say. It's, it just makes me happy because this is a show I fell in love with um, due to Sparks' recommendation. I absolutely adore the show. I will sing the praises of the Owl House on high now that the rest of my housemates are also in love with the show. It just makes me even happier. And I, it, I'm i just glad to... It's a great excuse to rewatch the Owl House again, but also rewatch it with my family. So 
that that has been very nice. That's exciting. Oh yeah, yeah man, that's awesome. Sparks, uh, oh Ben, are you done? Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much my week. Sparks, you want to go next? Oh sure. Um, not to give too much more time to the weekly advertisements for D and Dark, but I'm caught up on the show. That's it. Um, no, it's good. You should go listen to it. We say it every week. Um, go listen to Ben's other other work and the work of other talented individuals. Oh, excuse me. Speaking of Jedi Survivor, sorry, sounds. That's okay. Speaking of Jedi Survivor, um, I played a fair chunk this week. Um, not as much as I would have liked to, but uh, more than I got to the week before. So that's a plus. Uh, I'll mark that as a plus. I went to more than a single planet this week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. Oh, that's good. Good job. <laughs> Great job. We love it. Speaking of video games, been playing. I played another game. I played a little bit of. Uh, ko city oh, with the yeah. boys up above we did me do that we did that um we did that also i played some more fortnite too damn it it's okay you don't have to bring everything up every yeah, time i don't bring up everything i do um no nah, but the the ko city was a fun was fun bit though because the three of us haven't played ko city together in a long time yeah what? i really i was really happy we got to yeah, it was good. Um, we've been recording our KO City sessions, so they will be up on Basement Arcade in the near future um, when I have enough time to actually put that together. But my dedicated, like, focus editing that isn't, like, timed release, this must be out kind of stuff is the real score because I'm behind. Right. Um, so, anyway, KO City. That was fun. Love playing with these guys. Um, I started Sweet Tooth. When I say I started Sweet Tooth, I watched one episode of season two, so I started Sweet Tooth. I'm only a two it's... episode then. How are you? What? I well, we stopped watching it for a minute. I know, but then you were watching another episode the other day, and that that's like the only other time you've watched Sweet Tooth. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're also watching Doctor Who and Moon Girl, and okay, okay, um, I get it. Yeah, one episode of Sweet Tooth. Uh, the show's just as good as it was last season. Very happy about it. Yeah. Um, Yellow Jackets. You've heard Ryan talk about it. Oh, you started now, it. Now I'm on the journey as well with the rest wow. of my household. Um, we're two episodes in, but um, believe the hype. That's awesome. Believe the hype, my friends. That's it's awesome. very good. It's a great it's really cast. Good, yeah. Um, then... <sighs> what? The only other major thing I did that I think is worth talking about even for a moment, uh, is I put a rather decent amount of hours into catching up on The Flash. Oh, really? Um, yes. I didn't finish the previous season. I've talked about this before. I was catching up, and then I kind of dropped off. Well, I finished the previous season this week. Um, I haven't started this season. At this point, I've decided I don't want to deal with the CW app um, with commercials and everything. So I'm just going to wait for this season to end, which is two weeks, and then go to Netflix. And then I will watch this last season of The Flash uh, without commercials. Right. Makes sense. But so I finished I finished the previous season. So now I'm all caught up on the Arrowverse, aside from having finished Black Lightning, which I didn't do. But otherwise, I'm there. Mm -hmm. um, oh, oh, no. Oh, boy, guys. <laughs> 
That show used to be so good. <laughs> I was watching a clip. I was watching a clip earlier of um, Savitar, I think. Um, or no, it was it was season two. It was it was it was the it was the evil Jay Garrick. <coughs> um, and I was watching it. And I was like, oh shit! And like they're doing like they were like running and, and things. I was really excited. I was like, oh shit! Right? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, pretty good. I remember. Uh, those were the good old days. <laughs> I mean, Gorilla uh, Grodd fought King Shark, and it looked awesome. It yeah. did. I, I, I do want to. A... I do want to acknowledge real quick, Mag, in the chat. Um, finally watched the first two Rambo movies. I've never seen those, so good on you. Um, I've never seen. And watched uh, MK Snowblind. We're actually two behind on the Mortal Kombat's. We do need to catch up on them. That that'll be happening probably sometime this year. It's on my list. I'm one behind. Uh, Just I've watched the Battle of the Realms. You son of a bitch. Sorry, um, I liked it. You son of a bitch. Um. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, and the other thing that I'll bring up is uh, what Meg said, the uh, Unicorn Warriors Eternal. I almost watched that this week, uh, but I did not. Um, but I do want to. I want to get on that. Me too. Uh, for those who need a reminder, that's the new Tartakovsky series. Right. Um, okay. Anyway, back to The Flash. Uh, <laughs> okay. All I really want to, I don't, I don't need to turn this into a whole thing. The only thing I really want to focus on is two things. Um, first is, uh, you know, the Diggle thing, right? Um, the, will he, won't he be a green lantern? Mm-hmm. Um, they resolved it last season in the flash. Um, he finally he's basically we find out that he's been spending the past two years in their canon since uh oliver died trying to get the box open again because the first time he wasn't ready for it but he can't ignore the voices inside and so he goes to eobard thon of all people uh the harrison wells eobard thon who doesn't have his speed anymore because barry took it and robbed him of being the negative speed force avatar which is actually turns out to be like the whole crux of what's going on that season blah 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 um but he's on lian yu in a secure facility and so diggle goes there and he's like i think you might be the only one who can help me get this box open and eobard's like ah okay as long as i get to know what's inside and he's like yes great help me and so in doing that speech, Diggle gives this whole thing where he's like, I've avoided my family for the past two years. I haven't seen them as much. I've been away from home. I've been doing da 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 da, da as I've adventured from every show uh, for a single episode on this arc of trying to get the box open, including Superman and Lois, I'll remind you, which is no longer Arrowverse canon because they don't know what they're doing over there. And they never did. <laughs> um, <laughs> after Crisis, everything became a mess. Yeah. Well. So I say that I say that all to say to say this. What do you guys think happened? I uh, saw this clip. <clears throat> well, okay, Brandon can't answer. Yeah, I can't then answer. Then what do you think happened? Uh, do you think he became a Green Lantern? Part of me just wants to open a box and say, John Diggle of Earth, you have great will. Welcome <laughs> to the Green Lantern Corps. I know that's not what they did. They did something really dumb. Tell me what they did. Okay, so like he opens the box and and like they show a bunch of different, like very beautiful HD um uh, stock footage of the galaxy as uh, Diggle is looking into it and contemplating his decision. And then he throws the box and he rejects it and it disappears, this cube. Um, and he rejects it because he's like, the thing I really need to do is be with my family. And I can't, I can't do what this box is asking me to do and be with my family. Now there's two things about that. One, 
They never even actually show that it's a Green Lantern ring. They never even directly connotate the fact that it's Green Lantern. So the thing that's so stupid to me is that they spent years toying with the fans about John Diggle being a Green Lantern. And like, there's no question that's what they were going for because there's one episode where someone from a different Earth encountered John during this whole thing and said, John, you're not wearing your ring. Um, So we knew this was what they were trying to do. And they just like full tilt went, nah. I I really thought, I was like, you know, we're nearing the end of the Arrowverse. You could just, so here's the other ring. They did this because A, they thought the Flash might get canceled at this point. Um, And so they wanted to tie this arc out because they knew it would be the end of the Arrowverse. Uh, And two, because they still thought Justice U might be a thing. Both those thoughts were existing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had to prime him for Justice U. And John Diggle can't be a Green Lantern and do Justice U. And I was like, well, why were we ever even doing Justice U, guys? (laughs) Like, what? Why? So that series that will never exist, that's pretty much the main reason why they decided, you know, that whole idea we were leading up to and playing with for two years in the show and like four years in production. Nah. <laughs> That's so unbelievably stupid. Um, that actually upsets me. I mean, I thought the Arrowverse couldn't upset me anymore, but surprise, surprise, it did. Uh, all right. Random question. Like when Diggle first, un- like when he opened the box the first time, was there this big blinding green light coming yeah. from it to, yeah. uh, of course there was. That's still what it is, but you well, never yeah. see the ring. They, it was the end of Crisis, right? Like when, when, we, when yeah. we first see the box. Yeah. Yeah, the mm-hmm. box he opens it and like this green light shows up. And I was like, we did it, guys. He's going to he's gonna be Green, green Lantern. Lantern. Oh, just give him Whatever. Just, okay, one last thing. Um, this season was very stupid um, when it got to its ending. I, I liked some stuff that was happening in the middle, but when we got to the end of it, like, first off, like Iris... Iris gets like abducted into the still force and Barry and her father both are like, they, they have like a vague knowledge that she's at least okay wherever she is, but they can't find her. And they're like, that's fine. We'll just kind of focus on other things. AKA go about life completely as usual until that rears its head again. (laughs) Interesting. Which was me kind of being like, What's going on? Why have we spent two seasons where we've kind of written Iris out of the plot for like several episodes at a time? She probably just um, doesn't want to be on it. I think it's actually much more the opposite that Candace Patton has been like a very strong, like I don't, I don't love her uh, performance necessarily as Iris, but it would, I would be lying to say that I don't admire her like activism for the diversity on the Arrowverse mm-hmm. and the fact that she pushes for better representation of that. And I think she's gotten backlashed on that. Um, I think the same thing happened with Javica Leslie and they both had conversations about it online. Interesting. Um, neither here nor there right now, but like, it's weird. So, um, this season, so last season was kind of done this whole representation of the forces and like, they ended up being the babies, not literally, but like they consider themselves the children of Barry and Iris at this point. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> so there's the negative forces, this version, like literally the thing that I thought was so bad about last season turns out at the end of the season, they're going to bring it back full force, have all those performers come back who played the forces who I didn't care for very much the first time, except one of them and now make them 
play bad versions of themselves because they're the negative still force. They're the negative force version of themselves. And so they're doing that and they've been pulling the strings all season. (sighs) Anyway, they have this whole plot because like Barry, this, I don't mind as much what I'm about to say, but Barry used uh, his abilities in the, in the early part of the season to rob uh, Eobard of the negative still force for good. So he had no more speed. Turns out he was the avatar of the negative still like speed force. So they were very upset about it. And they're like, we have to recreate our avatar. So the way that they do that back, back all the way up. If you remember when I talked about legends in the, in its last season, I told you that um, the captain love from mask of Zorro version of Eobarthon, the real face Eobarthon. Yeah. His uh, flashpoint variant that had been battling the legends had been eaten by a time wraith and then sent to a fixed point in time right before World War One to protect it and became a good guy and then sacrificed himself. That all happened with the legends. We did talk about this briefly when I was watching it because I thought yes. it was cool. Turns out the time wraiths were so proud of him for sacrificing himself, they gave him a second chance at life. So he's been living for a year in Central City falling in love with a woman. But the negative forces have been manipulating him and they're going to bring back the proper Harrison Wells Eobarthon to full power through him as a conduit. So he literally Ultrons himself out of the Captain Love Eobarthon. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm not. <laughs> that's, man, that's just stupid. Okay, so he like rips off Captain Love Eobard's face and the Harrison Wells face comes through but already masked up. Like in... Yeah, like sure. A, like a xenomorph? No, like Ultron. Like, like Ultron, remember? Like, like a better me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like I said they should do for a, a Gideon and Thrawn. Right, okay. And like supposedly that's the last time we were ever going to get to see like the true Eobard. Except I know for a fact he's in this last season, so I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know, guys. Whatever. Um... <laughs> Remember Tom Felton was in that show? I'm glad that, man, wild. Um, I'm glad that show's coming to a conclusion. Uh, I'm glad they didn't feel the need to drag it out to a 10th season. I truly hope they can stick something special in the landing, like something that really harkens back to, like, what was great about Flash in the get-go. I'm not confident about it, but but, but it could happen. Sure. I, I do think, like, the kind of, like, it sounds to me from everything I picked up from people who are watching it because the last four episodes are all like four part finale and it is a finale for the flash. And we've kind of already done what was a finale for the Arrowverse because we've had people from the other shows show up and kind of do like a no, no, no. And it's over. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's your Arrowverse update guys is uh, uh I One have time. several I have several questions, but at the same time I know those questions are not gonna get good answers, so I'm not gonna bother asking them. Don't worry about it. Um I remain staunch listeners and friends that the show you need to watch is Legends of Tomorrow. I'm very glad that it went around on Twitter trending. I'm sorry, can because... you guys can you guys I'm sorry, hold on. I'll be right Ooh. back. Ooh. Do we do we just like hold entirely or No, you keep going, I'll just be right back. Oh, okay, okay, got you. Okay, listeners and friends, I remain staunch in Legends of Tomorrow. Gotta watch that show. It's worth it. 
It's weird. It's wacky. It's fun. You're going to like it. Um, the writer's strike has brought people out talking about the writing on Legends of Tomorrow in a positive way and being like, wait, this show turned into this? And I'm like, yes, absolutely, 100%. It's worth it. <laughs> I don't know, Ben. Brandon left, and he's the one who's got to tell us about his week, so why don't you ask me a question? Um, I, oh, God. <laughs> Part of me just... Remember when the Arrowverse was good? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like... If you're watching certain pockets, it stayed good, like Supergirl, Black Lightning, Legends got better kind of thing. Um, but man, remember when the Flash was good? Yeah. Remember when, when remember when everybody agreed the Flash was the best of them? I do. That, that just ain't true. I remember like man, there was like such the Arrowverse or just like the DC shows in general were put in such high regard and then just like dominoes they just kept falling one after another and not yeah. to say that they're still i mean i once again i haven't watched superman and lois i've been wanting to oh yeah that's a big, that's a great show but technically not the arrowverse anymore so like you know yeah technically not the arrowverse anymore and i actually oh, haven't wanted to catch up on supergirl i just feel like now especially since their network television shows seeing that tw- I don't know if it's like Netflix or even HBO or other types of television that's ruined me, but when I see a 22 season runtime and each show or each episode is 45 plus minutes long, kind of turns me away now. Can well, I say the, I'm the opposite? Well, that's the, yes, you can um, real quick. Just that's the thing though, Ben, like uh, flash hasn't been a full 22 in the past two seasons. Hmm. And then uh, black lightning legends and, um, Superman and Lois. Superman and Lois. They've never been 22. And they're also the better shows. Honestly, Ben, on that, I'm tired of these short run times because I actually don't think they use the these streaming shows are using that real estate well anymore. I think it depends Um, on who you're talking about. Oh, for sure. Like Star Trek Picard, I think could have easily been two more episodes and it would have been better. I think even Strange New Worlds, which is uh, which is more of a more, more of kind of a standalone episode uh, standalone uh stories per episode which is great 10 episodes is far too short um i'm kind of getting to the point where like i i uh, yeah you know, it's kind of what these writers are, are are part of the demand part of these demands are like we want guaranteed run times for these seasons and i'm with them like this is this is it's kind of getting ridiculous. These short seasons, yeah, we're having a lot more budget, uh, we're having bigger budget, shorter shorter seasons. But there's just not a lot of these people can write these these shorter seasons. Well, and it's not a blanket rule, right? And like I get the I get the writer's point. Like the, I'm not saying the 22 episode season should ever go away, but it does depend on the show we're talking about, right? Like Strange right. New Worlds and Superman and Lois can look as good as they do because they're able to bring their budget down to a select amount of episodes. And, and for those shows looking good does matter. Um, And then, and then there's other shows where like, you know, you can, you can go out and it's not, it's not tilting on the budget as much to stretch your episodes out. When quantum leap was when quantum leap was, I don't quantum leap wasn't 20 episodes. It was like, I think it was like 15, 16, but when it was like that, I was like, Oh, thank God. Like I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm going to charge a quality 22 episodes. Oh, like, Yes. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we, we, sorry, Ben, you, you have a thought. So get it out, please. I probably should have specified because I remember when I was, was trying to get into Supergirl and I saw like when Supergirl was first brought to Netflix, it was like, Hey, for season is on Netflix. 
and I saw it was like a 22 episodes. And for some reason, when I started watching, I was like, I just don't want to. When I was watching Supergirl, not to say that I thought it was a bad show, I'm just like, I don't want to put in the work because there were others at the time when Supergirl. No, this was years ago. Things might have changed. Things, if you were to have me watch Supergirl again, I might have changed my mind. But at the time, there was just other stuff on my watch list that I wanted to take priority of that was, can I take, would I rather tackle the shows that are that are shorter seasons but have more stuff and then stick with one show for X amount of time? Here's the here's the issue, though. Here's the thing. Um, it's not it's not. It's not the season. It's not the season. It's the fact that and we've talked about that. We've talked about this. It's the reason why so many streaming shows are canceling so many shows. There's just too much. And so mm-hmm. a 10 episode show, what you're talking about isn't the fault of a 22 episode show. If that's the only show on TV that you're watching, what do you care? But it's not. You're watching 15 other TV shows at the same time. And that's the real problem is that there's way too much out there. We're inundated with content all the time. Last year, the last two years, there was a Marvel show almost every single week. Yep. And that's that's an issue. That's the issue, in my opinion. Oh, good. It might not be your might not be your issue, but that's my issue. Is that there's just too much out there that are taking is taking away time from everything else. It's why so many Netflix shows are being canceled because. They're not there. Netflix isn't putting in the marketing because what do they care? Next week, they got they got something else coming out that costs just as much, if not more. Right. Right. I don't know. I don't know if that statement. I I think there's an amount of right to everything that you guys have said, but like it's not a, you know, one size doesn't fit all here. Yeah. Um, It depends on the network. It depends on the streamer. It depends on the studio. It depends on the genre of television. Um, Like. Nothing that we're saying, nothing on HBO falls under what we're talking about. Sure. It's entirely different. Like that doesn't even, the streamers might've been born out of the HBO model, but HBO is pre that and everything they do works as far as their network, it works. Um, So like, you know, like it it really depends on, on who's running the house, what the goal is, that kind of thing. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of levels to this. What I will say real quick, because we're talking about, you know, writers, 22 episode seasons. The problem that I've encountered with the Arrowverse shows, because I have watched almost all of the 713 episodes that there are in the Arrowverse. (laughs) Um, Because I have done that, what I'll say is the problem with the Flash and Arrow specifically, and I'm a person who likes Smallville a lot um, and won't say that Smallville misses out on these problems, but I think Arrow and Flash had it worse. In the later seasons, part of the problem, this is also answering uh, your question, Grayson, um, is that the writers changed so frequently in the second half that I don't think that they ever really kept track of when they were repeating character beats or character arcs. So while you might have changed like the specifics, like the names and the circumstances, the general idea of what the characters are going through, we've seen it before with specifically these characters. And it's even worse if you're watching all the shows because then you've really seen it before because they're doing some of the same things at different points in time. Right. Um, but when you have the writers changing so frequently in the back half, this isn't a knock on them entirely. I don't blame them for this. They're not, if they're coming in that, that short and then swapping out that quick, it's not their job to know every detail of the show. Mm-hmm. But it is a noticeable problem that I saw happening a lot and I see it this last season that I just watched of the flash where I'm like, we've done this before. This character might not be named Cisco, 
but we've done this story with Cisco, and now we're doing it with the guy who's in the new Cisco role, but his <laughs> name isn't Cisco. And I'm like, we've done this. We've done this. Um, and when you start feeling like you're just kind of spinning the wheels and repeating things, it gets really hard to stay invested. All right. Good point. All right. Anything else? Yeah, I'm sorry, Mag. Um, what? What, Mag- what am I going to do with all to- this knowledge? It's 713 episodes, Mag. I've wasted yeah. my life. Ben, I, I, I am not seeing the comment section today at all. So you need to be on it. Um, Here's Mags. You're really going in deep with the Arrowverse. Yeah. <laughs> Grayson's question was just about the Flash. Did the series just go for too long? It mm. sounds like they ran out of ideas. Um, all right. Uh, anything else, Sparks? God, no. All right. Um, I finished Jedi Survivor. Um, not a hundred percent. I've still got plenty more to do. One of the things that I will say about this game is that they really amped up the post game stuff, which is great. Like when, when you're done with the story, there's still plenty more to explore. And I really like that. Um, I'll say that I'm a little disappointed in the story though. I don't think the story is as solid as it should be. And it's not as solid as everyone thinks it is. Um, I had, I had some, I had some grievances most notably is it's incredibly short. Um, if I can beat your game in a week, I'm not a gamer. It's short. <laughs> um, but outside of that, it's very fun. I love the gameplay. I love the customization options. It's a, it, in many ways, it is a, it is a drastic improvement from the first game. And I'll leave my, the rest of my thoughts for whenever we get to a review. I was about to say, I was about to say, don't give away the whole whole feast right here no i will um i've got notes i've got notes for the review so whenever that happens there is what going on jedi survivor there is one encounter i'm actually very much looking forward to and is it a spoiler it's just become a meme on the internet which one Mm -hmm. it involves a door technician oh yeah don't say yeah Uh, (coughs) uh brandon because you're complimenting the post game i just want to ask how much side quest journeying you did going through the story did you just skip it all entirely no i did a fair amount okay um i will say uh that it wasn't as spaced out as there's a reason why and it's not because the story was so compelling um but i did i did leave a fair amount to the end of the game um Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm like i'm putting that i'm i'm not knocking that like that was a choice that i made to just kind of go through the story as much as I could. But of course I did do post, I did do stuff, side quests and things like that throughout the game. Sure. I was just curious because like, I'm, I'm definitely like figuring out as I'm playing Jedi survivor, how, how many times I want to go down an Avenue and how many times I want to just move, move forward. Yeah. There's a specific reason that I don't want to get into because you're so early in the game and a lot of people haven't finished it that, um, I decided that I went through so much of the story, um, but I can't say it right now because it's kind no, of sure. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I forgot to mention I had a little bit of a show and tell real quickly. Um, as you guys know, I, I do. And I want to say this because, you know, as you guys know, I had, I had been I've been doing for about a year and a half, maybe longer, um, most definitely longer, actually um, doing fake nerds watch Star Trek episodes with uh, my friend, uh, friend of the show, Cookie from Just a Little Podcast. Um, he is, he had to, to step away from podcasting because he is having a child. Once again, congratulations. But he sent me a gift as a thank you. 
for for allowing him to be on the show, be on this family. And I just wanted to say thank you publicly. It is it is very bright, but it is a Star Trek Deep Space Nine number one uh, from uh, Malibu Comics. So it's old. It's an oldie. Uh, gold gold um, cover. It's beautiful. Um, I love it. I love Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's my favorite Star Trek show. Um, thank you, Cookie. Uh, you are you are missed already. Um, I miss I miss doing that show with him greatly. That's awesome. That is awesome. Cookies yeah. always in in our hearts, one way or another. It's true. Um, so yes, once again, thank you, Cookie. Um, I really miss doing Star Trek Picard with him. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, Cookie will I, be back one day. Everything no. comes back. Nothing's ever really over. Uh, I watched the Are You There God? It's me, Margaret. Um, which is the, the which stars um, the little the young girl who played Cassie Lang Abby, in the first two Abby Ryder Forston. Abby Ryder Forston. Really fun. Really funny. Um, such a unique experience for me. Having grown up with, you know, some really great, like, um, what ben you can't just bring it up you have to read what it says no no that that was sparks i did it i was waiting to get your attention at a good moment i just wanted you to know that mag gave you a vulcan hand sign oh thank you mag um it's uh so so yeah so i um so i you know we grew up with coming of age stories um they're most of most coming of age stories if not all are very male-centered even the ones that have a female main character often have um, prominent male love interests who are co-leads, if not if not, or or um, male mentor figures um, for for men to kind of latch onto, and 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 not so. And you know they're very they and a lot of them are directed by men, so they they have kind of a male um, skew a male skew to them. This film what's so wonderful about Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, and this is not unique to this film. I'm sure there are other coming of age stories that I've not seen. I know she. I know the director of this film did Edge of Seventeen. I had not yet to seen that. <coughs> um, I found it so interesting because this is this has no male view viewpoint at all. This is a a a primarily this is coming from the view of of women of a women of a woman coming of age story of a, of a little girl coming of age, and it's incredibly refreshing and it's incredibly funny. And even if, even though like I'll admit. It's not for me. It's not for men, I don't think. But there's, if you open yourself to it, there's a lot to love about it. A new perspective that you didn't have growing up and a new way of looking at things that I, I really liked. Um, it just so happens I did find a lot of it uh, relatable because her parents are Jewish and Christian. It's a, it's a Jewish father and a Christian mother. Mine is reverse. So I did find that. I found that part of the story relatable. So really good. I really liked it. It's good. And then finally, I'll talk about your name, which is so your name, period. This is the late. This is not the latest film. This is a couple of years ago. Um, the director who recently came out with Suzumi. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Makoto Shinkai, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's it. Makoto Shinkai. Um, he directed Suzumi this past year, which is an incredible movie. It's my favorite movie of the year, most likely. Um, I, I adore it. I love it. Uh, a couple of years ago, he made waves with your name. Um, and so I finally watched that. And I'm going to watch Weathering With You, which is the next, the next the film he did after that. 
uh it's incredible um i love him <laughs> really really into this director right now like it, he i've loved these fantastical slice of life um uh stories uh which are just on surface level like boy meets girl uh girl meets boy they kind of like each other oh boy has to save the world from a giant worm like it's like it's, it's, it's like super it's, it's like these these slice of life like stories about these two people and then there's a giant cosmic uh a uh, thing that is happening to them at the same time and it's really fun and it's really good and by the end you're just sobbing because you're, they're just so beautiful and the animation is gorgeous and it's just the this one I, I cannot gush about it enough. It, it's it's so good. Um, it look this movie came out in 2017. Many people saw it because it did really well in theaters. Um, so if you have seen it, then you know it is a great great movie, and I'm so happy I finally got a chance to see it. Yeah, it's it's not been a secret that these movies are quite popular. So, but yeah. I'm I'm glad you're coming to them. Me too. Yeah. I'm really excited to watch uh, Weathering with you now. Um, literally, what happened was like I need a good cry. I need a good cry. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I want to watch a. I want to watch a movie where I need a good cry, and I put and I put on your name. Whether we you will also do that because I saw that in a theater with a friend of mine, and yikes! When I say yikes, I don't mean in the bad way. I mean in the it will give you the feels. If oh no! It's goal- it's the kind of it's the kind of cry that we're like. Paddington 2 makes you cry. Like Paddington 2 makes yes. you cry, not because Paddington gets shot in the head. Um, <laughs> it makes you cry because uh, because it's it's wholesome and sweet and touching and you've been de- you've been living in this emotion and when it finally comes to a swell it, you can't hold it in anymore and yeah. what the strong one the two strongest emotions that we have are intense laughter and crying and when you feel those two one of those two oftentimes it it, it comes out as as tears and, that, and that's what this guy taps into which i think is really good yeah Grayson agrees it's the wholesome kind of cry Yes, it's the wholesome kind of cry. Exactly. That's my week, though. I got nothing else. Uh, shall we go into our bread and butter, then? I believe we shall bring Babs out. Um, all right. So, an update on the writer's strike. Nothing's happened. Um, well, I mean, things have happened. Obviously, we're talking about it. But, like, nothing... like it's looking like this isn't we're in this for the long haul. Um, but a number of productions have shut down uh, this week. Most specifically daredevil born again, shut down. Awesome. Happy about that. Star Trek strange new world season three shut down. That's okay. Only, only slightly sad that we're, we're at this world. I'm, I'm not sad at the writers for doing it. Cause I'm, I'm with you. I'm in solidarity. I'm sad that the uh, 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 studios forced this to happen. Um, Star Wars and or season two did not shut down production. However, last week we heard Tony Gilroy was still on set uh, performing his hyphenated duties. He is not anymore. He has stepped away from production altogether um, after a kind of big, there was like this big showrunner meeting where just the showrunners part of the WGA had and, and he was approached about him staying on and many of the showrunners were approached about staying on at, at doing their hyphenated producing duties and they all decided to and so when Tony Gilroy was had this discussion, he left production. So good on him. Uh, Mike Flanagan's The Dark Tower. Sparks, what were you going to say? 
Oh no, sorry, I did. That was an accidental click. Oh, okay. Um, Mike Flanagan's The Dark Tower uh, did not start hasn't which hasn't started filming, but they they finally cracked the story a day before the writer strike happened. And Mike Flanagan's like, well, <laughs> we're we're not you're not getting our scripts. <laughs> so that's fun. The Last of Us season three, hmm, nope, season two, um, uh, is not is uh, has paused. It, it wasn't filming. It was casting, but they're not doing anything until until they can get um, the deal. And Seth MacFarlane has shut down both American Dad and Family Guy. That's a big one. That's huge. Right. It's really important because, like, I know you guys know this, but I'm saying it for anyone who's listening who might not. Like, the writers with the WGA do not cover the writers in animation. Um, so this was this is an act of solidarity, the fact that the, the writing staffs from these shows are stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is further, like, very much pushing, like, I'm hoping we're going to see the animation writers be able to do something uh, after this is settled um, yeah. because Lord, their situation has long been worse. Oh yeah. They need uh, to... Now granted, like the live action writing is a much larger industry, but it doesn't change the fact that the animation writers need their help too. Well, we're looking at um, the, the, the DGA and the, um, and the SAG SAG. Um, they're not SAG. Act, the Actors Guild and the Directors Guild, whatever the... Um, yes, Screen Actors Guild, SAG. Screen Actors Guild, right, so SAG. So SAG and the DGA, their contracts mm-hmm. are coming up soon too, and we could start yes. seeing a multiple strike happen. General strike. General strike. General strike. <laughs> yeah. Andy Patinkin was out there and said general strike. He did, and I agree. Honestly. I agree too. <laughs> honestly, like, Yeah. <laughs> This this is this it's it, this is bad for everyone. It's just not these tech companies that have come into the studio space are have 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 just ruined the system uh, for these people, and it needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some cancellations. Now, none of this is due to the writer strike. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're out of the writer strike segment. This is this is this is just kind of general TV stuff. None of this is. Due to the writer strike, it's very important to say so because what happened was the CW uh, was bought by another company. Yes, Sparks. I sorry, I wanted to before we leave the writer completely behind and say like you, know, sure. you went through a list of of productions that were shut down. I just want to say like it's great that it's those productions. These are big names. This is going to put more pressure, and that's really what we want. We all want more pressure on the studio so that they uh, come to the table with actual negotiations faster. Right. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, strikes are supposed to be disruptive. That's the point of a strike is to be disruptive. And and when you are they've been hoping they can ride on the coattails of, you know, we've got things in the can for a while. And that's how they're hoping to outlast the writers. Like they've been pretty public that that's their Zaslav especially has been out there, like pretty confident that they can get away with that. But when you're putting House of the Dragons next season uh, or um and or daredevil born again these big things uh in jeopardy then the conversation starts to get a little more closer to happening i agree it'd be interesting to see so okay so the cw back to what i was saying the cw was bought by another company it was no longer co-owned by wb and cbs um and uh they want to make the they want to make um the cw the new company i forget what they're called next star I think Some, something like that. Yeah. 
they want to make the CW profitable. The CW has been operating at a loss for a, for a very long time. Uh, they sell Warner Brothers and CBS sold shows to, C, to the CW for cheap. And uh, it had nothing to do with the budget. It's just that that was just that was just the deal that they made with CW is that these shows would be able to operate at a loss. Um, so um, the, so the, da, 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 so the network wants to get these, wants to get uh, um, profitable. The new, the new channel wants to get the CW profitable in order to do so. They're going to focus more on unscripted and lower cost scripted programming, um, primarily international acquisitions and slash co-productions um, which basically means they're going to pay peanuts for whatever they can. Which we've heard before. We heard this when they got bought and we knew that like the WB was losing most of its control over CW. Yeah. Um, we, we knew this was coming. Yeah. Um, off the back of this, a uh, couple of things have been canceled. Kung Fu, the, 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 the walkers, uh, no, walker. No. The Walker, not the Walker Texas Ranger got renewed, or yeah. sorry, Walker, but the prequel series got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so the Winchesters was um, canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Jensen Ackles uh, has launched hashtag Save the Winchesters, and WB is looking for a new home for it. I just, I just, Jensen Ackles seems like such a smart, talented guy. I don't know why he wants to stay locked to this franchise that has long overstayed its welcome maybe he's scared as good well didn't they like isn't it like he's a in new the universe? boys i know but isn't like he's isn't like the winchester's in a new universe man i don't even want to get into it i just did arrowverse <laughs> shit i can't <laughs> i can't do this because there was an episode floating around where jensen eckles met his parents i said i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> anyway um yeah so the winchester is canceled wb is going to try to sell it somewhere else um superman and lois and gotham knights are in question but gotham knights might actually get renewed because it's dirt cheap to produce i can't believe that gotham knights is got enough of a viewership that they are going to keep it on but whatever i don't care that show got that show's popular i don't care like I was shocked. People like that show. People people are allowed to have <laughs> terrible taste sometimes. <laughs> um, if if Superman and Lois does get canceled, it's likely that HBO Max will just take it. I I figured so. Yeah, at least for a last season. But we we also heard a while back that it it was probably getting sunset sunset for one more season, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. Like I'm sure it will get one last season, whether that's with CW or not. And that'll be it. Of the two DC shows, uh, Superman and Lois and Gotham Knights, Superman and Lois is the more expensive one. It's very expensive to produce. Obviously, it looks incredible. Yeah. Um, So they, um, so it it would probably benefit them to, for HBO Max just to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, Netflix canceled the show called Lockwood and Company. And I only want to bring this up because this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, so Lockwood and Company is a show that Joe Cornish created, uh, which is based off a book series. Um, he directed it. He created it. It's He put it up on Netflix, and Netflix canceled it after one season, despite doing very well in viewership and um, getting incredibly, incredible, incredible reviews. Now, I want to ask the two of you, Sparks, I think, probably would have heard of it, but did either of you hear of the show? 
Yes, I've heard of it. Um, so that's kind of the thing where like it goes back to like Netflix. There's a serious problem with how Netflix produces their shows. They put in a lot of money into these shows. No mark don't they don't market it hardly ever, if if at all. And they cancel them after a week. I don't understand that business model. You know, like this, this is all wrapped up in the same thing that the writers are are mainly like a big pro- problem that they're highlighting and why they have to do the strike and everything is because Netflix doesn't share its data. And because Netflix never shared its data, everybody else went, we don't have to share our data. Yeah. Um, and And that causes a lot of questions because like, you know, the viewership is high, you know, that the popularity is there. So like, what is the... It, it could be something even along the lines of like something as stupid as um, remember why Swamp Thing got canceled way back when so it tax, was because it was because it was because where they were filming, they were given the wrong number for the tax rebate they were going to get for filming there. And when they found out that it was like a 30 million dollar difference, they canceled the show immediately. Right. right. Um, and that's the only reason Swamp Thing hadn't even aired like they canceled it. Or, or like it had aired a, a single episode. I don't remember, but I remember it was one of those two things. It was it was just getting going. Um, and they canceled it, and that was the only reason. And th- there could be... Uh, I'm not saying this is every Netflix cancellation, but sometimes it can be something this stupid, right? Right. Um, like, we don't know, and we don't have the data, so we can't understand. But it is confusing when shows we know are popular and that Netflix lauds and that get Emmy nominations. This is the same thing we talked about with... Um, uh oh god i just watched the show and talked about it like week after week um the baseball one oh major league, oh, league of their thank own thank you league thank of you. their own league of their own um uh this is the same thing with league of their own right where they're like why why is this getting canceled because that doesn't really make sense with the you know they like what are the viewership numbers on this but like it's getting huge uh popular like responses critically that amazon is sharing and toting around and emmy nominations that Amazon totes around and then canned. That doesn't. And then make it sense. was it was re- it was was this rumor that it was focus groups that said they didn't like it. Um, yeah, I don't know how substantiated that is. Uh, right. I I think that is a big part of it. But like again, who knows, right? But like these right. things don't add up with the like product that you put out there. And so and like you look at something like confusing. you look recently, Sandman fought like fought for renewal, and Sandman was number one for three weeks. And that was a huge, expensive show to produce and a uh, license from Warner Brothers. And Netflix dragged their feet on that on that on that renewal. And it looked like it was going to get canceled before it, it did get renewed. It's long, long been a problem in the industry when uh, you are trapped in a way where being the most successful thing on the platform still isn't good enough. It's not, yeah. it's not safety. It's not a guarantee of success. Yeah. Well, hopefully this writer's strike allows this sort of thing to change. Um, you know, yeah. this kind of goes back to um, Babysitter's Club also, which I, I wrote an article about Babysitter's Club. Did incredibly well, super cheap to produce. Why was it canceled? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, so anyway, Comics. Comics. Even while there, even while there was a writer strike going on, comic books still continue. Those are different writers. They are indeed. in some regards. In some regards, but some writers are some comic book writers are the WGA, and right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jean Grey is getting a new comic series, a new ongoing comic book series, uh, part of the Fall of X. Um, this is going to be a, a solo comic book series written by Louis, Louis Simonson with art by Bernard Chang. Um, and it's going to be... Th- so the quick synopsis is, throughout this period of turmoil, Jean Grey, the heart of the X-Men, holds the key to rescue human rescue mutant kind sorry excuse me but first she'll need to go on a journey alone into the darkest periods of her history it's basically what's about either way, say anything more would kind of spoil what's going on next one right now right um i wish ryan were here to talk about it but i'm, I'm happy about it this is good yeah. stuff good this, x-men this keep is also, on doing it this is also for ryan <laughs> Um, which is Captain America finale is coming. Um, Jackson Lansing and Colin uh, Kelly, who have been writing one of the ongoing uh, Captain America ones, a Captain America series, um, are going to end their run. So Captain America is coming to an end after the Cold War event wraps up and this one shot comes out. Um, And this will be out in August. So yeah, that's that's that. Um, Yeah, so it's it's the end of this... Uh, era, but not the end of their run with Captain America. They're apparently still doing more with the character. Well, they said good. They said we're saying goodbye to Captain America. Yeah. So they so they said they're so it in the press release that I read from Marvel because I read this thing twice because I wasn't sure because you're right it wasn't clear the initial announcement but the, but the press release is pretty definitive that they aren't that this is their swan song they're not going to keep writing this this title. Interesting. I've seen different things on Twitter, so I don't know. So I don't know. So like I I like you're right like. They even said, like Jackson Lansing, uh, even said, like I'm, you know, I'm sad to say goodbye to to Captain America and blah blah blah, which could mean they're transitioning to another character. Could mean they're transitioning to another. They are. They were just announced for. They are going to be doing another book though, for Marvel. Thor. Oh, it sounds like they're doing Thor. Hmm. So maybe they're moving from Captain America to Thor. Um, yeah. By all accounts, this has been a really strong run. So. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, this that'll be out in August. Um, Trinity to wrap up the comic book news with Trinity, um, written by Tom King with art by Daniel uh, Sampier. Uh, if you know, if you if you recognize that, that is the team who is taking over the Wonder Woman ongoing comic, starting with Wonder Woman number eight hundred. Their story in Wonder Woman number eight hundred will introduce Diana's daughter from 20 years in the future called mm-hmm. Trinity. You know, I won't lie. When I saw the Trinity bit, I didn't read anything past that until I did. Cause my th- first song was like, wait, Trinity written by Tom King, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman book. Hell yeah. Let's go. Oh, never mind. Still looks good. Still sounds good though. I mean, Tom King hasn't really missed. I mean, to be honest, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't read a lot of Tom King in a long time. Well, basically, Basically, this this will be an important character going forward in in their Wonder Woman run. Um, nice. So people are pretty mixed on it because the Wonder Woman has been given a child before, and apparently uh, the other Wonder Woman characters are meant to play a role in Tom King's run. So that's cool. Wait, Wonder Woman had a kid before. There's been a few times where they've introduced like a a, a kid for Wonder Woman. Those characters never last though. Hmm. So. Um. I think at one point Donna Troy was 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 supposed to be her kid, her actual kid, but then they retconned that, or the other way. I don't remember yeah, how that went. 
The only one that comes to my mind was is Jonathan, but that comes out of the Kingdom Come universe. Yeah, so um, th- there are various moments in Wonder Woman history where she has been given a kid, but again, yeah. it's never it never lasts, and it's never meant it's never a long thing, and oftentimes the kid either doesn't make it or is revealed not to actually be her kid. Right. Okay. So that's ha- that's happened before. But yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Streaming news. Streaming. A lot of streaming talk today. Holy crap, you're right. Disney Plus. Oh boy. Had a big news. Are you looking at my sheet? Maybe. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Disney Disney Plus. I feel like I just caught you cheating off my off my work. <laughs> um, Disney is going to create uh, I forgot about this. <laughs> all right. So Disney is going to create a quote one app experience this comes from the q2 earnings call and sounds like because this isn't clear no one's no one's clear at what the hell this is it sounds like they will continue to offer hulu disney plus and espn as separate as three separate streaming platforms but they will also allow hulu and e- they will also collect hulu and espn content on Disney Plus. So you'll have one. Oh, I think I just got it. I think, I think, I think it's if you have purchased the bundle, you don't have to go through different apps anymore. You can just go to Disney Plus. Mm. Now that makes sense. That's what it this sounds like. I believe yeah. it's I believe it's even a little more complicated, possibly, that if you purchase a bundle, you will have a separate app that you are logging into that oh. combines them. But the UI for this might not be as complicated as we think because it's important to remember that internationally, Disney Plus has a lot of Hulu stuff. Right. And um, because there's the the star or whatever it is that stands in for Hulu, because Hulu is very, very American, yeah. but all these shows, how they get out internationally. So I think that it's like, kind of blending the ui that exists for that right that's a good point um there so um this also comes up that they are still debating whether or not they're going to purchase um uh comcast stake in hulu so if you remember a long time ago before disney bought everything um hulu was owned by four companies fox uh disney universal and comcast and when disney bought fox they acquired the the share and so they owned 50 percent basically a little bit more and then and then um not comcast warner brothers sold their share to disney so they owned the majority of hulu and comcast made a deal that said we will sell it to you at this in january 2024 when our contract is up but you have to allow us to keep putting stuff on there until then disney at this point is not sure if they're going to do that though so it sounds like, and they can't shut down Hulu, which also I think was something that Bob Iger mentioned he might do, um, if they, if uh, if they don't do that. So we'll see where that goes. I mean, having one place where if like if you have the bundle and if you have like everything in all one app, that is actually the easiest way to go if you think about it. Like if you do sure. have the bundle. If you do I mean, I don't. I don't have Hulu for Disney only stuff. only if the UI is functional enough, right? Yeah. Because right. like Disney Plus is a very well designed app as it is. Hulu's mm-hmm. not bad. It's not my favorite, but it's not bad. And uh, ESPN is fine. 
It it could be better. If I'm being honest, um, I don't want to talk about sports. Um, <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. I no 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 no. Um, but if the UI isn't like clean and well suited, like you know everything being, it is nice to have all your Disney like your very focused Disney stuff. It's very easy to just like let kids hop on, yeah. right? Especially here in the States. It's like, you're not going to run into anything too racy. Like, yes, some of the Fox properties are on there, but like, you can you can handle it. Like, you can manage what you're doing. You get the, all the Hulu stuff in there. Like, you're going to have like, Handmaid's Tale and all that kind of stuff. Like, it becomes a whole different conversation when it's all accessed from the same app. Now, obviously, there are built-in parental controls and everything, but like, it's all about how clean and sophisticated is the UI. Yeah. Uh, Mag is in the chat saying he's only worried about the ads on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Disney Plus has implemented ads as well. Um, and the ad, this actually, nice segue, Disney Plus will actually raise their ad-free tier, uh, the price of their ad-free tier soon. Um, currently, it sits at ten ninety nine, up from seven ninety nine. I believe it was when it first launched. Um, $6.99, I think. Six ninety nine. So $6.99, now it's ten ninety nine, and they're going to raise it again by the end of this year. So God, that's cool. It. Look, I understand that's frustrating, Here's the thing I always go back to like ad ad revenue is so important for these studios. It just is. I'm like, it's, it's great that like, here's the thing though. I understand that it sucks that it gets more expensive. At least they are still offering an ad free option. Cause like, yeah. that's the important thing because like, I still, I still would prefer to live in this, this version where I get to have like optimized selection of things that I actually want to pay for and use rather than buying a like $150 bundle with about half the channels that I don't want. And then half the channels that I do and having to like make some like $10 extra deal for like HBO and Showtime and whatever. That's a good point. You know, mm -hmm. like in, and doing all that and then having to pay like another 25 to get it all ad free. It's just like, I get it. It is frustrating. It's frustrating because you have to make, be selective, right? And like, think about what are you really willing to spend money in on? I still think that like, we have more control in this situation. The consumer gets to have more control of where they put their money and why they're putting their money behind what they are. I prefer it. Do you guys remember point. TiVo? Yes. Who doesn't? Sorry. Of course. Just to talk about advertisements just makes me remember the commercials for TiVo about how, yes, it was an advertisement, but one of the biggest draws of TV was like, you get to skip the commercials. Because this, <laughs> this is the thing, is like, the the services get the money from putting the ads on there. It doesn't matter if you watch it or not. True. True. Oh, they canceled True Lies, by the way. Not Netflix. This is a streaming thing. I just I just remembered that I read that they canceled True Lies, and I'm like, you know, ha, it was so sucky. <laughs> um, uh, one more thing, Mag is also in yeah. the chat saying, I was I doing can, it too. I was doing yeah. it at the same time. Sorry. Uh, Max says, I can support it if they can manage ad breaks the right time between scenes in movies or episodes. That's usually yeah. not, that's another advantage of like streaming. Sorry, real quick, Brandon. Like that's usually like, if it's something they own, they're usually better about it. Um, when they're, you know, hosting something they don't own, which happens a lot on like live television, right? TNT, whatever. Um, they don't have as much control. Mm -hmm. over where they put their ad breaks because that's all like contractually worked out it's like it's a timing thing so it doesn't matter what point it is in the movie it always happens ha has to happen at these certain time frames um that's not as true with the streamers so 
It's true. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. But like, I live that ad-free life, baby, and I'll pay a little extra for it. I always will. I Sorry. Only, only one I don't have. Well, I, I have Peacock and Hulu ad tiers. I don't have their ad-free tiers. Yeah. yeah oh, and Paramount uh, Plus. I, I I really should get rid of Paramount. Plus I have ad-free. I have the I have the bundle. So I have Hulu with live TV mm-hmm. and no ads. And I live a really happy life doing that. <laughs> um, I, and maybe at some point I'm going to have to make some decisions about what streaming service and am I going to cut. And like, if I have to do that to keep my ad-free life on the things I want to watch, you bet your ass I'm going to do it. <laughs> real real quickly, Ben, I just want to say on my thing, because I know you're about to say what ones you have, you have your ad tiers for. Um, I think Paramount Plus ad tier is very good and i think sparks is right like if you if this it's the if it's your content if it's your content then you're you know where to put the ads and paramount plus uh, distributes all their shows internationally on tv so they're built with ad breaks and still they're not like stranger things it's not built with ad breaks but a show on paramount plus is still built with ad breaks I watched uh, Strange New Worlds when I watched the first season. Most of that was on a version of Paramount Plus that had ads. And it didn't bother me, though I'll admit, I'd like to live without them. <laughs> sure. I mean, the stuff I the stuff I pay for, I mean, Peacock is the only one I, I pay for that I have ads on because I hardly ever use it. Um, but with like Hulu, Disney, because I need to talk to you, Sparks, about possibly getting the, getting the Disney bundle for like, the only thing I'm missing is ESPN. Um, cause I'm still paying for Hulu Disney plus separately, but especially on Hulu, I am like, no on those ads. Don't want them. Don't need them. I've been spoiled too much mind. by Netflix. I don't mind the Hulu ads. Honestly, they don't bother me. I've always had Hulu ads though. It's like, it's just like Hulu to me is just an ad. It's just a service of ads. Right. So like the ads don't bother you because you've, you've kept yourself living in that Mecca. I'm saying I've lived on the other side of the rainbow and I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, Disney will also begin to lower the volume of content which that is going to be made. Um, this is Iger saying this. We've been hearing rumors about this for a while. You know, the, the rumor that uh, that Disney told Lucasfilm not to develop anything other than Star Wars stuff. Um, they've been canceling all their shows. Big Shot, uh, Mighty Ducks, Game Changers, anything that's not IP driven, um, like their big IPs, like Star Wars and Marvel. Um, so. You know, it looks like they're they're kind of reeling it back. And I think a lot of streaming services are thinking about doing the same thing. Like, you know, hey, maybe we don't put out so much. Um, which is fine, but also Renew Willow. Um, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Um, they also are going to... This is the, this is the one. <laughs> they will also uh, begin reviewing the content on the server, on the service, uh, as they start to remove movies and shows. So they're going to be taking things off, much like HBO Max. It's look, it's on, like I'm not saying it's look, it's they're not going to take off Mandalorian or Miss Marvel, right? They're not going to take off the Star Wars or Marvel stuff. Um, I'll even say that I don't think they're going to take off anything made for the service. True. I think and I'm not, I, not. This isn't my theory, but I'm kind of I'm kind of with whoever I saw tweet this that they're going to go towards a vault system for their service when it comes to their like catalog of movies. You know what I mean? Like the we, the Disney Vault is very popular, especially in our generation. It did really well for Disney for many years. Transitioning to the streaming kind of makes sense. Here's the thing: like I I don't see a world where like this is the like the, the any of their like Disney animated movies, like the sure. movies that they made or anything like that, right? Like these are things that are less frequently watched, 
which makes the vault system kind of not make sense because it's mm-hmm. like why even circulate it out for people who want to watch it whenever they should just be able to this is a weird move that um until you justify it for a good reason like it doesn't really make sense because everybody's paying to have access to all this stuff all the time and it makes no sense to have it there and then take it away right especially when you're raising the price yeah yeah i'm with you um I'm about to go on a whole on tirade, so buckle up, buckaroos, because I am pissed off. Um, when I signed up, when we even heard that Disney was even getting into the streaming game service, I was jumping for joy. No more Disney Vault. Disney films at my fingertips whenever, wherever I wanted. It As a Disney fan, as someone who grew up loving these, as someone who wanted to rebuild their home, their old VHS collection, which from what I remember, had not only the classic princess films, but a bunch of other not so well heard of or not well known or not popular Disney movies like Oliver and Company and The Rescuers Down Under. I wanted those on DVD so goddamn bad. Now they're on a, now they're available. I could just hit play on a streaming service. Hell yeah. Why the frack are you doing this? This To me, this defeats the entire purpose of a streaming service. I mean, I talked about this when HBO Max was taking off their originals, um, some of their originals off. It defeats the whole part, purpose of freaking streaming service. You have a streaming service, so these shows can just be there. They're, you made them. They're already there. They're already out there. Why take them off? Especially, I mean, I'm, I'm with Sparks on this one. Like, you have to justify this. And to be perfectly honest with you, Brandon, even having a vault system or a rotating schedule, I still hate. I hate that idea because, once again, it defeats the purpose of a streaming service. So now I have to schedule. Like, if I want to watch, say, if I want to watch the original 1960s Jungle Book or the original Snow or, like, the original animated Snow White, but it's like, oh, it's off Disney Plus. I have to wait X amount of months for, for it. I don't want to do that. I might not want to watch Snow White in a few months when it's back on Disney Plus again if they re- if they do that sort of deal. I just don't want to do that. It's dumb, it's stupid, and I hate it. Well, again, I don't think like anything you you know like the casual viewer would know is going to be the thing removed. Like like I said, nothing made by the animation studio is going to get pulled. I don't or think not. so. No, I don't know why they would. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. I I think we're talking about things like. National Geographic specials and episodes from 2016 that nobody's watching right now. Things like that, right? Like those are on there. I think we're talking about that kind of content possibly being pulled. And like, I don't get why doing that. You got to justify it to me. But like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's anything where like, I don't think they're removing anything that would cause subscribers to unsubscribe, which would be like moving, removing any Walt Disney Animation Studios film. Right. Like you move, remove one and everybody's going to go nuts. Yeah. I mean, if they do decide to take off some Nat Geo specials that, or they'll be like, Hey, if people show us, or like, watch what was that? What's that? What's that movie? Blackbeard's Revenge where he teaches a baseball team. No more, no more Davy Crockett. Oh, I guess Ooh. I can live with that. No, but I mean like they shouldn't. Right. I don't, I right. don't agree with that. These are things that I think it's valuable to have there. And like, it makes sense. These are part of Disney history. This is where you should go to watch these things. But it, I think that's the kind of level of content we're talking about. Right. How many people are watching I, Davy Crockett? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I will be honest. I go to the reason the biggest draw for me was like the entire animation collection, the entire echelon of animated movies was at my fingertips. That's the reason why I go to it. Now the Disney Channel shows are like Owl House, Star versus the Forces of Evil, and a bunch of other um, Disney classics are there. 
but just i mean once again you have to make it justifiable part of me won't I, I will not lie i won't miss any of the nat geo stuff i mean they did not tell us what kind of stuff they're going to take off so it is possible they'll just only take off the stuff that they probably what's watching they probably don't even know right now yeah but and it's worth noting real quickly ben i'm so sorry well, it's mm-hmm. worth noting that not everything that disney owns is on disney plus at this moment you know True. this week people brought up the fact that like the aladdin tv show and the buzz lightyear star command tv show are not on disney plus yeah that is 100 percent that is 100 yeah. true that they're still rolling out that catalog i don't think they're i also think there's a possibility that they say this just to see how the public reacts <laughs> that's yeah. true that's a good point I, mean, I just it doesn't make sense unless you tell me like that part of the reason is to like save costs on like space it's yeah. like because like the finite space of the servers to host it and everything like okay i guess like there are probably things that you don't need to have on there necessarily or like doing the vault system as brand suggested would make sense but again like vaulting things like davy crockett will only be available for four months out of the year like e- okay i guess i get that that's a good point yeah, um, and also, like, I also feel like the language was kind of, um, the language Disney used was also so purposely vague to get a certain reaction. Obviously, it got it out of me because I because ever since HBO Max did, every time I hear uh, a service say, hey, we're going to pull an original show that or original stuff that we made for our service, it's it's like, then why did you create the damn service in the first place? Right, I mean, that's but that's the HBO Max thing, right? HBO Max yeah. did that. And to be fair, I want to be, be completely fair. This was not told to the public. This was an earnings call. Mm-hmm. That right. the press presses are allowed to be an earnings call and they can talk about it. So his Bob Iger was not trying to tell us right. that they are taking things off the server. When he does, it will probably be worded in a more definitive way. He said yeah. this to to help it, to get make sure that investors are happy. Yeah, un, un, understandable. I mean, until we know what they truly are thinking or what they want to do with it, um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. hopefully they'll. Hopefully they'll make like, hopefully they'll make like the right decision. Um, even I know I won't miss any Netgeo stuff. There might be a fan out there who will, and I'm, that sucks for them. But I mean, if they go to Disney Plus to watch a lot of Netgeo stuff, that that's what made them put give Disney their money in the first place. So Netgeo is still the kicking on this episode. Well, the thing the thing is, even though I'm not there for Netgeo, I would still be upset if they decide to take if they do decide to oh, take no. certain oh, stuff. Off. I'm not. I, look, I don't watch Nat Geo unless Jeff Goldblum has a new season out. True. So you know. Um, all right. Anyway, let's move on to uh, a different real, streaming service. Oh, Go ahead. Sorry, Mag is in the chat again, saying he's agreeing with me. He doubt they would cancel old Marvel cartoons, including X Men '92 or X Men: The MA Series. Yeah, that's a death sentence. <laughs> I really like that you were like he agrees with me. Excuse me. You said. <laughs> I know, Ben. I swear, I saw the comment. I was just, I'm just, I'm just ribbing. I'm just ribbing you. All right. All right. You're my war. You're your wharf to my Riker. Okay. It makes sense if you watch the show. Um, all right. So Dungeons and Dragons Adventures. Guys, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, made so much money that uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons decided to make a streaming service, a dedicated 24-hour-a-day streaming service called the Dungeons and Dragons Adventures. How exciting. What are they going to put on it? <laughs> that's so funny you asked ben <laughs> right okay real quickly 
important thing to know this will be free much like Tubi, freebie this is a free ad supported uh, uh streaming service which is called a fast streaming service um this is this so you don't have to pay for this this will just be available okay. on your tv free of charge cool but <laughs> ben's question is valid <laughs> what are they gonna put on this I can imagine two frame. Obviously, the Dungeons and Dragons film, Modern Among Thieves, that could be there. Um, that's on Paramount Plus, actually. Never mind, that's out. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the, they could probably play it. They probably. Yeah. The The Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh, actually, I'll get there. Um, I'll oh, say shit. that first. So yes, that Dungeons and Dragons cartoon from the 1980s will be available on the streaming service exclusively. So you know, if you want to catch it, go ahead. Pluto TV. That's another one. Um. Okay. This will be this will feature a slate of quote original celebrity focused unscripted series. These shows are Encounter Party, which is based on a podcast of the same name. Okay. Will follow six returning professional actors and improv artists as they role play an original DD campaign with original characters set in the world of the Forgotten Realms. Cool. Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill. It's another show. Uh, an improv comedy spin on classic Dungeons and Dragons gameplay, co-created by one, by one Matthew Lillard of Shaggy fame. Um, it's interesting that like that's probably the, my favorite role of Matthew Lillard, and he's only in two movies in the nineties. Anyway, bring him back for Scream, Scream Seven. Um. What are you looking at, Sparks? I just, I don't think that he's only got two roles in the 90s, but go ahead. No, I didn't say that. My favorite is he's is just two movies from the 90s. Oh, I see. Okay. No, I didn't say that he only got two roles in the 90s. No, no, no. Oh, I see. I see. I've seen plenty of his of his films. I love him. Um, each episode will feature a party of first level characters marching to their marching to their certain deaths as they face beasts against which they stand absolutely no chance. We'll have a revolving cast of special guests and celebrities. Oh, TKO's abound in that one. So, and finally, Heroes Feast will be the third show. Now, I want to ask you guys, and if you've seen, if you've been looking at my thing, don't say, what do you think Heroes Feast is going to be about? Have you looked okay, at the page? Have you looked at the page? I did not. I only saw Heroes Feast and I averted my eyes. Okay, so Heroes Feast. What do you think it's about? If I may um, explain what Heroes Feast is first to the class. Oh, you already know. Me. You can't. You can't say. No, no. Um, I mean, I'm I'm talking about the spell. Like what the okay, spell? Okay. Oh, does sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. The spell Heroes Feast and Dungeons and Dragons. It's a grand mm-hmm. feast. Gives you. Um, plus 10 temporary hit points gives you immunization to fear poison essentially it is a very expensive spell to do in game but the stas effects are mwah, excellent especially go away against bloodthirsty dragons so i imagine it's going to be a bunch of chefs trying to create a hero's feast irl because they actually have a cookbook called hero's feast and one yeah, of the you, first recipes. you did know you did know you shut up Okay. Yes. Yes. He and this one is percent right because he he already knew what this was. Um, so yes, Barnes and Noble, Heroes Feast, based off the cookbook of the same name. 
Um, Dude, that was a shot in the dark. Hundred percent. You didn't say he couldn't know what the book was. But I, I don't. Whatever. Um, okay. Part. So this is going to be a part talk show, part cooking competition. Um, and we'll, each episode will feature the show's two hosts, uh, culinary hero Mike Horax, and first level cook Sujata Day, prepping dishes for a revolving pair of guest diners. So you know. Free. <laughs> and the Dungeons and Dragons animated show. So, you know, 24 hours. I mean, okay. Wizards, wow, Wizards is really trying to get that money to compete with Critical Role. Holy shit. Uh, That's what's so funny to me. Is that Critical Role has a partnership with Wizards of the Coast. They are... I, the, the, they do marketing for Wizards of the Coast. They are, they, they, um, Wizards of the Coast gets a kickback from Critical Role. These are all things I know because of reasons I can't say. Um, the, the thing is, Critical Role isn't going to be on the streaming service. And, but that's it. That's what you're chasing with these shows. You're chasing Critical Role or Dimension 20. Or Dimension 20. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say they maybe did at one point in time. I could be wrong. But I know because of the recent Wizards of the Coast controversy, especially with D&D Beyond, um, it was essentially like with Hasbro Wizards, um, them trying to monotonize Dungeons and Dragons even further. And they're trying to squeeze creators who make Dungeons and Dragons content. Um, it's just been like essentially things. The fan base has been still playing D&D, but they've been giving Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro the middle finger. So... The fact that they're trying to do this is just like they're really trying to, to chase something. But not going to lie, some of the ideas here are actually kind of good. Like I like the revolving, the one where it's like a bunch of first party adventurers going to fight a monster they should not be fighting. Definitely bound to get some shenanigans in there. I'll just watch Dimension will you spend? Will you spend $7 a month on that? Oh, hell no. Right. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, it's a streaming service, Ben. They're launching a streaming service. That's nuts. Yeah. Like, these shows could exist somewhere. Dimension 20. Like, Dimension 20 Dimension Twenty is on a streaming service of other content. But, like, I love Dropout. Dropout gives me a ton of stuff. And Dimension 20 is one of those things. But, like, that's worth the money to me. Yeah. I don't know if all of this, like, well, how, am I fair. really going to invest the hours into this to, to make it fair, worth spending that much this is free oh is it free it's free it's not gonna stay that way no it won't but it, it's a free ad supported channel much like i said it's a free ad supported channel uh just like pluto tv uh freebie uh tubi 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 grayson um, it is worth it sorry dropout tv uh is doing so many funny things it looks like it's worth it yes yes I know. Yes. I really got to subscribe to that shit. Yes. Um, but here's the thing. Like, I don't know. This seems this seems foolish. There's so much available content that you know is quality that does this stuff. That like, I don't know. Why do you Why do you need this? Like, the only thing that you could get me with, I think, is if Joe Manganiello was on uh, hosting his own D and D show where he's got his oh, yeah. celebrity games. Now, now he hosts them there. I'm like, okay, you'll get me. But like yeah. otherwise, celebrities appear on other D and D streams. Like, why? Why is this special? Yeah, like when also, he also. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say like when Joe Manganiello appeared on Critical Role. Right. 
Um, this will also feature third-party content from top internet creators and influencers with a focus on live gameplay. So it sounds like they're going to ask. <laughs> I think they're going to try and beg Critical Role to be like, please be on our service. Which, <laughs> mm. again, free. Like, you know. Yeah. That's not that's not right, that but like I don't know. I don't know. Like how would that matter when you can just watch Critical Role on YouTube? Critical Role's not gonna leave YouTube. That's true. Yeah. Um anyway, so that'd be fun. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um or I really like that Critical movie. Role. Or if Critical Role's too heavy, you can always check out D and Dark. That's true. You can always check out D and Dark. Um, see that's what I mean. There's so much there's so much good content out there. Like, why do you need this? Wait, real quickly, Ben. If if Wizards of the Coast came to you, or Dan, you, Dan, and the rest, and said, we want to make a DN Dark show for our streaming service, you'd do it, right? Depends Come on. Big the check, depends how big the check was, but maybe. Probably, I'd do it. probably not that big. It's a free service. Yeah. I'll do it for you. I'll be D and Dark. I'll just I'll just recap episodes. That's the show, is me recapping episodes of D and Dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With you'd, have ads. To pay, you'd have to pay me for that. <laughs> and there'll be ads <laughs> for better shows. <laughs> this is great. This is we're making money already. <laughs> I might just do this. Mm. <laughs> All right, anyway. Um Beetlejuice too. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Uh, oh shit! Um, he, I currently, uh, I am currently like clenching my butt in fear of the D and Dark reaction pod. Brandon's going to pitch in three weeks. <laughs> Real quickly, I had an idea. I have an, I have an April <laughs> Fool's joke um, because you brought it up. I have an April Fool's idea that I'm going to bring up now because I'll forget by the time it shows up. Um, <laughs> are you okay, Sparks? I'm fine. <laughs> um, so you guys know the Weekly Planet, right? You were aware, you were familiar with the show, The Weekly Planet. Um, I have an idea to get a few people together um, to do a a month long Weekly Planet recap podcast called The Good Ship Content, which is one of their jokes. Uh, and I think I think that'd be a lot of fun. Anyway, so look out for April when I do the D and Dark one. Hey, Brandon, if you don't call it Dean after dark, I would be very upset. Well, now it's happening. Now it's happening. I'm writing it and it's happening. God damn it, Ben. Dean after dark, baby. It's uh, we're doing it. We're doing I it. Gonna, I hope Dan doesn't kill me for that. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing I it. I hope baby. he gives you four psychic damage for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Grayson. You make sure that Dan gives Ben psychic damage the next time you guys play. You'll know why. <laughs> well, if Ben hadn't given me the name. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <sighs> Beetlejuice. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> What's Grace's Grace Grace always like, got it. And he's like, uh, I'm screwed. Um, and right. also that and also that Dan has creative control, so... Oh, hey, podcasts are free, baby. I don't need your permission to do it. I think he's talking about um, if they were pitched to go and make a show, it would be all Dan's oh. decision. Oh, that's yeah. a good point. All well, right. then everyone else would have to say, yeah, I'm cool and game, but like it would start with Dan. Yeah. 
Uh, Why are we doing this? What are we doing? <laughs> this is fun. I like this. Beetlejuice, though. Let's talk about Beetlejuice. <laughs> the sequel to the smash hit Beetlejuice is happening. Tim Burton looks like he will be directing it. Said Beetlejuice too many times. He's going to show up. I did. I, I said it too many times. He's bursting through one of our doors right now. Probably mine because I'm going to Ultron it. out of me. <laughs> I mean, how many times do we have to say Beetlejuice for Beetlejuice to show up? I mean, if I say Beetlejuice, oh shit. I mean, I said it eight times and he hasn't shown up, so. I mean, I'm waiting um, for the guy who plays him in, on Broadway <coughs> to pop up and go, ah, mistake. So, it's ramping up production. Michael Keaton's coming back. Winona Ryder's coming back. Jenna Ortega, we knew this. We kind of heard that she was in talks. She's She's going to be cast in the movie. As has um, been prophesized by the old gods, so it so it shall be done. She will be Winona Ryder's daughter in the movie. Um, Catherine o- um, Catherine O'Hara also returning. She was in the first movie. Mm-hmm. That's why in the first movie, the mom of of Lydia. Oh, I remember now. And uh, so Justin Thoreau, Monica Bellucci, and Willem Dafoe have been cast in the movie um fun fact the dad won't be back because he's a sex offender yeah that's oh true. that's true um monica bellucci by the way will play beetlejuice's wife that's nuts so michael keaton beetlejuice himself has a wild wife. wild uh that's cool i'm actually really happy to hear that willem dafoe that's wild all right that's insane <laughs> i never sorry, thought i'd see willem dafoe in a tim burton film I'm still getting over the fact that the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a sex offender. Damn. Hey, ruining your day one podcast at a time. Yay. <laughs> Anyways, Beetlejuice 2. Um, cool. I mean, this movie has been, what, rumored for years? Yeah, so it's been rumored for a number of years, but they finally got a script. They finally got the script finished and they finally got production going. It looks like it's going to be Tim Burton's next movie. Um, Al Go and Miles Miller, uh, they wrote the script that they're filming. Uh, this is, by the way, the creative team behind Smallville, Into the Badlands, and Wednesday. Okay. So it makes sense how that, that Wednesday is probably how they met Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And we're brought on from there. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Mags in the chat talking about uh, unless we follow the wacky weird rules of Gremlins 2. I'm trying to remember what that was in reference of. And his what second comment is... <laughs> what? Just Ben bringing it up and not knowing what it was about. <laughs> I'm trying to make people feel you don't. You don't have to put bring up every comment. Mag understands me. Anyways, um, Mag's also saying it would be weird if they mentioned the Beetlejuice cartoon. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it in the way that the Matrix Resurrections references the Matrix Online game. So kind of. They mentioned the Matrix Online game. Kind of. I, I honestly I don't think you can because like you you'd have to like you have to fundamentally change Beetlejuice as a character from film to film mm-hmm. if that cartoon is canon. <laughs> um, all right, Fast X. Yeah, mm-hmm. big Fast X news happened this week. People got to see it. Press got to see it. People are tweeting about it. Social media embargo is lifted. The rap spoiled the post credit scene. Don't do that. Bad. But they did it. And we're going to talk about it. Did they spoil the whole scene or did they just say that spoil who's in it? They just spoiled who's in it. 
Okay, see, like, anything could happen in the scene. It's probably just this, but... (laughs) Uh, Dwayne Johnson's Luke Hobbs returns Mm. to the Fast and the Furious franchise after being absent from only one movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So what we think technically technically he's absent for this one too like he's in the post credits come on oh well, yeah i mean i guess but is superman actually in black adam no yeah they marketed it that way yeah but he's not is he no he is <laughs> i think it's shortage superman <laughs> um all right what do we think what do we think about dwayne johnson the beef is squashed boy it's so it's so funny to see People talk about it on the internet as like, damn, Black Adam really hurt him. It's all Ben's review. Came out and said mid right away. And Dwayne Johnson went, I got to call Vin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it like, like Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, like the the seemingly problem, the problem that arose is that Dwayne Johnson tried to have creative control over the Fast and the Furious franchise. He did the same thing over at DC. I don't, DC think, I don't think that isn't still his plan. Oh, you think he's going to take it out from Vin now? Hey, Vin's done in a matter of movies. We might not know the exact number of those movies, but he is on the way out. These, oh, their story is the plan? Their story is ending, but Universal still wants to make money, baby. Hobbs makes money, baby. Oh my god. He's, we're going to get Hobbs and Shaw 2 after Fast 12, I guess? I wouldn't be surprised if we got Hobbs and Shaw somewhere in the middle, but probably, probably the way that... The, like they'll probably do the trilogy and then there'll be another Hobbs and Shaw. And then there's going to be a whole, there's going to be a hobbs of, of new things. He's going to carry that world into a whole other direction. And then Vin Diesel will come back in 20 years. His kid will be older. He'll be older family and a legacy sequel that. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, sure. Like it's cool. I, I think, I think Dwayne Johnson honestly ruined the character of Hobbs after a while. That's me though. Um, like I, I, it's 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 just wild to me that like after like vin begged him to come back for f for fast x you remember the picture where he where he photoshopped himself to be taller than Dwayne? like the the whole thing of like we we need like we but my kids call you papa Dwayne. i want you to be back in this movie we uncle, got a part for uncle you Dwayne. uncle Dwayne. but we got a part for you and he and Dwayne was like you pathetic piece of shit why would you do that why would you invoke your kids how dare you? He was so pissed. The Tyrese Gibson video when Tyrese re- released that rap and Dwayne ripped it. Like it called like it's like this is oh, the worst Emily, piece of shit I've ever seen. Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson insulted him, uh, Vin Diesel on the press tour for Jungle Cruise. That's right. Uh, they they like tore into him publicly. Um I don't know, like I'm I'm kinda like Dwayne, like you gotta you gotta be making enough money, you didn't have to do this. But I do think that's the vision. I think he understands that like Vin's time will end very soon with this franchise and he can take it. Yeah. He can take it. And like, I would argue he should have already. Like if you were, if you were to tell me that they were going to actually stop when they lost Paul Walker and end at Furious seven, I would have said, yeah, go ahead, continue the franchise with Dwayne Johnson's Hobbs and like whoever else you want to pull from the universe to follow along at different points. And you can cameo up whoever you want. Go that way. That sounds great. Why not? It made perfect sense. But Vin wasn't done. No, he wasn't. Um, it's gonna be though. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, this is this is this is just insane news. Like it, it like he he him coming back is just wild. Um, but the other thing that came out this week is that um, 
uh, Vin Diesel uh, seemingly confirmed that Fast X will be a trilogy of movies and not a duology <coughs> of, of movies. So we we knew that that Fast X was the first part of a two part finale, ending with Fast Fast X Part Two. How dare you? Um, and now Vin and Michelle Rodriguez has said that Universal apparently saw the the cut of the film, really liked it, and asked if he can extend it into a trilogy of films, ending with Fast X Part 3 instead. Well, or whatever the title may be. I mean, it it better be more engaging, because how dare you with Fast X Part 2? I have not forgiven you. Um, Yeah. I I wouldn't be shocked at all uh, to see this become a trilogy. The Rock and the Furious. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad the Rock is back. It wouldn't have felt right to not have him. Yeah, that's fair. But I'm sure. I'm sure he'll spin some stuff publicly to say this is all for the fans. Oh, I'm sure, because he's he he loves that. Yeah, I mean, look, this could be because Black Adam failed. Oh, it's not could be. be. It's not could be. It's absolute. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. He was he was prepared to take not only was he prepared to take Black Adam, he was prepared to take the entire DC universe under his under his guidance into the future and make it a, a vehicle of projects for himself to both for him and his seven bucks productions to work on uh, for the next decade or so. And he lost that. But there's potential, right? Mm, good point. That makes money. If I had to guess, he smelled after the whole like fiasco with Vin and all the stuff that he was going through with DC and maybe even Disney. I don't I don't know. I think him and Disney are still pretty tight. Obviously they're doing Moana again. But he's oh, is, blood- this, is this coming from the same place where Moana live action remake is coming from? Why wouldn't it? Oh Dwayne. Well yeah, he's Dwayne's smelling blood in the water. So I've never seen could, you so desperate. This could be after after Black Adam's flop, and after the DC's new rehaul that he's not going to be a part of, um, he's trying to like I need to he needs to cement himself. So he's probably going to latch on to the Fast Universe once Vin's done. He's like dibs. Well, well, like I don't know what he's desperate for. I don't get it because he's incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. But um, it is his only like guarantee at a franchise right now. Yeah. Right? Right. And like he might only be in it for these last two films, but I have a pretty good inkling that he'll come to the table after this last one is done and be like, hey, I'm down to do more with the Hobbs character if Universal wants to pay for it. And the Universal absolutely will because it's an easy way to continue making money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, truly, why wouldn't they? Yeah, good point. It truly is. And Grayson has a, has a <laughs> comment here. It'll be Fast X, Fast Double X, and then Fast Triple X. But here's the cool part that I got from uh, someone on uh, TikTok. For Triple X, you breed in Vin Diesel's character from Triple X, no. and they team up. No, no. No. You bring in Ice Cube from Triple X, too, State of the Union. No, no, no. You do it. No, do it. No. No, I get that you don't care about this franchise anymore, <laughs> but some of us are still invested in these characters. Hey, man, I've been trying to explain why for years and I still can't. So who knows? Um, all right. You Fast, funny, Grayson. Furious Hobbs because it's Hobbs and dinos in space. That's cute. Um, all right. Trailers. Check us out next week, friends, where we talk about this Fast X movie without Brandon. That's true. I will be out of town.
Um, so trailers, trailers. Ryan's not here. Do we want to talk about Void Train? Yes. Okay, it's a cool looking game. Do you have nothing about... to say about it? You don't think it looks cool? It does look cool, but that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, it looks cool. That's all we ever have to say about anything. That's not true. We have a lot to say about things sometimes. <laughs> They're all basically a variation on looks cool or okay. doesn't look cool. <laughs> or you know what I'll say about Void Train that's different that we haven't said? I'll uh, just say it looks neat. Um, ben, that is still a variation on it looks cool. Shut up. <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to come at me with <laughs> excuse me, I didn't watch it. <laughs> no, I, I did see Void Train's trailer. It, it actually looks very unique. It, it gives me, I had never seen the show, but I know of it, the Infinity Train. It gives me that kind of vibes, especially if you're on a train going through like constant gates here, just going through. Yeah, I like the, the I, I like, I, I like that, you know, it's like a train through like this kind of dimensional void and there are these creatures in there. And I think it looks very imaginative and I, I like the creature design a lot. I think it's cool. It's cool. Yes. Um, I think we're doing it, Grayson. Damn it. We're saying why it's cool. Uh, um, I, I, Ryan put it as it's it's no man's sky with a train, um, and I think that's pretty apt. Uh, uh, it looks like there's a lot of fun, like how you can construct the train, puzzle solving, and like really wide range of what kind of things you'll be encountering across the gates and the worlds, um, from like friendly creatures to points where it'll be like full blown first person shooter, like. I hope it's good. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for this October when we make Ben play uh, Choo Choo Charles. So, you know, speaking of trains. Man. Um, good job. Thank you. <laughs> I want uh, Ben to always feel like Choo Choo Charles isn't that far away. <laughs> <laughs> like Choo Choo Charles himself. <laughs> He's All only right. ever getting closer. Uh, I'm going to skip Clone High because I don't think any of us care. I did not watch that. All I will say is this was a significantly better trailer than the first trailer we ta- watched that wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not necessarily making me want to watch the show. Yeah. Oh, wait. I remember. Yeah, I did watch this trailer. I and it. I just I inadvertently watched it. It's the I only know the meme from the the I only know the line where it's like, I like your words, funny man, but I don't know anything about the show. I just know it's a revival. Is it? Yeah, it's okay. a revival of a show about these these history historical figures having been cloned and they're in high school oh that oh that's why it's abe lincoln and jfk and cleopatra and frida carlo frida Kahlo. I, I just heard they were clones i didn't know what the original show was about i just i just remember seeing the the meme i like were your you, words were, man. were you not there when we talked about this trailer last time i don't think so or when no, we talked about the show getting picked up nope that one he was i remember him being I, think, I think you were when we talked about the show getting picked up and we talked about what it used to be and I think you just kind of fuzzed us out a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> ben like, Sorry. how can Ben's I... Ben's like, I never do that. As he falls asleep. <laughs> Poor things. Yeah, I'm sad Ryan can't be here for this one, but yeah. this is from the... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the director of um, The Favorite. Which, Which is a great movie. Loved. Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. Um, yeah. And uh, this looks weird and wacky in a in a fun way, and I love this cast. Um, uh, yeah, um, it, there's not a lot to say because it's kind of like an early teaser trailer esque thing. Yeah. But I like I like the aesthetic and I like the vibes. 
Yeah, I like it when, when Mark Ruffalo gets slapped and he takes a beat to say ow. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe yeah. looks unhinged. I really like the favorite, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm happy to go see this one. I haven't seen The Lobster yet. Neither have I. Yeah. This okay. movie looks creepy, and for some reason, it was giving me Dr. Frankenstein vibes. Well, I get that. Um, she basically says, like, living or, like, existence is a unique experience or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, there's, yeah. there seems to be some amount of, like, yeah, I get you. There's a Frankenstein S vibe to it. There was a lot of Mel, Mel, Mel Brooks jokes in this last week of Dan Dark that Ben just did not get. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I just remembered that because you said Frankenstein. I was like, oh, right, young Frankenstein. Oh, you get, you did. They, Grayson, oh. do you all know that Ben didn't get those jokes? No, tell me don't. later. <laughs> tell him, don't. Oh, yeah, okay, as, Grayson, as, Ben as, has as, never as, seen as, young Frankenstein, so he had no idea what was happening. <laughs> They know. They already gave me the same look that Brandon gives me when I mention it. You've God. we really should rectify that, especially because you're you're doing you're doing the show. No, we we do we do. And I was actually upset because I was gonna ask if we could watch that movie when he came to visit you, and I got oh. sick. And no, I'm sad. Let's make I a movie. Sad. We'll I'm a, sad. We'll do a movie night, the four of us. And Sparks just we lost Sparks. <laughs> Sparks just up and quit. He cannot take my bullshit anymore, apparently. I wasn't invited. Gremlins. Secrets of the Mogwai. This one I asked asked to goodness for didn't completely missed. Well, you guys talked about the first trailer. Um, Yeah. Back when it first came out, I was not on that episode. So I I wanted to put it on on this one because I didn't get a chance to to say anything about about the show. Um, I'm really interested actually i really like the idea that i believe ryan was rubbing up against which is bringing kind of mogwais into a larger magical world i actually really like that idea and exploring the world of where the mogwais came from before we go to gremlins i'm invested in that kind of world i'm interested in that kind of world building and i think the animation looks really good um so i'm i'm super i'm super into this i don't think this is a this is the the two trailers are interesting because they're they're drastically different. In the first trailer, it was like, "Look at this magical adventure we're going to go on," and then this one is like, "Actually, the forces of evil are going to ta- are going to destroy everything." The first trailer still kind of led to that idea, even if it was hinted at smaller than it's laid on thick in this trailer. But like, yeah. that's the thing that like that's where you lose me is this guy who's like. I will be this evil villain and I will turn the Mogwai chaotic power of the gremlins into the ultimate destructive force across the multiverse. And I'm like, I pass. (laughs) Um, That's just not gremlins to me. Like, I don't mind exploring the magical world and and the stuff related to the Mogwai and their lore and stuff. But like throwing in this this dastardly villain thing and like the, the kind of when it gets more like a superhero kind of project is where I'm like, eh. That's just not Gremlins to me. It doesn't interest me as much. I get that. I'm. I really love Gremlins. I. I, I like both those movies a lot. Um, well, I like the first one a lot. The second one I haven't actually seen since, and since I first saw it, uh, which I want to rectify because I think I'd, I'd like I'd appreciate it more. Um, but the um, so like I. But I'm always the kind of person who like you know when he was a kid like always imagined these kind of larger fantastical worlds, these smaller things, and so I totally understand that. You're right. Gremlins is a much smaller stake movie. It's much much more uh, 
but it's much smaller than what this show is doing and 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 but i guess for me i'm just kind of interested in that bigger world also like i feel like both can exist you know yeah i i hear you it's just there's nothing there's nothing they've given me about these characters or the story that makes me feel like you know like sure the idea the fundamental idea of expanding on the lore of the mogwai is interesting yeah the execution doesn't look like something i'm really going to enjoy right you you know that the um lead the little boy is the old man that mm-hmm. uh uh and gremlins mm-hmm. i think i was actually saying that to ben but i just realized he hadn't seen the gremlins films he also didn't watch this trailer so it doesn't matter that's true um oppenheimer yo i cannot can, wait to go see barbie right after this movie which makes me all depressed and sad can i can i tell you guys something that i've already told you guys but you all thought i was crazy um there we didn't is think you were crazy we just we just didn't see it there so. is a second oppenheimer trailer that has been playing in front of select movies for months since the almost since the first trailer dropped and it was never released online. And I shit you not, every single time I see it in theaters, I think I'm having a I think I'm having a stroke because I'm going because I'm like, no one talks about this trailer. No one it's not online. I did find a leak uh, like last week, so I know it's real. It's just wild to me that like this that I was like, I'm seeing this trailer. And so when this trailer dropped, I was like, oh, they dropped they this is the trailer. But this is a different trailer than the one that has been playing in theaters for the past couple of months. So what you're saying is you're still crazy. I'm still crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, good to know. <laughs> this looks really good, though. I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited for this, too. Um, I'm very curious how Nolan's going to tackle the idea of, like, American exceptionalism as tied to the atomic bomb. Um, because there's this vibe. And, like, I, I see in the trailer... I see in the trailer the possibility of both in this trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this vibe of like only the Americans could have pulled this off. And only the Americans uh, have the right to this kind of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's the state of mind at the time. So that's fine. That That is part of it. But like I'm, I guess what I'm saying is like I hope that there's more of a thought of like the critical aftermath of what this moment means. I want to be projected forward. And I'm saying, I see that that's there in this trailer too. I just wonder which side of that story we're going to get more of Mm -hmm. Um, the, the raw awesomeness of American might that they put this together or the horror of what the Americans brought into the world. Like, even though we hide behind the, like, this is the part that really gets me is the, the part behind the line that says like, you know, the, if we don't get there, the Nazis will get there eventually. And like, that's probably, that probably would have been true. Um, and like how devastating that would have been, like had this weapon been in the hands of the Nazis. Sure. 100%. Um, it's important to remember that in co- like contextually in history, again, not for the characters that moment in time, like we defeat the Nazis without using an atomic bomb, you know, mm-hmm. um, like that happens. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's an amount of like, especially at the time and then for a while after where we kind of let ourselves off the hook about like the atom bomb existing because it was morally correct to do it before the Nazis could. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. I'm just very curious, like what the ultimate takeaway is going to is, is Nolan's intention to be for this movie. That's a good point. Because it's, uh, because it's kind of still, what I'm most curious about is, is this only going to stay at the creation of the atomic bomb and some of the tests thereafter? Or are we going to go all the way up to Hiroshima and Nagasaki when we actually used it, mm-hmm. like fully used it? Um, because I think those are two different kinds of thoughts about the, uh, that you walk away with out of the movie. Right. If I'm right, the trial that we see Downey in Downey's mm-hmm. character in was after the war. Yeah. So that could be in response to the create that. And that's what you're talking about. Like, right. Like that's the, that's the kind of scenes where you're wondering like, what, what is that? How, what side is that going to take? Is that going to take the side that Oppenheimer is right? Or is that going to take the side that this was not a good idea? Right. Because it, it just, it still strikes me how much, there's so much in our educational system and our literature in America that up until sometime in the late 90s, most of it suggests that there was no alternative than to use the atomic bombs mm-hmm. in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And like, critically, we know that's fundamentally inaccurate and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And like that, that we never really talk about like, what a horrible, like, the, the the most devastatingly gruesome attack on on innocent civilians ever done in the history of mankind was us and we're, we're like we as a country have not been willing to own that or admit it yeah. um so i'm really curious where this film's going to fall in that conversation because frankly it's the most ho- high profile thing to really actually tackle it in a long time in a direct way nolan nolan does political commentary right Yes, the dark it, but like, yes, but it's usually in like the form of it's 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 wrapped up in like analogy and and metaphor and sub and subtext and and things like that, right? Like it's not as it's not as direct. It's not focused. It's not the point. Yeah, Interstellar right? is a good a good example of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's there, but it's not the point. Right. This would have to be the point. But it's likely it's likely that it's not it's that they that they put it aside. Yeah, I'm just I'm just really curious. It doesn't mean it'll be a it, like it's not a good or bad movie based on that alone. But it ha- it's the, it is the thing I'm the most interested in because like what I what I hope for the most is that like it generates enough for us as a nation to have more common conversations about like the atomic bomb. It's uh, it's it's weird that we as a nation again generalizing um have all kind of just like there's so many things we carry a lot of like individual guilt and weight over um like slavery but we don't about hiroshima and nagasaki depending on who you are and i think that's strange i think i think i think you might be asking for too much from this movie i don't think so um, because like the movie doesn't have to answer questions, right? It just has to present the right questions. But I don't, I just, I just don't see a whole conversation coming out of it. You know, even if it does tackle these questions, you don't need like one conversation coming out of it. All I'm saying is that like, it's more present in, in our mindsets than it hasn't been. Sure. That's a good point. Um, all right, let's switch gears completely. Yeah, please. Thank you. Um, although I do want to bring up Grayson's, uh, comment really quick because he, he has been in Japan, and he says, so sad that a large majority of Americans make jokes about the bombs. After visiting the site and museum, he 
broke down crying in museum. I'm assuming it's the one Hiroshima. Um, my quick two cents about, about Oppenheimer is Nolan's a, a filmmaking master. I know he's going to make a fantastic film and it's really going to put into perspective and make you think about the weapon itself. Unfortunately, I've been having major anxiety about said weapon, especially since some jackass in uh, Russia decided to invade a sovereign nation for no good goddamn reason. And a bunch of, uh, and essentially not only Europe, but the entire world has been on edge with all the deals he's been trying to make. So this I'm probably not going to go see this movie, not because I think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be a fantastic film, but just the subject matter of it all has kind of got me on edge. So I think I'm going to let this one slide and go see something nice and sunny like the Barbie movie instead. Hate to tell you, Ben, what we're reviewing both in one episode on this podcast. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm skipping um, one. That's for damn sure. <laughs> oh, my God. We we review Barbie and then we're like, hey, Ben, come on. We're about to do Barbie and we trick you. It's Oppenheimer. Well, I understand. Um, I understand having that anxiety. Then I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mean, know if that's. I don't know if that's a reason to not see this movie necessarily. No, it's, but it's, I get it's it. not. It's just something. It's just a subject matter that's just been on my mind in not a positive manner. And even with my own trip to Japan coming up, one of the places I do want to visit, just for more like historical reasons, but also like personal reflection, is either Hiroshima or Nagasaki because of what we did. Mm -hmm. um and now that the relations between the united i mean don't get me wrong i know japan committed horrible atrocities in the war but at the same time the united states isn't so cleanly either i mean we were the ones who forced japan open to trade which was a bad bad move on our part and what we did to them to end the war um it's yeah. it's it opens up a whole political thing and we we should move on let's move on please i was about to say you don't have to keep going we no, can no, move, yeah, on. Let's move on um i think i think that was great i'm really glad that you expressed all that because oh, i think no, it's I'm all the saying... more i think it's all the more reason why oppenheimer's uh kind of an important film right now so it'll be really interesting not... to see exactly where it lands in that cultural questioning of like what's i'm not going saying on. I'm not saying that he wasn't wrong. He was wrong to bring that up. I'm just saying I know how anxious he get, he could get about that, and it was okay to just kind of let's let let go into the next topic. Yeah, so just, you were wrong. I was just saying that I thought it was cool that he did. Um, I'm not, we're on the same page. I was just clarifying for my own sake. Meg two, the trench. Giant sharks! Giant sharks! Giant sharks! Sparks, you've read the book. I have verdict i mean <laughs> we're going pretty far away from the book but so did the first one so like i don't care <laughs> um jason satham shouldn't even be playing the role he is but he is um it's fine i i don't mind that uh get get more weird and stupid with it i'm kind of the same mind I have not read the book though. Like I, I, I do want to because I did. I did really like the Meg. My problem with the Meg was that it didn't go hard enough into the silly. It just it kind of walked in in between line of trying to do the book and and trying to be a silly shark movie. And right, well, that's it, sorry. Go ahead. And I don't. And I just that didn't work for me. I, I find it to be kind of boring. Um, outside of outside of one or two interesting moments, but. This trailer looks like it went full into the silly and I'm much more on board. Yeah, they have they yeah. The the book is good because the book feels grounded and scary. Mm -hmm. You know, um 
pretty much as close as you can get to doing Jaws with a 60-foot shark yeah. um, as possible. And that's the book. But the film is not that, um, yeah. uh, because they didn't dedicate to it the same way. Um, it's cool that, like, uh, the main thing that's still clearly there from the book is that they've built the... They have built the tank and facility to study megalodons. Mm -hmm. So when they go out there investigating, the the first shark they're looking at, I'm assuming, is the baby we saw from the first one. Yeah, Um, because that's because that's what it is in the book. Now, granted, that facility is supposed to be built in Monterey Bay. Um, They're supposed to have turned the entire bay into a uh, tank for the Meg. Obviously, that's not the case. Yeah. and the trench is supposed to be the trench by the bay, um, the, uh, the the real the Mariana uh, the Mariana um, Trench, yeah. Um, and so all that's different. I don't really care um, for terms <laughs> for terms of this movie. Like yeah. I, I, after the first one, I just accepted like it, it's not going to be an adaptation of the book. I don't care. Uh, all I'm here for is a uh, I love a. a a good, even dumb shark movie. That's all I care about. Like you, you, you got a pretty decent shark movie. I'll enjoy it. Like I enjoy the Meg to an extent because you know, there's, there's jaws, there's jaws two, there's deep blue sea, there's jaws three and there's the Meg. And that's kind of all the best shark movies. Um, I might be missing one or two depends on where you land with, uh, uh, open sea. Um, what was that? Is that the one with Blake Lively? No. Oh, yeah. That one's not bad. That one's pretty goofy. What about the one with Mandy Moore? Mandy Moore? Yeah, 47 meters down. Yeah. Um, I like that one because that one... We're getting too deep in the shirt. <laughs> anyway, the point being, Meg 2, the trench, seems like the right amount of goofy. Um, yeah. You got, you got your, big, your big sharks. There's three of them this time. Oh, shit. One of them's too big. Oh, no. I love the, the biggest line. Meg anyone's ever seen. And I'm like... like not Up even two? everyone's seen a Meg, and there's like maybe four total. <laughs> I I think the stuff in the the, the I thought I love the I think it's so silly having mechs like we're in mech suits now on so the bottom happy. of the ocean. I'm so happy. I don't even care. Um, and we get a Meg versus giant squid. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. some dinosaur creatures in this one. Um, I really love the shot of Statham. There's two shots I really love. It's one Statham driving the jet ski and the Meg comes at him and you see him like twist. But then him Statham riding the wave with the harpoon as the Meg is coming at him. So so stupid. Like that's love, the stupid I, I want. Love, I, I love the big dumb octopus. Yeah. I don't know if you guys, did you guys watch the Chinese trailer? I, I did. I thought I found it better. I found yeah, it better. Uh, there's you might want to check it out, Ben. There's some good, there's some good editing in there. Um, and uh, you could take more of that. The, it takes out the 65 million years ago one thing ruled with blah, blah, blah. the text, but it still shows oh, the yeah. dinosaur. Yeah. Um, yeah, but eaten. Uh, so that is, they clearly have a bigger budget. That's from the first book. That's actually the opening of the first book. It's going back to ancient times and a T-Rex getting eaten. It's actually kind of weird they're doing it in the second movie because it's supposed to be the thing that like establishes just for an audience that like these were megalodons. This is what they did. And then you launch into a modern day story. Um, but whatever, have your fun. Uh, <laughs> it will be essentially all that you already saw. A T-Rex runs into the beach too close and gets eaten. That's it. That's the story. Um, 
but it's fun. Uh, yeah, you get to see more of the octopus in the Chinese trailer, which I thought was goofy and, and silly. Um, the mech suit thing, Brandon, yes. makes me believe that they might put how Statham's character kills Jonas, how he kills a Meg in the first book oh. in this one now. When he goes inside the Meg. Right, because you could use the suit as a yeah. as a vehicle to get that death. And I think that kill is rad as hell. So, like, mm. it genuinely shocks me. I'm like, that is the only reason I would have thought Statham fit the role is for that kill alone. Um, so I'm kind of hoping they do it. Yeah, I, I really... I really hope this is silly. I was actually trying to say something else um, about Statham, about something. No, nope, it's gone. <coughs> it's gone forever. Who knew? A fair chunk of the cast from the previous one is not back. Uh, yeah. It's pretty much just two, Statham and um, the other guy. Yeah. Um, ben, what are you watching it now? No, I was, because um, we were talking about the scene with the dinosaur and it reminded me of a uh, little fun fact. I just want to double check and make sure it was true that um, one of the natural predators of a moose is a killer whale. And just oh reminded, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It just reminded like when the when the megalodon jumps out of the ocean, it just made for some reason made me think of like when a moose sometimes dives down into waters to try and get some algae for food. An orca could be like, oh sweet chomp. Uh, let me, me let me let me tie this into a really lovely bow for you real quick, Ben. That's going to tie into Brandon, which he's going to really like. Uh, back when Sea Walton wrote that and the T-Rex just gets too close to the shore and so gets eaten by a Meg, we didn't know then that T-Rexes would swim. We now yeah. know that T-Rexes swam, like actively swam uh, in the ocean. And that's in Prehistoric Planet, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm. Prehistoric plants, pretty good. So yes, uh, they absolutely <laughs> were potentially prey of uh, the did megalodon. You, did you send me this, Sparks? Where it's like the difference between God, comma, killer whales are so cool, and God, killer whales are so cool, no comma. And it's just a picture of a flying killer whales in the cosmic of space. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah, Meg Two looks fun. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Oh, oh, I remember they talk about the trench. As if it's the breach in Pacific Rim. Yes, they do. And I found that very funny. Because because apparently they are making it that, because they are like really flooding in other things into uh-huh. the trench. Um, which is in the book, but I think they're going they're going hard with it. Right, because in the book they meet there's a plesiosaur down there, right? Yeah, there's a couple of other things that are like but the but they're saying like you have to remember that in the first movie the only reason the Meg gets to the surface is because it is uh living in the blood of the other Meg that it's that is dying. Yeah. And that's the reason it's able to acclimate to the different temperature. But the per- reason that the Megs have only been able to live by these trenches is because of the heat. And then in the second book, the Meg you're, you're focusing on where all this stuff starts is because of the Megs that are already at that level, mm-hmm. right? They're already in that climate. Um, so like there is stuff that happens on the trench, but like we're talking about a ton of creatures now getting to come up to the, to the cold lot whatever i don't care <laughs> uh i'm really glad that like earlier this year i put meg 2 as a as a discussion topic for this podcast and everyone went yeah i don't know and now this trailer's out and everyone's like yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, my thing was i wasn't sure i wasn't i wasn't sure if it was coming out this year oh i i was sure it was um all right 
Shall we go into our main topic? Um, okay, yes, uh, we are talking about the uh, the next two Indiana Jones movies, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, once again, if you have not listened to our first Indiana Jones discussion where we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, that is up now in the description below. Uh, please check it out. They These will pair nicely together. Um, so full spoilers for the, both these movies. I'm sure you've seen them, but I do want to say that anyway because that's just what I do. Uh, full spoilers for both for both these movies. Shall we get right into it? Might as well. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll start with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What did we think of this one? Cla- classic. True classic. Yeah. C- classic Indiana Jones. Um, an amazing film. Great story. Um, shows Indy who he is from the very beginning. Um shows that he's not always about the treasure he's about his family um the treasure sometimes could be a sweet point but he's <clears throat> i mean given the time it was made he's there like hey this this is a rare artifact people need to see it know the history belongs in a museum the famous joke what more can i say i mean this movie is fantastic it was such a joy to watch this movie again i haven't seen last crusade in a long time and it was just so great to watch this again okay I'm so sorry, Sparks, but I want to get you. I want to, I'll get you next. I had more I needed to say <laughs> at the top of the episode. Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade came out in 1998. Sorry, 1989. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, obviously. Written by Jeffrey Boehm. Importantly, uh, each Indiana Jones film was written by a different person. So Jeffrey Boehm uh, wrote this one. He would go. He he had written at that time Lethal Weapon one and two, Inner Space, and The Lost Boys. Uh, and then he would go on to create the TV series, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which is incredible. I love that show. Um, Tom Stoppard, who wrote Empire of the Sun for Spielberg, was brought in to punch up the dialogue. So a lot of the stuff between Henry and, and Indy, that's Tom Stoppard uncredited. He was a script doctor. Okay, Sparks, go ahead. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and it's more good Indiana Jones. How could it possibly go wrong or fail? Indiana Jones is always a hit, my friends. Um, there is no bad Indiana Jones film, so uh, yeah, it's a good time. It's not my favorite of the trilogy, which I didn't know if I felt that way for sure until this last viewing, because this one, unlike the other two, I have not seen in at least a decade. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, is that one of my favorite? Watch it again. And I'm like, nah, no, it's not. That's okay, though. Um, it's still very good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh, you were waiting for that, weren't you? Uh, for the listeners, just so you know, Brandon has pulled out a big, goofy Indiana Jones hat <laughs> and put it on over his headphones and then had to adjust his headphones. <laughs> and that is the comedy you are missing if you are not watching on the YouTube. Yes, that is, that is, this is awful. I can't do this. <laughs> uh, yes, I, this is my favorite. I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I can't take myself seriously with that thing on my headphones. Um, I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is my favorite of the Indiana Jones films. This is the one that I watch the most. I I've watched it five times this five times this year. 
Um, when I was on my cruise, when I was on my cruise in, in December, it was one of the movies on the action channel and you bet your ass. I was seated every single time it popped up. Um, even if I had to go to dinner, I was watching it. Don't care what part it is watching it. I adore this movie. This is, this is this, for me. This is the one. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so. Um, can you, can you start off by elaborating on more of why you feel that way? So this is where my love of the trope between uh, of a of a of a father and son reconnecting, of an estranged father trope that Spielberg does so much. This is where I fell in love with that trope. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since ever since then, whenever I see this trope, not it's not always well well done, but I, I'm always really invested in these types of stories. And this is where it came from. This is my favorite soundtrack of the three. Um, this is my I love I love the chemistry between. Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Like I love their chemistry so much. Um, I think they're just having a blast for me, for my money. This was the last time that Lucas Spielberg and Ford were, in, were in sync. Well, yeah. Um, and like, I don't even think they were this in sync in temple of doom. I think, but here, like this was like the Spielberg's in his element. Lucas is in his element. Ford is in his element. Everyone is in top form in this movie. Um, I, I, uh, I adore it. I adore it so much. I'm look, it's not the best one in the franchise, I'm sure. Like I'm I'm definitely colored by my perception of this film 1000%, but it's you know, it it is what it is. Like this is the one for me that I I I return to all the time. It's definitely this one and Raiders I return to a lot more, a lot out of all the films. Um I mean I talked. I said this last time about Raiders. Raiders is to me, it's the perfect adventure movie. You say adventure movie, you think Raiders of the Lost Ark. Last Crusade is that again, but with even more deeper character moments and deep and a deeper story. Where Indy is not out to find the um, the Holy Grail because it's like the Holy Grail. I must go get it. It's like you know the Grail belongs in the museum. He goes to get his dad, and then his dad convinces him to go get the Grail because if the Nazis get it, shit's gonna go bad. And it's like, well, I hate the Nazis, mine as well. As long as you're safe, cool, let's go. And just this whole time with him also connecting with his dad on, well, connecting with his dad throughout the journey, the whole time I was watching this, I actually thought about Brandon a lot. I was like, no wonder, because Brandon, I know how much you love these type of films. It's like, wow, no wonder Brandon loves this movie so much. Uh, Or I was like, I'm pretty sure this is going to be, um, your favorite of the Indiana Jones film because of the story between Indy and his dad. Yeah. And every single time, the, every single time when we get to the end and Indiana is hanging by and, and Henry's got Indiana <clears throat> and, and we had that slow moment where he, he just says, Indiana, Indiana. Like I, Oh man. Every single time I cry, every mm. single time I watch this movie, I cry. Um, or even just, just their the banter between the two when they're when they're on the blimp and they're oh. they're, ha- they're finally having a drink and then or when they get on the motorcycle and he's like no we got is like no uh marcus is that way he's like and uh sorry for the horrible impression please forgive me he's like but my diary is in berlin and they have to <laughs> go to berlin to yeah get the, I, the the two of them together i'm like obviously sean connery is is for those of you who don't know, which I think all of us here knows, Sean Connery is playing Harrison Ford's father because the idea for Indiana Jones came from a James Bond script. 
that Spielberg wanted to write. So it's the it's the in joke that James Bond is, is Indiana Jones's father, and I think that's very clever and kind of funny in its own right. Um, yeah, I um, I think everything Ben's saying is is really interesting too, because like there's a line in this movie where he says, "I don't care about the Grail; I just want to find my father," and that's that's the theme of the movie. Like Indy kind of gets pulled into this quest because of his dad, and I really like that. Um, because the, 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 it's one of those things like much like Raiders where like the journey is more important than the destination. And mm-hmm. for here, I think what's interesting about the MacGuffin of the, of the Holy Grail is that it's not, it, it's, and he doesn't get it at the end. You know, he gets the Sankara stones at the end of Temple of Doom. He gets the, he gets the, um, <clears throat> uh, 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 Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders, but he doesn't in this one. But he does. But he does get what he was looking for. And Brody says in the beginning, the quest for the of the Grail is the is a quest for the divine in all of us. Like it's not. Even Marcus knew the quest for the Grail. The quest for the Grail is more important than getting the Grail. Like that's what that's what's important. And so like that's what India. That's the journey that India is on. Yeah. And, and even Henry, to an, to an extent, Henry's obsessive nature of finding the Grail has blinded him to his son. Yeah. But through the quest. He's illuminated, as he says, illumination. Yeah, like when, um, when you, when uh, what's his name? Is it Kazim? Kareem? Chasm. Chasm. Thank you. Like when Cat, when Indy has Chasm, they're about to get destroyed by the propeller in Venice. He's like, "Why are you trying?" He's like, "You're looking for the Grail." It's like, "No, I don't care about the Grail." You can tell that's when Chasm finally decides to reveal like who who this brotherhood is. It's like we're guys who are trying to protect the grail. You're looking for it. He's like, I don't give a damn about the thing. I just need to my dad. He's like, okay, this is where your dad is. Bye. I will say, I've said a lot of good things about this movie. The Grail Knights, Chasm and his group, I don't get the, I don't get why they're here. I've never understood why they're here outside of a pretty interesting chase scene in, in the in, in Venice. I don't get their purpose in the story. Uh, like you don't you don't get why they're used in the story in a film sense not like what they're actually doing no i get what they're doing like they're the magi yeah but i don't but the film has cut so much of of because i i I was reading up on this film they were from the previous draft Mm -hmm. they were the villains in the previous draft and they were they were left over i think you could have cut them all entirely and it doesn't really change much Hmm. I don't know how much I'd agree with that, but I don't a hundred percent disagree with it. It's because yeah. they don't really amount to anything really. They show up again to distract the Nazis in the in the in the in the, in the on the trail, but I don't. They were they're always kind of the moment where I'm just kind of like I don't really understand what you're doing here. I I get it. Like you could argue that the Nazis are an insurmountable force until they take out enough of them that Indy and the others can finish the rest. True. You can argue that, but you can also argue the film could be written that way. But then the Nazis wouldn't be as big as an impressive compared to the Raiders version of them. So they have to be more and they have to be more daunting. So I hear you. Yeah, I think that their first scene is very good because I think it's interesting for Indy to encounter someone who is their job isn't to do what the Nazis are doing. You know, their job is to stop Indy from finding something historical. Right. Um, and he's never had to encounter that before. I won't say the film does enough with it, perhaps. Um, the fact that like he never brings them up to his dad mm-hmm. 
because uh, like I feel like that would be the important part, right? Like his dad should have some knowledge of them. Yeah. At some point, whether he's given the knowledge by Indy or like he's he has knowledge of them himself or like something like that. Um, so I won't I won't disagree that yeah. I I think like their involvement in the film could be better. Let me see if I have any other specific notes about them other than them being the ins- the clear inspiration for the mummy's magi execution. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I think the magi are executed well uh, better. Um. Mm. Um, but I guess we'll, uh, so another thing I really like about this movie is how it's paced. Um, I think it's paced incredibly well. There's, uh, something that I've kind of never gotten over, um, since I heard it where James Mangold was talking about directing Dial of Destiny and the advice that Steven Spielberg gave him, uh, to do Dial of Destiny. And he said, for Indiana Jones, always be moving, uh, constantly. You do not stop. And I really, I feel that in this movie in a good way. Like, I really feel like we get enough kind of emotional quiet moments but they're interrupted by uh, action. And the action is always in service of the character. Is always Henry, when, the, when Henry enters the action, it's, it's, it informs Henry's character as he's going to know Indiana through kind of a typical day for Indiana Jones, right? Um, it, like there's the line where he's like, you call this archaeology? Forgive my bad impression. Um <laughs> And so I, I really, I really like how it's paced in the sense that like, it's, it's never boring. It's never slow. It's constantly moving and, until, until the end. And I, I, I uh, I'm, I'm constantly just like jazzed to be on that ride. Sure. I, I agree with the pacing of it. Um, on the note of um, the, the Grail Knights, mm-hmm. I think the biggest advantage is that it holds off you getting to the Nazis as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. because just as you brought up, like the pacing's very good. Like when they're at the scene in Venice and they discover the night shield, all very good. They have that great boat, boat chase um, scene. I also really like that. Like you wouldn't get that with a Nazi where he's holding him sure. and he's saying like, I'm prepared to get killed by this propeller. Um, I love that stuff. Like the, the yeah. idea again of like in Indiana has encountered someone of made entirely of belief. Mm-hmm. And that's something he's never really, we haven't watched him rub up against like that that's a good point um uh that being said um i think that like if you take them out you have to have the nazis pursuing them in venice so you have to get to the nazis faster because you still need that the movie to be moving you need that action and everything and that sense of like urgency um so you have to drop the nazi flag even sooner and like that would be a little bit of a bummer i think in terms of comparison to raiders still um being so entrenched in in 100 the nazis right off the get-go rather than the reveal when he goes to get his dad at the castle that uh nazis hate these uh-huh. guys um a quick fun fact that i just thought of christopher columbus wrote the first draft of this film back when it was called uh indiana jones and the monkey king um that movie sounds wild there's a not there's a one-armed nazi with a robot arm and I kind of really want that game. Um, and um, this film is set in 1938. Raiders are set in 1932. There is, what was it? I wrote it down. There is eight years in between Raiders and the Last Crusade, but two years in universe. And I just find that funny. Yeah. Because oh. Temple of Doom is a prequel. <laughs> yep. That's how it goes. Um, so it's funny because they like, what is it? 1935 is temple. 
And then, where's the 1934? Uh, 1934 is Temple, 1935 is Raiders, and 1937 Uh, is Last Crusade. Add a year to Raiders and Last Crusade. Uh, It's 36 Raiders, 38 uh, Crusade. Then Temple is 1935. So, so yeah, so it's like he he does that, and then he does Raiders, and then two years later he does this. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's really funny that like it's been eight years in, in real time, but only two years in universe. He doesn't look that much older, so it doesn't really no, matter. He doesn't. Uh, Harrison Ford's clearly having a very good time in this movie, which is always which is always nice to see because he has a good time in all the original three. Yeah, um, and I'll, we'll get to it, but I would also argue Kingdom. Um, I'll argue for parts of Kingdom. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite scenes in this whole franchise is in this movie, which is the, the, uh, this is a castle, is it not? We have come to see the tapestries. If you are a Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. I love, I love the whole, I love the outfit that Indy's disguise is just, I'm going to put on Elsa's coat and hat. And she puts on her, his coat and hat. It is funny to see him do such a silly bit. Um, that is some, unique accent work from Harrison Ford. It is. So you'd never really see him do something like that. No. Um, I really love the, 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 the <laughs> and it's really funny because when you know that his dad is Scottish and he's got that terrible accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I really dig that scene. Um, speaking of Elsa though, I really like Elsa as a character. Um, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I actually completely agree. She, is because when I remember watching this film from when I was a kid and when I was really young, I only remembered her as the one who wanted the grail, the one who, uh, the one who was, you know, she was the one working with the Nazis. She wanted the grail. And after rewatching this film, it's like she, well, obviously she chose the wrong side and she does. Would you say she chose poorly? Oh, she definitely chose poorly. <laughs> um, the more I, the, when I watched this film, I was like, you know what? while I don't agree with her character, I kind of feel for her character. Cause even though she has that scene where she's loyal to the grail and not the swastika and like, which you can definitely see how she's distraught over watching the Nazis do their, their book burning when they're having that big parade in Berlin. And she's just watching and she's disgusted, but of course she doesn't do anything cause she's employed by these guys. She's there to serve her own means. And of course she gets her just desserts in the end. She, you know, she thinks she can reach it and she falls to her doom. Um, but at the same time, you know, while she is a bad guy, she's um, not really a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I still. Just, I'm just kidding. Right she, she had. There's more depth to her than like you can tell. She doesn't agree with the Nazis, but at the same time, it's like you're still a bad person. There's a good. There's a good amount of discussion to be had about if you side with the Nazis, you're culpable. Um, and I think that and I think in, in 1989 they weren't really thinking about that. Even Spielberg, um, who hates Nazis, um, but like, I, I so I think the movie does play. If you look at the movie through the lens of 1989, it does play well. That Elsa clearly is not subscribed to idea to Nazi ideology, but if you look at the movie through the lens of 2023, it still makes her problematic. And I get that she is still a bad person in this in this movie, but we are we are meant to sympathize with her, and I think that's a little harder to do in today's climate. Yeah, 
But then you got guys like um, Donovan, who was like, yeah, I'm glad he just turns into dust. <laughs> I do like Donovan as a character. Sparks? I look even when I've seen the movie before 2023. So the last time I saw it, probably a couple times before, I don't find her that sympathetic. Like yeah. I get the movie wants to try to trick me into feeling that sympathetic with the book burning. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that she likes to care for books doesn't change the fact of everything else she's been willing to do. She does ostensibly leave indy and his father for death like she's she is not a good person like Mm -hmm. there's there's not a lot of like she might not agree with everything the nazis are doing but she does agree with a chunk of it um uh she's not i i don't think like they do enough in the movie to make me think that she has a fully rounded arc of sympathy especially when like if you put into context the scene where she does uh end up making out with indy early in the film um, just the way that's played, I'm like, there's there's maliciousness to play it that way, yeah. and then turn coat on him later. So yeah. I, I've, I've 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 never interpreted her that way. I think like you could argue she's a victim of the culture she lives in, but like she's, she she makes choices that aren't good choices. I mean, you're always you've always uh, through our entire life been a far more socially conscious than I am. And so it probably comes into play a little bit there. She's got a scene later where like we're after the book burning scene where we're supposed to think more fondly of her. And they're like looking at the the reflective glass on the hill and they're like, huh, maybe that's not them. And she's like, no, that's Indy. Shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> um, true. Good point. Um, I have really nothing to add to that. Um, I, I wanna... think she's. I think she's a good performance. Uh, I will say that. Like, I, I like, I like the role she plays in the movie. Yeah, um, I, I, I like her as a character. I think she's. I think she. I think she has a really great reveal at the end when, not at the end. Sorry, at the when when it's revealed that she is a Nazi, and um, you get that standoff moment where where Indy's not sure what to do, and Henry's telling him, just let her, let her, let, let her die. She's a Nazi. Um, uh, so I really, I really like that scene and i think that the the actress plays the character really well uh, i think she's got good chemistry with indiana when we first meet them <clears throat> so yeah i wish i wish they'd done more with like the idea from that lives in the book scene of like that she could turn on the nazis and support indy like when she you know all i could do is scream which is true she she could have stopped indy in his tracks right there yeah. um and i feel like you could have done something where like she does value the 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 uh, Grail not getting in the Nazi hands more than anything else, and she could have come around to that side and then still fall into her fate. And you could have done that. It's just the movie's not really interested in telling that story with her. All right. Um, I want to real quickly uh, jump to the beginning of the movie. Sure. If we're if we're good if we're good on Elsa, um, the beginning of the movie is um, a, a a very silly. Um, uh, kind of story of how River Phoenix becomes Harrison Ford. Um, I, I think River Phoenix is very fun as Harrison Ford. He he talked about it after the movie that, and to get ready for the role, he didn't watch Indiana Jones. He watched Harrison Ford, so he mimics a lot of who Harrison Ford is, and I think that shows. He has a lot of his mannerisms. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's really, I think that's really cool, and I really like River Phoenix as the young Indiana Jones. Um, there's the bit where he does the 
it's just a snake. And yeah. I'm like, that's that's so Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. And, and like he does the point and he's still and he's still talking. And he, like he he does has he has an unbroken sentence when he's when he's t- t- doing the snake. Um yeah, I really I really it's a real shame uh that we didn't get more River Phoenix Indiana Jones. Um I know he turned down young Indiana Jones and then died shortly after the show aired. Sure. Um but that yeah. But yeah, I, I the scene is really silly and it's really funny to me that they that they made solo just two two hours of that scene um not a dig like i like solo um i just think it's like you know it's like this is how he becomes this is how he gets the scar this is how he gets the whip this is how he get he gets the hat this is how he like this is how he gets afraid of snakes um i think all of that is very very fun silly yeah um i do like the whip moment in particular i thought that was really cool yeah, yeah. apparently credited as fedora i think his name is richard young he was meant to be abner ravenwood Mm. originally like that was going to be the idea that's not because they took that idea out but i found that kind of interesting that would be a weird way to meet abner it would be especially like abner not usually wanting to get something for at least in the context that we're given from raiders um though i guess you could argue he'd be younger um and maybe more more foolhardy they the vibe is a little it's a little it's almost a little too uh one day this kid will be just like me uh (laughs) it's it's almost a little too much that um i'm with you i don't know i actually liked it like when the when that guy the one the looter is at the train and he's watching indiana run from the train after uh, successfully hoodwinked him he just necessarily smiles like oh this kid's gonna be good someday see i don't I, think that's i don't think that's the intent anymore though like you you might think that in the moment but i don't think that's the intent because when he what he's really thinking is i know where he lives uh like we got him we know where he's oh, going he's I thought, not really getting away i read it as what ben was saying the 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 like the proud like the pride in his in his in his face i read it that way yeah i think i think you're supposed to read it in that moment i'm not discrediting that because when you're watching the movie for the first time like that is the read you're supposed to have because you don't think you're gonna see that guy again yeah but i do think that there's a part of it where the thing is that he's like not that he knows where he lives but like he knows they're still gonna get him he's like that kid's good still gonna get him um but that that kind of section has a great match cut with the hat uh which i really like um and he um we'll put the hat away um and he uh is on the boat with this dude who had stolen the who had taken the cross um I, there's not i don't have a lot to say about this scene except for i freaking adore the double punch when he's over by the dynamite and the two guys run at him and he just takes a giant swing and clocks them both in the chin i'm like hell yes yeah, it's a really it's a really good transition shot that you were bringing up with the hat thing. Um, the double punch is very good. I think that's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like the ship scene in general. Um, I think it's just the whole thing's a good action and and roundup piece for Indy in this film. Yeah, um, something he'd been after the whole time. Um, uh, I don't think you guys are wrong, by the way, necessarily. I think he there is pride in Indy in that moment, but I do think there's also an amount of like. I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice, I didn't bring it up before the last time we talked about these movies, but I do think it's kind of surprising how simplistic the titles remain for these films. They don't get more 
fancy with the like it's all still the Raiders of the Lost Ark style. You know, yeah. they didn't even like once they add Indiana Jones on it, they didn't even do it in the classic font that we have on the, you know, like what's behind us right now. Like what's usually there when you see Indiana Jones name going like getting a little smaller as it goes to the right and everything. Like it looks really cool and everything. And like the tiles are still just like plain white text Indiana Jones. No, they, they do in Temple of Doom. I don't remember that. I don't think yeah. they do. No, in the copy of Temple of Doom I have, they did it in that font. And then in... uh um, what we call it? I haven't seen, I haven't rewatched Raiders yet, but in Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they do the regular font, but in Temple of Dune, they use that font with um, what's your name in front of it singing and it says Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Oh, you know what? You might be right. Hmm. I, could, I honestly, it's been a few weeks since I saw it. Maybe that's why I didn't think to bring it up before, but like looking at it now, I'm like, oh, it's kind of sad. In a way, <laughs> these opening <laughs> titles are kind of like, womp, womp. To me, um, yeah. not the not the opening of the film, just the fact that it's like it's less it's less bombastic with the title than I think it should be. Nobody else cares but me, which is fine. Um, I care. Mm, not really, and that's I, okay. think it, I think it's a valid point to bring up. <clears throat> All right, I do. No, okay, you have value. Um, so I, I, uh, the the Venice sequences are really fun. Um. Donovan. Let's talk about Donovan. Um, I think Donovan is a is a cool villain. I like his reveal. I think it's an effective reveal that he's the 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 he's working with the Nazis. But I really like his introductory scene because it allows to do something that Sparks was talking about last time we talked about this, which it allows Indiana to be a dork. And I really like it when Indiana's a dork. I think it's very fun. Um, and it, it Harrison Ford is able to play this character as this kind of bookish uh, professor and, and he gets to do it in, in a scene like this. And I think that's, and we get also when he's uh, inscribing the, on the, when he's on top of the, on Sir Richard shield, um, we get, uh, we get it there too. Um, but I think it's a very good scene with the, with Donovan and, and Andy kind of back and forth. How much do we know about the grail night? How, what, what have we, what have we learned about the grail stories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's that is actually a fun little uh contest they have there. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard this bedtime story too. I know that. And then he's like, I hey, try and ask my dad. It's like, we did. Your dad's the man who's gone missing. What? Anyway. That's such a good that's such a good reveal of um of that uh, of that kind of moment because like you know, Spielberg was very interested in doing a story about about Indiana Jones's father. That's what Spielberg does best is is these kind of stories. His, the way he unresolved his father issues is by doing all these movies um and he um and and introducing we have indiana talking about his dad and talking about like hey he's a tenured professor and blah 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 but the reveal that his dad is going to be an active participant in this movie is a good one because like oh we're actually going to meet as an audience member you're like oh we're actually going to meet indiana jones's father that's that's exciting because we're not expecting uh sean connery to be the type of the henry jones uh that he is Mm -hmm. which again i really like him in this role as a fuddy-duddy professor i really like i really like his arc um i really like his arc of as the as it goes on because we see him and signified really well i think kind of vocally to the audience where we see him kind of disapproving of Indiana having killed these Nazis. And we're like, hey, look what you did. I can't believe what you did. And then when we see 
Henry has later in the tank sequence, Henry has killed some Nazis. Brody says, look what you did. I can't believe what you did. And I think that's a really good signifier of like, oh, Henry has been on this arc and you see him throughout the movie. He's getting progressively more comfortable doing the things that Indiana, we know Indiana will do and, and taking kind of these orders like here, man, the gun here, do this. It's, oh, it's a new experience for me, culminating with the seagulls, where he play, takes an active participant in in the action, finally. And then we carry that on through the tank sequence. I think it's a really solid arc and a really fun thing to watch uh, uh, Sean Connery kind of get more confident with doing some more action as Henry, rather than just being I'm, thrown along with Indiana. My One of my favorite um, jokes between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery is when they're in the biplane and Indy yells, 11 o'clock! He checks his watch and goes, what happens? And he does that and then he accidentally shoots the tail. He's like, I'm sorry, son. They got us. That is my favorite joke in the whole movie and I shit you not. When, when, when Dad, are we hit? Son, I'm sorry. They got us. <laughs> like, it is just such a good John Connery is so funny in that not, moment not only that it's just a, a dad thing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it, like when you're a kid you don't normally s- notice your dad mess up so of course when so it's like what happened he's like they got us and you turn around and you're like How are they? I mean it's just it's, I really like I really like it when Indiana is kind of stringing people along because you know you know, he does it a lot in Temple of Doom, um, even even Raiders to an extent, um, but I, I would argue less so. Um, but like Indiana has to kind of string these people along um, who are not familiar with this lifestyle that Indiana Jones has been living in for years. And so he um, so, you know, he has that line where where um, he goes into the boat and is like, um, this is another this is another day for you is like, no, but it's better than most. <laughs> like, you know, he's got that. He's got that moment where where Henry is revealing is kind of seeing what his son actually does, which you know comes with with the line like "You call this archaeology?" Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Sean Connery in this movie so much, you guys. It is um, one. It is one of the best performances he ever gives in his career. I agree. Thank you for saying it. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> so, it's it's me saying like this is a very great performance and saying like some of Sean Connery's are not um yeah. <laughs> but but he has good ones and this is one of the better ones yeah um the tank sequence uh the tanks chase sequence is is incredible um i love it so much i love how it's choreographed i love how it's shot i i love how it's cut between inside the tank and outside the tank the line uh, Do- uh jones is getting away i think not her doctor not that jones the other jones <laughs> And Harrison Ford laughing with four horses running away. Incredible. Um, I, I love the, the, the tank scene so, so much. Just everything up until Indy falls. Uh, not Indy, but the, the Nazi falls off the cliff. Like, I just, I think it's it's, it's incredible sequence. It is. It's very good. The All of the action and chase sequences in this one are really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a subtle acting moment that I also really la- like at the end of that sequence when Indiana is alive and he, and he comes up, he comes up next to, to Henry and um, he, and he embrace and Henry embraces him. And you see like, like Indiana kind of like, like kind of fall into his arms and like smile, like, Oh, I'm getting hugged by my dad. <laughs> um, I think that's a really, that's a really sweet moment. Yeah. Ford's a very good actor. 
Yeah, he really is. You sometimes forget because he really hasn't been for some time. No, yeah, you do. You really do forget. Um, yeah, and he and uh, um, let me see. Let me see. I don't want to just say things I like, but let me go back to my notes. Uh, I do wish. I do wish that we got a little bit of Henry having to deal with rats. Um, we know that he's scared of rats. We get we get a line of dialogue of it. But one of the things that kind of makes kind of makes Indiana endearing, and I don't think you need this with Henry. Um, like I don't really think you do. I it's just kind of a lament more than a criticism. Um, where I I I like that we are introduced to Indiana being scared of snakes, and then he has to confront a problem with snakes. But Henry doesn't get that. He doesn't. We we learn that Henry is scared of rats, but he never has to confront rats in the scenario i don't necessarily think it's important to the movie but it is kind of something i wish we got you know sure um let's see oh um i uh the so the the three trials Mm -hmm. are are i really i really like how man i will never forget in the latin alphabet jehovah starts with an i Neither for as long as I live, neither will I. Like that is that is something I like. I I watched that when I was two or whatever. I was not two, but like whenever the first time I watched it, that line has been stuck in my brain since the first moment I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was so smart. Did you know that in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah starts with an I? Um, and then my little kid brain would be like, "Who's Jehovah?" <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the Grail Knight, uh, is in, we see the Grail Knight and, and, um, Donovan's old age is definitely invocative of the face melting sequence from Raiders. I don't think it's a better effect. I think that face melting scene is like truly incredible. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but I really like the effect of Donovan growing old i like the stop motion elements we do get a little cgi of the eyes disappearing in the back of the head which is always terrifying to me no it's really good yeah i really i really i really like it like just and also just donovan's arrogance because the whole when like when you first oh i love it like i love it like this truly is the cup of the king of kings yeah because he thinks like gold jewels status and it's like even i mean obviously we know the answer because you know you, we know the answer, but even then, it's like you're forgetting who Jesus was, my guy. You're kind of stupid because you're only thinking about what the church does nowadays or what it did back then with like all the gold and the gilded stuff. It's like, no. Yeah, it's like it would not be made of gold. And that looks like the cup of a carpenter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I really, I really like a lot of that. It's inter- It's interesting how they were able to kind of make something like trually inv- evocative of. The, of the, what this cup could have been had Jesus like not like mm-hmm. the biblical aspect but like really go go into like historically speaking what would this have actually looked like um something that I think the Indiana Jones films just do well at least mm-hmm. these three. Oh yeah mm-hmm. um yeah um let's see I, I mean I can I got notes too I can throw in anytime you want I've been I've been just vamping go ahead okay um so there's a lot more expansion on the indie motif in the score yeah i i probably agree with you if i 
if I ever analyze it for some reason, I have no idea. Um, there's probably a lot uh, to love in the score that makes it the, the best of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of good expansion on it from John Williams. Uh, the X never marks the spot to X does in fact marks the spot because of the Roman numeral 10 is a good gag. Um, same with the librarian stamping with the, that is such a good gag. I the, love that. The so hitting much. It. Yeah. That's a really good, it's really good. There's a lot of like, there was humor in the other movies, but I didn't feel like as much of it was like send ups of old school film humor as was in this movie. Sure. Like that's a bit from like older films. Yeah. For sure. And so is um the fireplace bit where they're rotating. Mm-hmm. Like that's out of so many old films. I'm like, man, like the humor's good in this movie. There's a lot of like old school film humor in this movie. And there's movie. a, a lot of that. great Go ahead. There's a lot of great visual gags. Like you just brought up the fireplace scene. Like when when it go, turns around and Henry is like flush against the wall as he's turning, right. and you get the punch sound effect and the Nazi falls out. Right. Yeah. That's um, very good. Uh. Yeah. Um. I like the Ark of the Covenant motif when they see it on the wall. I think that's I very too. cute. Yeah. Uh. I want to highlight Harrison has, I think this might be the one with Harrison's best performance. Yeah. That might be true. Um, I think his acting when they find the night shield and how, how he gets elated about it, I think is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Um, We've already talked about a couple of other parts where he's very good. Um, and that it's also one of Connery's best performances in a similar vein. I really love his excitement when Indy tells him where that they figured out where to start the search when he tells mm-hmm. him the name of the place, like the way that that Connery does Henry getting excited is is really, really convincing. Yeah. Um, I think their chemistry with each other, you already highlighted, is, is really strong. I would I would agree with you. I, I think I would agree that this is Harrison's best performance of Indy. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Like, yeah. I don't think he's ever phoning it in as Indy. Yeah. Um, but I think this is probably his top, top level. Yeah. Um, there's a really good gag uh, cut from Indy talking up Marcus to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Smash cut to him being like, I'm sorry, does anybody speak English? <laughs> uh, can anyone tell me where I am? Uh, Did you catch the line where he says, uh, no, thank you. It would, no, I would not like some water fish fish what poop in it yeah fish poop in it um, <laughs> something like that yeah oh, fish make love to it it's fish make love in it uh marcus is is a, a lot in this movie but yeah. it's fun um i really enjoy it i'm glad marcus becomes part of this so much Me too. Um, i really i really like the team of sala marcus indy and and henry i want to say i love sala in it i kind of wish sala was given more to do yeah like, I love seeing him. I just feel like he's not given enough presence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a couple of good moments, but then most of the time he's just kind of also there, mm-hmm. uh, which bum me, bums me out a little bit. Um, that Saul is not a little bit more of a presence. I don't disagree with that. I really like him in the movie. Um but I, I do wonder, that's a good question. I do wonder how much of that is just, I just like John Reese davies as... Yeah, like I as, love seeing as him. As a character. 
but I feel like he's not given enough to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we'll get into a couple of highlights in a moment, but um, I did want to say like what you were bringing up some of your favorite jokes. One of my favorite jokes in the whole movie is she talks in her sleep. <laughs> And there's the smile. And then just like the looking back at each other. <laughs> the smile Sean Connery gives kills me every time. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of Sala's best bits is when he's doing the like run. When he's yeah. telling Marcus to run and he does the punch. That's like, that's a really great, like that whole section with him and Marcus. That's where I'm like, yeah, Sala's in this movie. And then we don't see him again for a while. Right. Um, and and like that bums me out. And then when we do see him again, I'm just gonna bring it up now because like when we get to the tank scene, like I really like the bit where he grabbed the camels, even though Indy's like, no camels, and he's like, These are to repay my brother for the car. <laughs> um, but then Sala leaves the action scene until it's almost over. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know where he goes with those camels. He goes I don't think he got them to his brother that quickly. Like he, <laughs> he goes to his brother somewhere and we don't see them again, and then he comes back at the end of the scene. But I'm like, it's over now. Like, Sala didn't get to do anything there. And then he's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing now he just runs to his brother-in-law real quick. Yeah, right. Like, I don't. It's a good gag. I think it's funny. I just like when Sala comes back, I'm like, oh, I'm really glad you're still in this movie. But also, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and then at the and then he only in the final in the 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 kind of climax climax moment of the movie he's only serves in the same similar world that Marcus serves in, which is just to yell at Indy to hurry. Right. Um, but he but Marcus had more to do in the movie than Sala. <coughs> yeah. yeah, that's kind of my thing. Is like I feel like there was room to do a little more with Sala. I just do, yeah. um, especially as we get into that third act. Yeah. Uh, we talked we talked about it a little bit, but that motorcycle motorcycle chase scene is just really really good. Um, mm-hmm. The way that he he stops them and takes them out, and and Connery always looks disapproving, um, <laughs> except really... for one, except for once when he takes the lance. Yes, that's when Sean Connery's excited. Uh, yeah, um, really interesting Hitler gag <laughs> when he signs the the journal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that, and then it came it came up, and like as it was it, as it was about to happen, I was like, "Oh right, this happens in this movie." I was like, "This is just, it's just weird. Um, it's just weird." I'm not saying it's bad. It's just it's so weird. Sure, um, yeah. I I guess like I don't think this is a 2023 thing. I think this is a thinking about like Spielberg and like what it means to have Hitler in the movie and like to use Hitler contextually in a joke just feels a little strange sure i get that uh, i just i just like i watch it and i'm like i don't know how i'm supposed to feel about the fact that this is funny mm-hmm. and like it feels a little out off that it is um but it is funny i don't know i don't know what to do with that <laughs> it's, it's very mel brooksian isn't it it's 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 almost on that and i guess it just it feels just a touch out of place almost yeah. um in that way yeah it feels like a gag i'd see in history of the world yeah or something um it just feels so strange here uh another one of my favorite jokes and another one of my favorite scenes is the blimp and the no ticket gag oh yeah i love that so much no ticket. That, that might be that might be my favorite joke in the whole thing is is yeah no ticket and then everybody else like oh here's my ticket (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, yeah, I like the moment when he when he when he like takes the um takes the guy like takes the guy by the arm and like oh hey how's it going um i like the whole blimp scene honestly like i, I really like the the moment between henry and indy mm-hmm. when they're when they're having that kind of heart to heart where henry's like well i'm here now talk what do you want yeah. to talk about and indy just can't think about anything that feels right. very real sure it does um <laughs> uh, so i really i really like i really like that kind of quiet moment but then you know it's interrupted by like let's go on a biplane now uh Um, yeah i I think it really highlights really well this idea of like an an experience i think absolutely everybody probably has in one form or another at one point or another with a parent Mm -hmm. where it is this idea of like you're boiling it down to like how come we never really talk but like the the concept is like how come we never like actually say anything meaningful to each other right like how come there's no convert like there's no important conversation we ever have with each other. It's like, okay. And usually that is like, that's very of the time. And then on for a while into our parents and everything like of like a comeback of like, okay, well I'm here. What do you want to talk about? And like, you're supposed to come up with the topic right there. And it's like, that's not the point. The point isn't that there's something I want to specifically talk about right now. Just like, I want us to have something meaningful shared between us and like wanting to express that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We can all relate. Oh, really? I mean, I know you can. I'm assuming yeah. on Ben. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm actually... Sparks, I'm hoping you have more, though. I don't want to stop. Oh, talking. I do. Sure, yeah. I just wanted to leave room for Ben to jump in. Ben already said what he wanted to say. He's like, hey, the movie's great. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, kind of, yeah. I, have, I really have no notes against it. When I was watching this, uh, I was just having fun watching... Uh, last crusade again ben i want you to know that i i for many years just stopped doing research for the show and just stopped preparing for many episodes but for these episodes i was like i'm gonna be more prepared than i've ever been prepared in my freaking life okay so i got pages baby oh brandon brandon throwing previous episodes just under the bus just <laughs> me in previous episodes sure who directed um, i don't know subdued uh the the nazi in the tunnel when they're doing the plane chase and <laughs> just the- he just comes sliding through <laughs> before he blows up <laughs> he just explodes also one of my favorite henry bits and i think just a good bit between like indy and henry and and indy seeing like this different way of approaching things but like an admiration for his father and how he does it with the umbrella and the birds yeah um and he quotes uh shakespeare in that moment um right charlemagne i think right charlemagne yeah charlemagne uh just remembered my charlemagne um overall the movie has just a lot of great action and great humor that's just true across the board yeah i agree uh okay I wish Ryan were here for this, guys. Hmm. We have a question. Yes. And it's a question we both have. How did they turn everything around on the Nazis at the end, guys? What, what happened? Yeah, okay. So uh, all of a sudden, Sala has a gun on the Nazis and says, drop it, please. And there's a sound right before that at the cavern wall that the Nazis turn and look at, but we don't see anybody come in. How... Did they turn everything around on the Nazis at the end of the movie, guys? So, so, okay, here, so, okay. 
I see what you're saying. And I'm, I thought that the people who were with the people who were left with Donovan were the, were the Sultan's men, Uh not the Germans. Uh And so when they see Henry alive, they get spooked. And then the Nazis who are left are, they drop, so the spooked, the spooked guys drop the guns and that's Sala picks up the gun and the Nazis are, are, um, taken aback by by the commotion of the others leaving. Okay, okay, that's what that, happens. That's how I've always seen the scene. Cool. It is not clear. Yeah. Um, it is not clear how they get the upper hand on the Nazis. Um, it's also not clear uh, <laughs> why the Nazis are just like letting Indy heal his father. Um, <laughs> like. I he walked out with the Grail. What are you doing? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, these are stormtroopers. They don't have brains. Sala gets a gun on one of them, and they all drop them. Um, it's just the movie little, needs to be over. It's just a little strange. That's Sorry. all I'm saying. It's just a little strange. And then they all conveniently, like, thank goodness there was only this amount. They all fall in the cracks, I guess, or they run away. That, that that's true um i i really i really like the um one of the things i really like about the indiana jones franchise is the the um uh price that comes with finding these mystical artifacts mm-hmm. um you know the ark of the covenant if you open the ark of the covenant and you're not pure of heart you die or i'm sure that's probably it or not um and uh but here it's like yeah you can be immortal in this temple but once you leave this temple you can't you won't be immortal anymore and the grail can never leave this temple right and i really so i really like the the kind of price of like the price of immortality i like that that's in this movie and that elsa elsa's greed triggers the the destruction of the of the temple right there's a there's a great and classic energy that you just can't get away from from how they do like the night and and his presence and, yeah. and the way he treats Indy as he comes in and the others. Mm, something very iconic about that for sure. Yeah, I really like his lighting, which you know, he is illuminated under like this kind of this kind of cold bluish light. Yeah. And uh everyone else around him is in the warm light of the fire. Yeah. Everyone else around him. <laughs> uh, I mean, she just couldn't let the, the let the grail go. Um, and Brandon already brought it up at the top, but uh, the um, Indiana, Indiana, let it go, uh, is is really good because you know it's him having called him Junior throughout the movie, really speaking to in in nineteen eighty nine terms of a uh, set in the thirties film, acknowledging his preferred identity, yes, uh, and to bring him to recognize like what he's the very trap that he's allowed himself to fall into that Elsa just did. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I appreciate that a lot. I do too. Uh, every single time when he, it's just always gets me for sure. Um, okay. Shall we rate, rate, rate it? Mm, yeah. Let's uh, do it. Named after the dog. <laughs> um, I do just, I do just like, I love Sala being there. I, I think that that's even part of it. Like why I don't get that moment entirely is it, when Sala gets a gun on them. Is like Sala just didn't get enough presence. So like, it's it's such a whirlwind moment. I wish he was given just a little bit more. 
Sure. It's maybe my one actual gripe about the movie. Um, smart it, smart. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Cinematography is good again in this movie. Of course, the cinematography and the lighting. Did you look up if it's the same from it Temple of Doom? And yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. There's a they have a. Regardless of the writers changing, the cinematography consistency between these three films is part of why I think they just like kind of stand pristine in their own in their own way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so Ben, why don't you rank it? Rate it. Oh, rate it easy. Nine, nine out of ten. Um, yeah. Still awesome time, fun movie. Um, can't really say anything negative about it. It's it's a great Indiana Jones film. Sparks. Well, it's a 10 out of 10. I don't know what Ben's doing. I was going to um, say. <laughs> it's a 10. Hey, I can't say anything negative about it. 9 out of 10. <laughs> it's a 10. It's this and Raiders. They're 10s, like, baby. It's, it, you don't get better Indiana Jones than these. I, I, I'll, I'll say Raiders is a 10, but it's a 10 because of nostalgia's sake. And it's a 10 because I've seen that one the mm. most. Scared that too. And it's a ten because when I when I hear the term adventure, I think I instantly think of Raiders first, but then I instantly but then I think of Last Crusade second. I'm not not to I'm say not, Last Crusade's a bad movie. It's definitely not. Look, I'm not here to criticize other people's rankings. Everyone's allowed to rate and rake anything however they want, and I don't think like you should compare films, which is why I'm not going to be like Ben. If the third Bill and Ted movie is a ten, what, why is this a nine? He because, didn't give Bill and Ted because, a ten because films are different. That's right. Ben was out of his mind. Um, <laughs> it's I'm not really judging. Funny. I'm not judging. I'm, I'm, I, everyone has their own way of doing it. Uh, I'm. I am far too kind. I will usually rate things higher than maybe they would be by most people. But I'm like, eh, if I don't need to be picky about it, then it's this. Um, in my heart, ten out of ten. Same for me. 10 out of 10. Uh, this is my favorite Indiana Jones film. One of my favorite Spielberg movies. Um, I, I adore, adore. I cannot tell you. I cannot emphasize enough how much I just love this movie. Just with all my heart. All right. Now that we did that. Um, real quick, Grayson said, never really thought of it, but with Harrison Ford playing Indiana the way he did, could he have played an Iron Man or Reed Richards back in the day? Uh, yes on the Iron Man, no on the Reed Richards. And like, yeah, I, we're doing a lot of like contextual stuff, like, but at this age, could he have played Iron Man? Absolutely. That's a good point. Well, should we go into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull then? Uh, real quick also, Grayson. Yes. Um, if if you follow along, our our episode after the next two come out is going to be all Indiana Jones. It's going to be Indiana Jones for a while on real score. Uh, okay, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I wanted to give my 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 thing a highlight. <gasps> um, so this is the fourth the fourth installment of of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones: The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Once again, directed by Steven Spielberg. Written but this time by David Coep, um, who directed with. Uh, Spielberg, Jurassic Park, one, who wrote with Spielberg, Jurassic Park 1 and 2, A Mission Impossible 1, uh, Spider-Man, the 2017 Mummy, Kimmy recently, War of the Worlds. Um, and he is one of four credited writers on Dial of Destiny, mm. which I found interesting. Lawrence Kasdan came back to script doctor a lot of the relationship dialogue between uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Karen Allen. What amount there was. What amount there was. Uh, that was that was Lawrence Kasdan. All right, that's all I got up top. So let's get into it. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, what do we think? Benjamino. 
Well, this is the first time I've seen it since theaters. Ditto. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I don't hate it as much as I did back then. I still think take out the aliens, put in something else. You have a, a decent Indiana Jones film. Um, I definitely think pop culture and like like the general consensus of the, about this movie has definitely kind of taken my re- or definitely given me like added fuel to the bias fire. Um, I mean, really, it's if you think if you compare this one to the other ones, it is a very I don't want to call it paint by numbers Indiana Jones film. I want to give it credit for trying something new, and that is the aliens. But at the same time, it, aliens just don't fit with Indiana Jones being an adventure. But I will give them credit where credit's due. They try something new. And I mean, really, now that I think about it, it's, it's not as bad as I remember it. I mean, some parts aren't the best, but eh, I mean, it's, it's there. Sparks? Uh, I, like Ben, do not think it's as bad as we remember. Um, I've talked a lot of trash in the lead up to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but, like, I don't think it's a... I've seen a lot of bad movies, and, like, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not a bad movie. It is perhaps misguided, um, and I think that the aliens are not the problem. They really aren't. I think execution is the problem. I agree with that. Yeah. um, Personally... I am of the opinion that it's not it's it's kind of for me around Temple of Doom. Um as as you guys know, I was not as hot on Temple of Doom as you guys are. I really like the movie. Truthfully, I like every Indiana Jones film. I've seen all of them multiple times. Um I still find enough to like about this movie to rewatch it frequently. Um but I mentioned that this was that Last Crusade was like, you know, it's the three of them, Lucas, Ford, and Spielberg in sync. This is this is them not. I mean, it's painfully obvious that they're really just not in sync for what this movie was going to be. Um, and they because of that probably shouldn't have made this one. And I know that's why the fifth Indiana Jones film never got off the ground, is because they could never they kind they just couldn't agree on what that movie was going to be. Um so uh, that's kind of a bummer, but yeah, it's 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 fun. I have a lot to talk about with this one. Um, it has my favorite uh, Paramount uh, transition. Well, sure, that's pretty. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. This one. All the others just fade to black. That's not fair. No, no, the Paramount ones always fade to a mountain. The, the Paramount logo is always it's a staple of the, of the franchise. It fades into every single time fades into a mountain. The first one is the mountain that we're that we're kind of zoomed in on before we go down to meet Indy. Um, the the third one is. What's the third one? Oh, the second one's really funny. The second one is the gong. It's, it fades into the the Paramount logo is on the gong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one is the, is the, the third one is the mountains in Utah. Yes, the third one's the mountains usual. Um, but this one is the is the the mole hill, the gopher hill. And mm-hmm. I just find that very funny for some reason. Um it's well, one they thing made a, they made a mountain out of a mole hill. Cute, I like that. Um this was the um the, the, the this is kind of when I was watching this, I was a little concerned. I was like, oh my goodness, um Paramount's not not making Dial of Destiny. We're not going to get a transition from the Paramount logo. And then I saw their name was on was on the poster, and I was like, "Oh, baby, are we gonna get one more? Are we gonna get one last one?" Um, so let's get into it. 
Crystal Skull. I think Sparks is right. The execution is shit. Um, it's just sloppy. I, I've had... I have had to wrestle with the inclusion of the aliens, interdimensional beings, um, for many, many years. Because I'll contend that I... Honestly, this movie's got me for like a lot of its runtime. And then it loses me. And it loses me... The exact point is when Shia Shia LaBeouf is swinging with the monkeys. Um, But it's... But the... the, the, (coughs) When we get into kind of what the Crystal Skull is, the thing about Indiana Jones that I've always liked is the ambiguity of just mysticism, right? Like, we never really know that Jesus Christ was real. We know that the Grail is real, so therefore the the story around the Grail must be real. But it could just be a mystical artifact with no with history that we made up. Same with the Ark. Same with the Sankara Stones. I mean, the Sankara Stones are made up are made up MacGuffin based on a real thing. So, but the Crystal Skulls being from aliens, and then we see the aliens, and we see the saucer, and we see all this, and I'm like, that's too much. You you for me, you're breaking. You're kind of breaking. To me, it it breaks the world. Mm-hmm. a little bit i i don't 100 percent agree with that sure um i don't think it breaks anything any more than a knight that lived as long as the knight did in the last crusade sure what i do think is that the saucer is a step too far yeah i will say that um i would feel maybe a little differently about the seeing the alien if indy saw the alien alive um he didn't Mm-hmm. You know, no one did technically. Kate Blanchett's eyes burst into flame. <laughs> um, so, uh, it, I, I hear you. But I we think, see. We no, no, no. See I, 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 I agree. I agree. Yeah. I would have preferred, and and I talked with Ryan about this. Like the the way to do this in classic, what we've watched trilogy wise, indie fashion, is that I really like the idea of the skeletons like starting to combine with each other because mm-hmm. of the way the thing is whirling around, and so that's what it looks like. And I would have cut that like halfway before it really forms into anything, and then you just cut to Kate Blanchett's face yeah. and the horror of what she's seeing, and her eyes can burst into flame and all that. You leave it. And that's it. No saucer. You don't see the final thing she saw. That's how you do it, right? Like yeah. that's classic indie trilogy way. And and if they left it at that, I would be much much more on board with the execution of the alien stuff. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think they just overshow the hand, and also oh, yeah. because the CGI is not good even mm. for the time, which is nuts. This was not a low budget movie, but like. No. Peter Jackson's King Kong came out a few years before and looks better than this. Yeah. I, I definitely, while I was watching this movie, I definitely remember, I mean, obviously the skull should be like the dead giveaways. Like it's aliens. But like when I saw it, I was like, I thought it was just like a, a freaky ass skull. That's what, all I thought. And like the reveal of the aliens was, you know, inside the saucer, when they all come together, you see them and the saucer goes up. But when we see the, like when they're in, um, they camp and Indy's chained up and you see the remains of the dead alien already. It's like, wow. I, cause I do not remember that from my first viewing. Can I, can I, can I interrupt you real quickly? And because you brought up the, the dead alien, I don't understand the point of that dead alien to the story. It's supposed to be from Roswell, New Mexico. I get that. I get that. 
I don't understand, like, Kate Blanche is like, I've searched everywhere for this thing. It doesn't take her closer to Akatar. It doesn't have any hint at where Akatar will go. It's just she's just looking for other... She's just collecting these things? Not only that, she has this obvious Darth Vader trying to do the Force moment on Indy when she first meets him. And then they, and then the FBI agents tell him, like, yeah, she's trying to do, like, psychic warfare... Um, so you think that that's why she's trying to find these skulls, but really she's just like, no, nah, I just want to bring glory to the Soviet Union. No, she or, wants. She's or, chasing. Or, she's chasing knowledge. Yeah, like for for herself, like that. Her obsession is is, and that's true of all of our indie villains. Usually, is that their main obsession usually overtakes them, like their mm-hmm. individual obsession, regardless of like the greater thing that they're working inside of. The machinations of the machine don't matter as much as their personal goals. That was true of Donovan. Um, and it's it's certainly true of um, Belloc. Thank you. Um, uh, and it's even true of our uh, friend from Temple of Doom. Like, even though he lives inside that system, he, it's all about his power, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't mind that. Um, I do think there's I just I, again, we go back to execution. Like, it, it's really just execution. I, I do think like it's weird that we do that moment where she's clearly trying to do some psychic like she's having or at least interprets that she's having some psychic connection with the skulls and that's why she wants it to greaten that connection and that power um and i just don't think it's delivered on enough clearly in the script of the film but i do think that's the intention brandon to answer your question of like why do they want that i think she thinks it's a way to to deepen her psychic ability Mm -hmm. psychic ability yeah i just I like the opening scene, scene, don't get me wrong. I think the reveal of Indiana through his silhouette is really good. Um, he takes on his hat. He's not as old as I remember him no. being. I mean, he doesn't look as old, but he is as old as you remember him being. He's still 60-something at this time. Yeah, so I checked it out. So he, so this film is set, is, 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 it was came out 19 years after Last Crusade. It is set 19 years after Last Crusade, so it is set in 57, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1957. Indiana, Indiana Jones is 58 years old. Right. At the point of the story. Harrison Ford is 66. Right. Uh, and he looks great. And he's doing a lot of his action, his a lot of his stunts. And I think that's awesome. Sure. And how, makes, old is Harrison, how old is Harrison going to be in Dial of Destiny? He's 83 now, I think. <laughs> um, so he, so Indy, there's a scene in Dial of Destiny that we've all lambasted, which he's on the horse. Um, and he and I was thinking about this because, like, you know, obviously, look, he's 83 years old. He's not doing his own stunts. Um, and, but, he, but he's on the horse and the face replaced him. And I was looking at that and I was like, man, it's it's really cool that in this chase scene through the college on, where my, uh, on the motorcycle, we can tell it's Harrison Ford the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. When we see his face, it's always Harrison Ford. It's not a face replacement either. For sure. That's definitely true. Um, what I think is, because you went to the opening, um, uh, what I think is interesting about the opening is that this is the only indie film so far um, where we don't have a separate opening adventure. What he's doing, we meet the villain at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it is continuing into what the story of the rest of the film is. Right. Um, and that's just interesting. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. I do want to talk about what is absolutely a bad thing and is the real detractor of this movie to me. It's not the aliens. 
It's not that. It's not the psychic abilities. It's Mac. Oh. Why is he Mac. here? Uh, Benny did it better. This movie has a lot of um, Stephen Sommers, The Mummy, and The Mummy Returns did it better. Yes. Um, there's a lot of that here that is happening, where um, mm, The Mummy did this, and they did it better. Uh, he's Benny, and they did Benny better. Um, yeah. Don't yeah. care for Mac. I don't think it's executed well. And in fact, the worst thing that happens in regards to Mac is that he's used as a plot point that I think this is the thing that really makes the the opening of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull a drag for me. Um, completely abandoning the idea of Professor Indy and having to pick up not only war hero Indy, but war hero Indy who is suspected by the government of not being worthy of being war hero Indy. And I'm like, boy, this is a lot of levels of like, did we need to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about this. I forgot that like the Bureau... Uh, doesn't trust Indy, doesn't believe he's worth the medals he made fighting in the war. Um, and thus, they are ultimately what cost him his uh, time being a professor for the interim of this film because of the investigations they're putting on him. And I'm like, was, was, was this, did this matter? Did we have to do this? I don't know how it does anything relevant to the story or to the character that I care about because you could have just had Mutt come and see him while he's just being a professor. So you're absolutely right about that, and I want uh, and and I think it comes from the fact that, you know, so they obviously went, because they said in the in the fifties they wanted to do the Soviets, and it makes sense that they would make the Soviets the villains of this piece, but they also want to talk about the Red Scare where the for where um, people were you know blaming their neighbors, yes. but that's not addressed to any meaningful length in the film. It's mm -hmm. just kind of surface level, and that's yes, that's really interesting that they decided to honestly take it out or or do more with it is really your only option and and this kind of half measure and that's kind of this my issue with the film and it sparks is absolutely right a lot of it is execution but my issue with the film is that there's a lot of half measures here they don't commit hard one way or the other in many aspects and if you are to take like if the bureau is telling the truth which from indy's perspective you would have to assume they tell him that mac like double cross them and that's one of the reasons that they don't trust indy now and so when Max says, I was a double agent this one time, but the Bureau says, hey, all those previous times, he ratted out on the people that you guys were protecting. Why does Indy, like, allow him even near them? Like, it, 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 does, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Like, the information that the movie's trying to give us about why these things are happening, it doesn't care enough to, like, do the follow-through on, like, this is actually informing on Indy's character, and, like, therefore, he shouldn't trust Mac, but he ends up doing it because of this dumb double-agent shit. Stupid. Just yeah. stupid. Mac is an awful character, and, like, his circumstances for existing in the film actively upset me because they do nothing except, like, hinder the story from progressing rather than, like, building Indy's character in this film. That's a good the point. only positive I'll say to Mac is that is the joke where it says, once I get out of these chains, I'm going to break your nose. And he does it. Yeah. It's great. Other For than sure. that, I don't think Mac should have been in this film at all. He's a really annoying character. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just it's just crappy. Like, I don't, I don't like the attack on it. I mean, well, you can I, easily get the... You can eat... Without Mac being involved in the film, you could easily get the government distrusting Indy because, you know, he the Russians brought him to Area 51 and already secure a site. That could give him this just trust. You don't need to have Mac in or, or anything like that. 
And it's just, yeah, I completely agree. The whole time Mac was on screen, I was like, get Kate Blanchett back in here. She's much more interesting of a character than this fool. You know, Mac is Mac is really frustrating because like I I'm a simple man. Like you guys, you know, I I'm sure many people think my taste is shit, but like there's a lot of bits where I'm just like, I you know, I think that he's funny. Um, and I do think that Ray Winstone. Yeah, please? sure. Uh, Beowulf. The last thing before I saw this, I saw him in Beowulf. Um, when he and I think he and Indiana and, uh, and he and Harrison Ford have good chemistry for the most part, honestly. But <laughs> it gets to be all the I'm a double agent. Oh, are you a triple agent? No, I just lied about being a double. It's like, I don't care. By the time by by the by the by the time we get to the end, I just I'm so checked out of that character. I just don't really care what happens to him. Um, his best bit, it, like the best bits with him and in the beginning of the movie in that first scene that we see him and he shouldn't have been part of the film after that. Mm-hmm. Like the Soviets should have just abandoned him. Yeah. Um, like I just, I don't, it, he brings nothing to the film, but drags it down. Like I, even his lines to Indy, like, I don't think his accent is very good. Um, and he, I think he like, I just don't, I don't like the way he's delivering the lines and I don't think the lines are very good. They're mm-hmm. not, they're not they're all just so shallow. Um, and he's clearly such a shallow character that like, it's not like when you get a Sala or a Marcus Brody or a, um, I'm trying to think of a bad guy contemporary. That's still like this. Um, it's not even like our, our, uh, Nazi who likes to hang his coat. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, he's, he's just, he's got nothing to bring to the table. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and he actively, bogs the movie down for me but but he does have a bit i really like and it's um when indy is bringing the vehicle straight at the soviets in the warehouse Mm. and uh they're confident they've got him and he's sitting there shouting you don't know him you don't know him (laughs) um and that's the good bit of like someone who has betrayed Indy but worked with Indy so they know what he's capable of shouting at the Soviets like you do not know him yeah. um, that is pretty funny it's not worth him being in this movie for the rest of it like again right. he could have ended at that scene and I would have been like fine whatever whatever um, but especially the way they handle like we already talked about it that 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 war war hero distrusted Red Scare stuff it's just not in, it's not important to the rest of the film yeah it just isn't. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, like, he, go ahead. No, you get more, arguably, you get better discourse or a better um, look into like pop culture America when the greasers are fighting the jocks. And that's only a 20 second bar scene. I hate that scene. Right. And like, <laughs> especially like Indiana Jones, in the Indiana Jones, who got the Ark of the Covenant from the Nazis for the United States, that's someone we're going to distrust yeah um you gotta like really sell me on that and they just don't yeah uh so for me that's that's a pretty big old a big old whiff um i I do do, oh sorry real quick i do think that kate blanchett is 100 committed to this character i won't say that character is always written well but i will say she's 100 committed and that helps I agree with that. Um, I honestly, I think, um, I think Harrison Ford is having a really good time in this movie. I think he is sometimes. Yeah. And I think sometimes he isn't. Which parts do you think? 
Um, I don't. If you can think, name any, I I honestly don't think he likes uh like the bureau investigation scene. Yeah, where they're sitting in there and they're they're reaming him out for being this like distrust distrusted war hero, and his early like his very first scene that Ben kind of alluded to with Mutt in the diner and everything. I I don't feel like he's having as much fun there as he is later, even with Shia later. Mm -hmm. Um, and with certainly with Karen Allen, he practically goes back, uh, Mm -hmm. 25 years in his performance when she's on screen with him. Um, so like, I do think he's having fun at certain points in these movies. I just don't think it's all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, when you get to the, to the end wrap up with the alien stuff, there's, I don't know if it's his performance, like his commitment to the moment or just like the way it's filmed, but like, it's all very clunky once everyone's kind of getting into that room, uh, where the, where the skeletons are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. John Hurt, uh, when he, when he's not crazy, when he, um, when he starts spouting interdimensional beings, point of fact, it's a portal to another dimension. Another, I don't care. Mm. I don't care at all. I wish he would. I wish I I hate all that line of dialogue of like, this is what we're doing. Like, I just, it didn't matter to clarify. Yeah. It just doesn't like, or like, yeah, sure. Clarify. And then don't do a saucer. Yeah. And then like, there's the line where it's like, they went to, did they go to space? They went to the space between spaces. Like, I don't, come on, shut, shut up. Stop. If that was actually, I'll, I'll argue if that was the only line he said regarding it. Sure. And like we didn't see a saucer, right? Yeah. And like you just kind of see like the place collapse on itself, a la Mommy Returns, right? Mm-hmm. And then he said they were like, "Where'd they go?" And he's like, "To the space between spaces." I'd be like, "That's vague and weird. I like it." Yeah. <coughs> um. Uh, Lucas really wanted to do a, a B movie sci fi film, which uh, I think makes a lot of sense. I don't. I. I'm of two minds about this um like i i think that you could have done a a b-movie sci-fi indiana jones indiana jones film but you got to commit to that in this kind Mm -hmm. of half measure that we've ended up with where it is it has very much elements of those b-movie sci-fi films um but it also has elements of the of the pulp films that the the original trilogy is trying to be and and the clash isn't working very well um and it and it symbolically speaking i'm not sure if this is actually what was happening but symbolically it feels like lucas and spielberg are constantly at odds with each other in the dna of this film perhaps um this does go back again to i'll say it again execution Mm -hmm. um but i do think like here's what wins me over right to say like i think that the the b-movie sci-fi thing can work with exactly what they're doing with indiana jones i understand going for this you're in the 50s pulp stories of for the 50s they're about aliens. Like, you know, that's yeah. that it, it, it makes sense if you if you want to, rather than having Indy go after the same kind of artifacts, you want to bring him to the time period he's in, then you do alien stuff. And like that's kind of fun and cool. And again, I think if like a lot of the alien stuff we already talked about earlier on in the third act had been a little bit more vague, no saucer, not seeing the fully formed alien, all that kind of stuff, I think I think it could have worked because the the line Indy has at the end where um, they're talking about El Dorado. Why was El Dorado what it was? The city of gold. And he's like, uh, their word for gold also means treasure. Knowledge was their treasure mm-hmm. and how that was connected to what they learned from them. I'm like, you bring that full circle in that whole way. And like the El Dorado part of it is the thing that's like old Indy connecting with the, 
the sci-fi side of it. And I'm like, that can all work. It's just execution. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up the, um, the, the, the line of dialogue where he says, um, actually the word for gold is treasure, treasure knowledge is the treasure. There's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of him going, actually, it means like resting place. Like, Oh, it's not, it's not birthplace. It's resting place. As in final, there's a lot of that in this movie. More so than the other Indiana Jones films. I guess it's not a criticism. It's just more of a comment. To be honest, I, I kind of liked it because that part of it, what I like in the script is that I feel like I'm seeing Indy the professor out on the job yeah. more than I usually do because he's actively teaching Mutt even before he knows Mutt is his kid. That's a good point. I do appreciate how much, once again, we talked about Last Crusade, how much more dork Indy we get. Yeah, I think he's being more of the professor at this point in his life. And I don't mind that. I don't mm-hmm. mind him bringing more of like, I, there's a, there's a more of a, a little bit more of a desire to want to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you wanted to get like, definitely more big brain about it than they were at the time. Um, and Indiana Jones, who has gone through the action of the war would, in theory, be more drawn to the uh, wanting to share the the knowledge side and um, the fascination with history and the exploration rather than being as focused on action, being the the desire of what he's doing. He's going to be so much more into, I want to share this knowledge. This knowledge is important and, and nobody's focusing on it anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I will say, I just want to make just a quick note. Uh, it does suck to do the alien stuff in this regard where... It is yet another story that is taking the idea of Mayan and and that area civilization being as advanced as it was for its time in terms of discovering irrigation and agriculture and basically saying, well, the only way they could do that is because aliens showed them how. Aliens. Uh, and like because they're doing that, um, it, it detracts. It, it's a very intentional or not racist perspective. Um, where it is baked into the way a lot of, we know a lot of stories have done this kind of look at the Mayan civilization and said like, oh, but aliens perhaps with the pyramids and how they constructed themselves and their lives and the calendar and all this kind of stuff. And like, (coughs) you do fall into a little bit of a hole where like, no, they could just, they could just have been smart enough to have thought of this stuff. Yeah. It was a popular trope at the time, right? Like absolutely, really like I, you know, I'm not going to fault them for falling into that hole, but it is a shame that that hole exists. Yeah, I mean, when did Ancient Aliens start airing on the History Channel again? Well, it was even before that, like Stargate. That's all Stargate AVP. about. AVP. The, yeah, this is all in that same circle of like time period where a lot of that was happening. Mm-hmm. It's just a bummer that an Indiana Jones film falls in that hole, and I'm like, that's a, it's a pretty racist perspective that's been talked to death about. Yeah, um, I do like the line "Dusty Dunya, Doctor Jones." Mm, sure, it's good. Good line reading. Um, shall we talk about the fridge? I want to talk about the cinematographer first. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore the fridge in the kitchen. <laughs> um, so it's uh, Janusz uh, Kaminski um, is the cinematographer for this film. Uh, he is. Uh, kind of Spielberg's go-to cinematographer was before this film and has been since. Um, obviously the cinematographer for the first three films, I forget their name now, but they passed away before this mm-hmm. film was made. Yeah. Um, then I don't, the cinematography is obviously not as good as it was, but I think it's too, I think it feels too digital. 
there's a lot more cinema there's a lot more visual effects in this film than there are in the other ones obviously and i think that detracts from the film there's a lot of green screen used poorly yeah Um, yeah that's 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 what i'm talking about i think yeah and i mean it's one of the reasons why i say like for a movie of this budget even at its time it shouldn't look this bad yeah um it's because again like the the strongest contemporary there's so many of those jungle shots where i can tell it's a cgi green screen and what we're looking at and i look back at king kong and i'm like king kong looks incredible still Mm -hmm. like there's no reason crystal skull should look this bad um the the jungle sequences are are I really like the jungle chase scene for the most part. I think it's fun and there's some good banter between the characters. Uh, I really like the rocket launcher bit. Um, That's very but, funny. Yeah. It just comes in with the rocket launcher. Um, and I, I like the argument that's, you know, starts with the argument between Indy. And- I said, I said it has good car action. I want to know specifically what I said. I highlighted all the car action is. Really yeah. Good. I Yeah. But like, around that there's like way too much cgi happening i understand like you can't film in the amazon but you could have done something better i think you do feel like just like the disparity between going from the very real and tactile chases in raiders and last even even the first chase scene in this movie is real and tactile right um and then to the jungle scene and it's like but I'm thinking like when they're going through like the, the canyons or the desert mm. and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that feels so tangible in a way that this just doesn't. Um, and I do think it's a little bit of them still coming out of the, you know, early green screen era that may be a little bit more Lucas, right? With the Star Wars prequels now behind him. Yeah. Um, and just too enamored with how big you can make something without thinking about how it feels. Yeah. There is one scene during the jungle chase scene that kind of bothered me a little bit, or there was a sequence that isn't brought up. When he rips his pants? Hmm? Is it when he rips his pants? No. Is that what happens? I think so. It's weird. Ryan and I were both like, what happened there? (laughs) Yeah, it's a really weird joke. Do you know what we're talking about, Ben? No. Okay, it's the bit where Mutt gives Indy the, the knife, and he slips it down to his hands, and then you hear a rip, and he pauses, and then Mutt says, oh, shit. And like, it seems like the implication is that he ripped his pants, but oh, we never yeah. see that. You're right. That doesn't. And like, like a... it could also be read like, did he drop it? Like, did he? Did he like, I don't know. Open what it's the thing and drop it. It's such a weird bit. I don't. I don't get it. Neither do I. That's not the bit I was talking about. The yeah. bit I was talking about is when Mutt is fencing with Kate um, Blanchett's character, and Marion is driving, but then she gets hit in the head by a tree branch. Now, obviously. Well, she, she gets hit in the head. She like leans over like she was about to get knocked out, but she doesn't get knocked out, and she just keeps going and is fine the whole time. But the way the camera's focused, it's focused on her. Like you see her get hit in the head, thinking, "Oh, she's hurt really bad." And this, like, obviously, like she veers off. Mud has to help her. Or that that branch, that branch broke their windshield too. So like that that thing hit her. Yeah, like it's supposed <laughs> to signify that something's gonna happen to Marion, but nothing does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird cut. Think, I'll I'll acknowledge it's a weird and cut. The, and the whole time I'm thinking, I was like, is something bad? Bad? Something bad supposed to happen next? Right? Like something because. It, it presents know, what it does. What it does real quickly, Ben, what it does is it creates the implication of a complication, but doesn't follow up with anything with the complication. 
because yeah. nothing really comes from it, right? She just gets no. hit in the face and and then but she continues to drive. Yeah. Um like it doesn't really I guess maybe you could argue it's the reason why Mutt gets hit in the balls with a bunch of those with a bunch of those giant flowers. But like that's kind of kind of an interesting reading right. about it. So I mean it turns into a, a, a bad uh get hit in the nuts gag. But more of the time, the whole time I'm thinking is like I'm my focus in or my care is about Marion is like, is she okay? Is she got a blackout? Is she does she have a concussion? Is she hurt? Is this gonna lead to something down the line? No. It leads to nothing. It's just how what, what it gets hit in the nuts a few times. And well, what it uh, should do, what it should do, right? Like it should it creates a complication in the action scene, and the action scene would and what's happening in the action would get derailed by it, but it doesn't. It just continues on as normal. Yeah. I, if I was rewriting the movie, I was hoping that obviously it would derail the action, but also it would bring Indy to to help, but also realize that Marion got severely hurt and he needs to help, like either resuscitate her, or he realizes that hey, we're not as asking for a much more grim movie. Marion almost died by getting hit in the face with the tree branch. Well, she almost died a bunch <laughs> of times, but you know, it was it's like that come to Jesus moment where it's like, okay, we should probably be a little bit more careful and them realizing that hey this is a lot more dangerous than we think i, I don't know no um, i get you i get you like you're, i think you've articulated it very, very well um there's a line i want to highlight if you don't mind moving off of that no do you have anything you want to add about that bit no um there's a line that i really really like and it's clearly lawrence cast and i believe um where it's um where it's in the in the when, when indy's freeing everyone in the truck and uh she and marion says <coughs> There must have been a lot of there must have been a lot of girls after me. Like, yeah, but they all had the same problem. They weren't you, honey. Mm-hmm. I love that line so much. Um, Marion is my favorite of the indie girls. Like, clearly, she's great. I talked about her on Raiders. I, uh, on our Raiders talk, I really like that character. Not and a lot of stiff the, competition there. No, but true. But like, I really do love bringing back Marion and having the the culmination be that they've they're they're like together like it, it's their their love has finally blossomed into a marriage yeah um i feel like my only knock on it is that kind of like sala after a certain moment karen allen just doesn't have anything to do in this movie good point and it bums me out yeah um and i kind of wish she was in the movie earlier so that this indie and her coming back together thing the, the love story could feel more hmm more real mm-hmm. i guess because you know indy's indy's been a little bit too much of a hound dog in the movies you see since raiders regardless of if temple of doom is a prequel or not mm-hmm. uh you kind of got to build that foundation just a little bit and certainly for this amount of time build it again just a little bit, and I don't know that the movie gives itself as much runway as I wish it would have for that. That's a good point. I don't get me wrong. The moment that she and him see each other again, it's like they. I said earlier, it's like they both light right back into their chemistry on Raiders. But the chemistry between the actors doesn't change the fact that like a little bit more time to the characters was needed. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. um I'll go ahead with for a little bit if you want, Brandon. Oh, I was just going to say we should go to the fridge, but sure, continue. Oh, yeah, let's go to the fridge. <laughs> I actually I actually don't hate this um, no, as much as other people do. I, I, I think that, like, 
yeah, it's it's stupid and hokey and whatever, but um Indy's done similar bullshit. Like uh this might be the most extreme, but like it doesn't bother me. Um No, it doesn't bother me either. It's yeah. it's definitely silly, but I, I like the kind of scene leading up to it where he's realizing where he is and he's and he runs up to the Soviet car. Oh, sure. Go, don't get me. Or that joke is really good. I just think at the same time that you did this, you could have done a fallout shelter and been just as like, you did it. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And then, and then the, the, but the, the fridge is, is yeah, the fridge leads to honestly, what I think is a really good shot, which is Indiana overlooking the explosion. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool shot. He's too close. He sure. is. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I get it. Like, it's it's whatever. It's fine. Um. While we're while we're at that, uh, the the rocket car thing that takes him away mm. from them. Uh, really fun. <clears throat> yeah, I like it. I like um, I like that that Soviet guy, the the buff Soviet evil dude. He's mm. a fun. Yeah. Kind of no, no. What'd you say? No, go ahead. Finish your thing. Well, he's just kind of a fun, like, um, what's the, like, kind of a fun, like, non-speaking role. He has dialogue, but, like, he's very much that kind of presence of, like, I'm just henchman, but he's he's kind of. He's a bruiser. He's a bruiser. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. He's a bruiser. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good bruiser. Yeah. Um, uh, I like our little, oh, here's the Raiders again. Here's the arc. Remember? Mm. I don't mind it. It's fine. It's cute. It had been I, long enough that I think it's fine. I so okay. The music in this one. Mm-hmm. I think Williams realized too much. As much as I'm really happy to get Marion's theme again, the like the love theme between Marion and Indiana, uh, which we do get a lot. I think Williams realized too much on older material for this film. Mm, sure, I agree. There's not a lot of new here. Yeah. Not a lot of standout new. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a shame because I think all three of the previous Indiana Jones films have really good soundtracks. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Brandon, because I know we're doing a real score about this. I sat there and I'm like, we're doing a whole episode on this one. <laughs> that's going to be rough. <laughs> but it'll be fun. It'll be educational. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I like, I, I most specifically like when he uses their music for the wedding. Yeah. At the end, I think that's really cute and it works really well. It's it's very nice. Um, but yeah, the score is just not it's not very standout impressive in this one. Yeah, uh, I already said they, they relied too much on CGI also. It's apparently like they've talked about it beforehand and that they don't want to do a lot of CGI in this film, but then they just <laughs> felt like they had to. Like I, kind of, I, I wish they had made much, just a little bit less of the Fonz. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I like Shia in this role. I like his. I, I like how he plays with uh, Harrison. Uh, but yeah, I, I I agree. There's something that always kind of like Shia's role is kind of derivative of a, of this kind of greaser character. Yeah, he's not. He's when he's just kind of playing a scene with Ford. It's fine. Mm-hmm. When he's having to play up any of the bits that are like the greaser bits, it becomes very caricature very quickly. Yeah. Like the Ben already said, like the get that greaser bit. I hate it so much. Well, but does Shia say that? No, it's no, the, it's the, the like, Joe College. 
Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 No. And like that's that's not that's yes, I agree. But like I'm talking more just like what Shia has to do yeah. in the greaser role, like when the greaser has to come out in what he's trying to do with Indy. It's like uh, womp womp. Set back your character like another three squares. Yeah, um, I agree. Hey, that car chase with Mutt's motorcycle, though, that leads into the library scene is pretty tight. I like I, that a lot. I really like that sequence. I love how it ends with the with the uh, with the it's it's kid. one of the best. It's one of the best. Uh, honestly, I think it's the best line in this movie. The best bit is if you want to be a good archaeologist, you got to get out of the library as he's going on the motorcycle riding. out. Of the we library. also get a close up <laughs> on a Wilhelm scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is fun. Uh, the Marcus Brody statue, also just a nice touch. Sweet. Um, his, his his he died in 1944. Mm-hmm. Is what it says. Yeah. Um, which I yeah, think is I think is the right amount of real life years from Last Crusade to when the actor passed, if I remember correctly. Uh, he died in '93, and so so four years. After Last Crusade, I believe. Because Last yeah, Crusade came out in 89. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So just about, yeah. Not yeah. too far off. Um, okay. Uh, there's a, I, I like when we get to see some miniatures. It does happen occasionally. Um, the main yeah. one is the miniature of like um, where they go and, and, and find the Conquistador uh, grave and everything. The very first establishing shot is this big overshot head of a miniature. Mm, good point. Yeah, that's cool. Which I thought that's was cool really moment. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the blowback on the dart straight into the guy's throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good bit. Um, oh, I did want to highlight this. Uh, I, I, I just forgot that this kind of line was in here and I just really like it, which is when Indy's talking with Mud about his dropping out of school and everything. And he's like, uh, what do you do for money? I fix motorcycles. Is that what you want to do for the rest of your life? And he's like, maybe I am. So what about it? And he's like, is that a problem? And he's like, no, if that's what you love doing and don't let anyone tell you different. And I really like that coming from Indy that, that yeah. very much like, you know, do what you love. That's it. There's speaking of that, that scene, um, they canonize definitively young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Not that there was any question, but they reference it in this movie, the episode of Pancho Villa, um, he's like, I was kidnapped by Pancho Villa. That's an episode of Indiana Jones Chronicles. Mm. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah, there's there's a very good effect on the air catching up with the Conquistador when they let him out. Yeah, that effect is pretty good. It's practical, I believe. I think so. Or if it, it might be a little, it's practical with a little bit of digital enhancement, maybe. Yeah. Um, there's some jarring transitions in this edit, though. This edit. The editing's not great across yeah. the board. Um, there's a shot, the one where they have like Indy in the chair uh, in the tent. And like, he's literally like looking this way. And then it cuts to a shot. That's not even a good shot to cut to from that shot. And he's looking down what? and like, I'm like, this is sloppy. And it was, it, it literally happened after I'd already written the note for like the transition to the travel stuff being kind of jarring and not as smooth as it is. You can hear nothing. Good point. Um, hey, John Hurt's always nice to see. I love John Hurt. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, but he's fun. Help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the oh the quick the 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 quicksand the the what is it is dry sand or whatever it is right yeah 
the dry sand pit and i like it it's like you know professor coming out I was like, actually quicksand is a the combination of this 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 is a, and he was like oh we'll be fine right i like that we're not fine anymore <laughs> it's a good bit yeah and the, yeah. Sand, and the snake good bit and, and even like it, can, it continues into what you were talking about when he's like he's your son why don't you let him stay in school yes yeah i think that's funny um I, I I like that you get how indie real really feels, and then uh, the the immediate jump to parent reaction. I thought that yeah. was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, we talked about that. We talked about that. Just in general, like the jungle chase scene, we've already talked about a bit. Uh, the the just the green screen detracts. The nut joke. The nuts joke sucks. Um, the physical fight between Kate and Shia is both hit or miss. Like there's some really good bits in there, and then there's some really really bad ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, just, the swinging is awful. Just awful. I hate mm-hmm. the monkey scene. It this, this honestly like I think the movie for the most part for like a lot of this runtime and again this is my bias of how much I love just love Indiana Jones like I really li- I'm really with this movie for like 2 thirds of it. Maybe less. But like uh, like there's a lot of this stuff there's a lot of what I'm putting down that I'm picking up. I think it's funny. I think Harrison Ford is really fun. I think there's some good action. And then it's just, as it goes on, it just becomes sloppier rather than tighter. I do think the beginning is tighter than the than the, the first half is tighter than the second half. I would uh, that's, disagree. Yeah, and that I that's think the sloppy. middle is actually the tightest section, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, because I think we get a little sloppy with like the bureau stuff and all that. It gets too convoluted, too messy. But like from the moment he meets Mutt and the KGB come after them, all the way up to like once they run away in the tent and get out of the sand pit, like mm-hmm. that's maybe the tightest part of the movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd agree with that. And, but as it just gets sloppier and like, I'm even with the car chase scene, bad visual effects and all, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, there's some fun stuff here. There's some good banter here, but then the swinging happened and I'm, and I'm like, and then the ants, I hate, I hate the ant scene. Oh, I'm so sorry to disagree. Oh, that's okay. I just really don't like it. Uh, I, I actually like the ants. I think it's a really good use of it. That feels more classic indie to me, like as yeah. a, as an environmental threat, it feels very classic indie of what they're having to work around. And it's real. Like the, the those types of ants eat you alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not necessarily pick up a whole body and tuck it into their <laughs> hole, but they'll, but they'll, they'll hurt you. They'll stone you. They'll bite you. They'll kill you. Um, and they'll harvest your flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I need to know about. And like, ones. and I think that's, I think that's a good use of, of that. Like uh, it was at that moment that I'm like, you know, it is kind of nice to have an indie film that's set in a jungle environment. Cause we never had that before. That's like, like temple of doom has it a little bit, but not to the extent that this is. Yeah. And like, I do like the ants thing. I think it, I think it really works as like a, as a problem and an obstacle. And like, I like the action of them having to like all kind of scramble in their own way to deal with it. And I like the fight with the bruiser around it. And the way he knocks him into it, and like the tension between who's going to fall into the ants really works. I think that's very much like a, a very similar to like the tension of Indy on the top of the tank uh, kind of action beat and who's going to fall off or hit the treads or all that kind of stuff. I don't disagree with what you're saying um, for the most part. I, I just just doesn't work for me sure. very much. I do like that tank sequence, though. That's a good tank sequence. That might be my favorite action piece in the franchise. 
Sure. It's very good. Um, the I also like the skull diverting them, I think, for the context of, like, sure. even inside of just indie films as a magical item, like, the fact that it does that works for me. I, I think that's really fun. Yeah. I don't... I, the skull. I don't know. I don't think the skull is a very good MacGuffin either. Um, and Spielberg even said, like, I get why people don't like the MacGuffin. I don't like it either. Which is a wild thing to say about your own movie. Um but but I, I I don't really think it I don't really I, like it. I like that after he looks into it, um, you know, they're they're talking about like just leaving and, and blah 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 and doing all this and he's like, I have to return it and they're like, Why you? And he's like, Because it told me to. Uh-huh. Um that that kind of is all the motivation I need for it to work for me about doing the return of the skull and all that kind of stuff. Again, you know, all, all of the semantics really come down to execution more than anything yeah. else. I don't think like on paper, the idea is bad um, of the skull or reconnecting it with the skeleton. And the fact that it's even from these like alien beings of some kind, it's all just execution on the way there. I, you know, I'll, I will also say that I, I like that when we first are introduced to the skull in um, not Pancho Villa, Corey, what's the guy's name? The, the, the dead guy. Oh, or or Oriana, um, Oriana, yeah, Oriana. When we were in Oriana's grave, and 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 they take it out, and like they're they're like confused, like crystal's not magnetic, meter is gold, and he looks says, like, "What is this thing?" Right. I do like that. Yeah, I think it. I think it's a very like a, as a mystical object, it works inside the world of indie. It's mm. just the execution of like some of the elements that justify it in lore. You you yeah. tweak some things, and I think it would land much better. Yeah. Um. I really like the the um, the sand head puzzle that they have to do to get down mm. there. I think that's a really good classic indie kind of thing. I really like it. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. I don't think I have much more. You got any more? No, I really covered a lot of it. Like, it's it's because I ultimately agree with you. I think there's so many things about this that like in performance and like. Uh, idea <clears throat> storytelling there's so much good indie shit in here but it, the execution is sloppy and i do think it only gets sloppier yeah i agree um I will, I will, i'll say a couple more a couple last just bit of notes i have uh i really am appreciative that they kept the punching sound effect from the classic films sure um it could have been very easily have been something they decided to update and i'm glad they didn't mm-hmm. um there's something iconic about the Indiana Jones punching sound effect. Um, it's something soothing about it uh, that I like. Um, I had a question. Do you guys think Indiana tells people about his adventures? Like, does uh, he like he like he found Oriana's grave? Like it's a huge archaeological find. Does, <coughs> did he did he publish a paper? Did he tell anybody? I think only if he's okay with it being something that like other people know about like it, does he think oriana's grave should be visited by anyone else probably not so no would be right. my guess well that's a good that's a good point because like he has the thing in the in the third movie it belongs in a museum so clearly he he like and he sells pieces to museums all the two Barkus's museum all the time but like something like he solved a huge archaeological mystery with uh oriana's grave that nobody, everyone thought he never made it out of the jungle. His grave cannot be found. He found it, but he doesn't tell anybody. Well, I think the answer goes back to like Temple of Doom, right? Uh-huh. He doesn't tell anyone about those stones. Good those point. stones go back to the village. 
Good point. Um, it's just a thought I had. Like, does he like? And like, who would believe him if he published a paper about this adventure? Who would believe him? Well, that's the whole thing. Is like, if he was going to publish a paper about it, he'd have to substantiate it, which means like, there, there, he knows people would be following up and going there. And if he doesn't want that place disturbed or to put other lives in danger for people who shouldn't go there, then he's not going to publish about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really depends on what it is. Also, he doesn't take any of the loot. He just takes the skull and bounces. So I think it's more of a, we're just here for the one thing. Let's just take the one thing, leave the rest, just let lie here. Right, like he knows, you know, it would require a whole thing to go and properly take all the gold out of there and make sure it's yeah. not, like, pillaged by somebody. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't, as far as we know, he doesn't work for the British Museum. No, but he does. He does sell to the museum. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, this I is a silly. To... This is a silly topic. I don't <laughs> want to spend too much no, time on. I, no, no, no. I, but I, I was trying to make a bad British museum joke because you know they take everything they're not supposed to take. Yes, so. absolutely. A lot of museums do. Um, but I, I think that the answer really is just like I think Indy is selective. I think mm-hmm. if if he feels like it's stepping on the toes of someone who shouldn't be stepped on for cultural reasons or whatever, then he's just quiet about it. And the Ark of the Covenant would have been under an NDA. Right. Um, but like the Holy Grail, like, oh, I found the Holy Grail, but you can't find it. It's gone. Don't right. worry about it. Yeah. Or he would have talked to the night. He's like, can people at least just come see it? If it no, no, but like, like because he, it falls apart. The, no. the interest of the cabin falls apart. If it hadn't, might he have written about like where the Grail ended up and all this kind of stuff? And like, maybe. No, yeah, maybe. Uh, no. Spark says he leaves the Grail there. It's just like talk to. No, but that's like, not Yo. what I'm talking about, Ben. What, what I'm talking about is after the events of the Last Crusade, with with, with the Grail gone, would he? W- if he published a paper, people would think he's a crackpot. True. Sure. <laughs> like, oh, I found the Holy Grail. <laughs> but you can <clears throat> But you guys got to take my word for it because it's gone. <laughs> Or even if he stopped Elsa before she took it over the sea and the cave didn't collapse, pr- pr- people will probably will have tried to steal the grail anyway. So probably best right. to be like, Shh. no, but that's but that that's that's a good point on Sparks's thing because the grail is a good example of he would never tell people yeah. where he found it. Like if Elsa hadn't done what she did, he would take that secret to his grave. Mm-hmm. Um, he would he would never he he would never tell people because like what's the point? Um, but he. But afterwards, like it just like I just imagine the world. Like, this is just a silly topic. I, I don't know why I'm spending too much time on it. It's just a funny idea to me that the idea that he could that he would he'd have to be like, no, no, trust me, guys. I found the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that's such a silly idea. It's essentially like, sure, Uncle Indy, let's get you tip back to take your meds now. Yeah, it's it's the older Indiana Jones from the from the young from the young Indiana Jones Chronicles flash forwards, where he's just like, hey, back in my day, I was a, I was ninety, I was ninety nine years old. I have a fun, I have a fun one for you that I could phrase as a question, but it's more of an observation. Um, Mutt does not know his legal name. No, he doesn't. That's just weird. <laughs> I'm sure he knows his name is Henry, but he doesn't know that it's Henry Jones. And why is it Henry Jones? Oh, I guess because he he was I mean, born before she married who he thought was his dad. Right. So, like, wouldn't he take Ravenwood as his given name? No, because Marion decided to name him Henry Jones III. She put that on his birth certificate. That's her choice. So that's what he is. But he doesn't know that because three months after he's born, she marries Williams 
So he thinks his name is Williams because that becomes her name. That becomes Colin. his name. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It's just weird. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things where they, they, they had to come up with something to mm-hmm. make the reveal work. Cause you yeah. can't show up and it's like, Oh, my name is Mutt Jones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, here to yeah. see Henry Jones and I know my name is Henry Jones. And, yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so, so weird. We have the same name. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else? Nope. Uh, I do love that they get married at the end. It's very, very happy for me. Sure. Um, and that Indiana Jones takes his hat. So I don't, I never. If this movie had been received better, who knows the Shia LaBeouf movies we would have seen. It's so interesting because like, I, I do think the intention was probably to spin off Shia LaBeouf. 100%. I think, I think Lucasfilm has been attempting to make an Indiana Jones film without Indiana Jones for a long time. Because I do, I think it, I understand that he's, you know, that Jones is meant to be James Bond uh, originally. But I don't think Jones works in the same way that you could have recast this role. I'm not sure how I feel about it. And I guess, and I guess I wouldn't know because we've never done it. So I don't know how I would feel about another character playing Indiana Jones um, other than Ford. I just think it's so interesting that like this character just didn't become this kind of legacy character as intended. He was just, this is just Harrison Ford's role. Sometimes I think, you know, maybe that's for the best because just maybe some things should just be left alone. I agree. You know, um, I, I personally, I'm happy we don't live in the world where there's 30 Indiana Jones movies. Right. Yeah. You'd have to keep trying to make it fresh and every time, every single time. I do think, I do think I would like to see a story set in the world of Indiana Jones. Like, you know, I was, I was into the idea back then of a Mutt Williams adventure. Um, I would love to see short round return um, that Abner Raven would show. I'm not, entirely convinced but sure whatever like i think that there's potential of doing an indiana jones style story set in the world of indiana jones with a different character but i i just don't think indiana needed to to continue the way that something like james bond has i have i'm I'm not necessarily against like other stories in the world of indiana jones yeah but i do think that like if you're doing that um I think that it becomes a question of why not just tell a new action adventure story mm-hmm. based around an archaeologist. Like you can also just do something new um, and not be beholden to the world, but also be able to do whatever you want and really go for it and create a character just as like emblematic. Um, and I, do, and I think like no matter what you do, anyone else is always living in Indy's shadow yeah. if they're in the world. Because every action adventure film is living in Indiana Jones' shadow. That's a good point. I mean, I don't necessarily, um, th- I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with re- with revisiting an established world, um, such as Indiana Jones. Like I said, you know, it's just my, it's probably just my bias towards the franchise um, and wanting to see some semblance of it continue. I think part of it is like, I don't know how I feel about revisiting the world of Indiana Jones without seeing Indy at all. And if the implication is that you wouldn't, then I'm like, because like even seeing a short round thing, I love the idea, but I would also need a pretty good reason to know like 
why Indy's not even around or what happened with their relationship and that kind of thing. And like, it still lives in Indy's shadow kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's very hard to do something in the world that can be completely divorced from him. Sure. It's a good point. Also, uh, there's also the sense that like, you know, again, it's kind of one of the things where I'm up to minds of the whole thing where it's like, you know, if you did a short round, if you did a story set, uh, set around short round, it would have to be in the same time period as where we're approaching in Dial of Destiny because of just how time works. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would prefer to go back, you know, to go back into the 30s right. or the 40s even. Which even uh, more like demands Indy's presence to an extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is what, probably why the Abner Ravenwood thing was was probably interesting because we could introduce a younger Indiana Jones story. That mm-hmm. could have been something. I actually am far more into that now that I've said that. Um but, uh, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to say about that. Oh, the ga- games. Like, you can do this with games, right? You can revisit Indiana Jones. And we're getting that game coming up probably next year um, or the year after, where it's potentially set World War II-ish time mm-hmm. period. Yeah. So there's there's the potential to continue it in that way. Right. Ben, any thoughts on any of that? Not really. Okay. <laughs> um, just, I've just been happy with Indiana Jones movies, to be honest. I'm I'm also in the same boat with Brandon. I'm glad we don't have a billion and a half of them. Um, and I mean, I do think that Indiana Jones video games can expand the world a little bit more. But also, if there's a, like a spinoff of Indiana Jones, you it really needs to have like a special sauce that, I mean, just just makes it work because. If you do something Indiana Jones, I feel that Indiana Jones has to be part of it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. But at the same time, I know it can, the like the world of treasure hunting, these action adventure films, these period pieces can't work without Indiana Jones. Yeah, logistically, but you can't bring back Indiana unless you recast. True. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a definitely it's a weird MacGuffin, but I do think it, the realm of video games is the way to go. Yeah. And also, it puts you in the action and gives you a better. It gives you another chance to play Uncharted again. Shall we rate it? Yeah. Yeah. Ben. I give it a six. Six. Interesting. It's Smart. it's not as bad. Once again, it's not as bad as I remember it, but there are definitely problems with it. Right. Sparks. Yeah. Right now it's a six. Like yeah. it's just got, I, I, as much as I like things in it, the film that we have compared to the film that I'm like, I see what it could have been. Mm-hmm. is just weaker. Um, like it's a, it's a favorable six. I like it more than I thought I would in my memory, but um, it's it it doesn't live up to the quality of what I expect of sevens. Sure, I agree. I I I, I agree. Uh, although I I give it a seven. Uh, I think you. I think what you both have said is perfectly valid. There, again, it's my bias towards this franchise. How much? Yeah, it's I got like you. Characters. It's got you by the balls. One hundred percent. So yeah, I'm. I'm. I would give it a seven. I, it's I, got a Kalima grip on your heart and your testicles. It's got. <laughs> it's got. Uh, for me, it's still got a lot to like. No, I get it. Um, Look, a six is a lot better than I thought I was going to end up <laughs> coming at it with. Sure. I can't stress that enough. I was like, boy, it's going to really suck when I have to come on here and give Chris a skull four. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> that's what um, i was prepared for before i rewatched it because i'm like i do not remember enjoying it it's also so interesting watching this movie because like this is a legacy sequel before there were like tropes for legacy sequels so it's still mm-hmm. playing in like different spaces and trying to like find itself yeah it's for interesting sure. for sure um okay well that's it actually that's that mm-hmm. that's it so um next 
next franchise we're going through is Mission Impossible, uh, which is coming up. So exciting. Ooh, um, ben, do you know how soon? Pretty soon. If two weeks. Are, oh, <laughs> one and two, baby. One and two. One, okay, you one like two. one of those. You like two. You've said it many times. You like two. I said I liked two, but that's because I've only seen it uh, once and I was very young. So that's fine. Hey, revisit a movie you like. <coughs> Spoilers. I didn't like two. I don't like two either. No one likes two. It's just the, that was the first one I saw. Not no one, Ben. You like two. Own it. Ben, revisit it. Ben, people definitely like two. I'm just not among them. I might change my mind. Who knows? Um, as far as Indiana Jones goes, um, it, you know, there's plenty of Indiana Jones material coming from us. Um, real score we've talked about is going to have many Indiana Jones episodes. Um, there is a dial of destiny review when that movie comes out so stay yes. tuned for that we will do that um that movie um i think that's it no well there's other things but like i can't say because i don't know if they're gonna happen um but we'll see um so that's everything that's the that's whole show brandon saying like reviewing all the indie films on this podcast and doing three episodes on the real score dedicated to indie films isn't enough it's not <laughs> it's not i don't get i only get one chance at this um the show's over after this not the show the you get it um so we're not going to do book club no uh, book club is going to be reserved for next week. I am going to be gone next week. Just a heads up. Um, so state, but stay tuned. So the variance, which is Ryan's book club. It was announced on social media this week. The variance by Gail Simone, Phil Noto, that will be pushed to next week. As it's, well really, as our, it's really funny. Cause it's maybe one of our most hyped up book clubs on Twitter. Thanks to Gail Simone. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to have to push it back. <laughs> um, sorry, Matt Damon. So sorry to Matt Damon. We couldn't get you. <laughs> um, so, okay. Um, yes. What was I saying? You were oh. pushing back the book club because Ryan's not here. And it's pushing his. back the book club. But next week will also be a review of Fast X. Fast X. Fast X. Fast um, X, the Furious Saga. So you guys have a good time. We I will. hope you all enjoy the movie. I'm sure we will. Um, spoiler alert. I love the book club. That's kind of bummed. I can't be on it. You can share your notes. I probably I'll, will. I'll, I'll, I'll speak them for you. I'll do an um, impression of you and everything. That's not hard. Um, so that'll do it guys. Thank you once again for being, for, 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 for being with us tonight as we go through all the Indiana Jones films. Um, yeah that's that check out all the things on this channel you can check out things like conversation which is linked below my latest episode season two is going so episode two is out now with kyle andry of the dragon ball super dope podcast um and upcoming sean farrick from trek trek culture and clone star podcast um really excited about that episode really liking the season of conversation uh, you can also check out shows like Fake Nerds Watch, currently on hiatus as we wait for another show to come out. Uh, so stay tuned for whatever that show is going to be. I mean, we know what it's going to be, but you know, you guys may not know. We're waiting for another show, and we also have to fill the. We have other things that we're trying to accomplish in that time. Well, yeah, but you know, this show is waiting in mm -hmm. the wings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
um, Basement Arcade. Chalouse. Basement Arcade, our video game Let's Play series, and Basement Arcade Pause Mini, our video game discussion series. Uh, you can check out those shows as well as Fake Nerd Book Club. Oh, I got some news about Fake Nerd Book Club coming up. I'm really excited. Stay tuned. Um, the Real Score, the Batman first episode is out now. Make sure to subscribe to that audio channel. New episode, The Mask of Zorro, coming soon. Ish. And soon? before, and before we forget, both Grayson and Mag in the chat. Grayson saying thank you for the show. Have a great week. You too, my friend. And Mag, of course, saying goodnight, gang. And also earlier, he said two is okay. As a Mission Impossible too. Ah. Um. Check out all those all those things, and of course, all the cinephile episodes for. Uh, many of our reviews are available in the description below, mm-hmm. uh, including Indiana Jones, Raise the Lost Ark, and Temple of Doom. Yes. You can check out our Patreon and our T Public linked below or on our website uh, if you'd like to support us financially or on our website where you can find links to everything at fakenerpodcast.com, which is also linked below. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everyone who listens. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you to who, everyone who watches the live stream. We appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who watches the rewind. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your support. Thank you to Jeremy Bellucci, our newest co host on The Real Score. Um, th- who it does all the music you've heard here tonight and all the music you hear for all of our shows. You can check out him at Jeremy Vellucci underscore wreck of time. You can find his podcast, Suburban Proctologist, new episode out now uh, at facebook.com slash Suburban Proctologist official or Instagram at Subproc Podcast. Of course, you can just subscribe on iTunes. Thank you to Mike Matola. Mike Matola, wonderful human being that he is, um, designed a few of our logos, including my new, my new logo for Conversation. Um, and you can find him, his work, his artwork that we have collaborated with, um, many times over at Mike Matola on Instagram and TikTok. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Fickner Podcast, Fickner Podcast at G, sorry, Fickner Guys at gmail.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us personally, though, I'm at BC McClure on Instagram and Twitter. I also write for CBR.com. Oh, oh, I almost said old school gamer magazine.com. Um, kaijiramamedia.com and atomicgeekdom.com. Ben? You can find me constantly avoiding spoilers for Zelda Tears of the Kingdom because I don't have the game yet at BenMega27 Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And you can also find me writing for Fusion Gaming magaz- Magazine, Old School Gamer Magazine, and GoNintendo.com, as well as playing Mary Frankenstein in D and Dark. Sparks? Uh, you can find me. Uh, telling them that you should have taken my car when you had the chance at Sparks Witty on Instagram and Twitter. I write for no one. <laughs> Damn, I thought that was closer. Uh, and you can find uh, Ryan Eliopoulos at DJ Tony Snark 616 on all social medias. Um, yeah, so okay, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podcast, and Pandora. Rate and review wherever you get us. We greatly appreciate it. Like this video, subscribe to this channel, and until next time you see us, guys, stay fake nerds. <laughs>